warning, pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned pop thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode 276. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat, but it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over, counterculture, push over. Pop culture. Leftovers. Are, are, are you ready for the only podcast hotter than a human torch? It's Pop Culture Leftovers. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the, the leftovers. leftovers. All right. So, yeah, I am not feeling 100% feeling sick, uh, but uh, I'm going to go as long as I can on this episode before it wipes me out. So that means that I will be skipping iTunes reviews this week. Um, but I will read a, an email that uh, we got a couple of weeks ago because I couldn't read it last week because of our Captain Marvel review. And I couldn't read it the week before because of captain Colin jake uh and so uh and yeah so i want to i want to read it this week uh but we do have a couple guests this week uh first uh june how, june yeah we got june uh june how many episodes have you been on now i don't know like three i think four more than that i right? think it's four i think you're at four. Oh well look at that yay me yeah time flies when you don't give a shit huh june <laughs> <laughs> when you when you don't care enough to count, right? When you don't care enough to count, you know what I mean. That's so dorky, though, to like have like a little like notebook and like what do I put like a heart each time, like on my calendar, like a little heart around the date. Oh, and no, the, what's what's fucked? Oh, it's fucked up. <laughs> you you lose count after three. <laughs> That's what's fucked up. I'm lazy. I know I'm lazy. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's just old hat after three. And I like it when people. I like you know. I like it when people remember. And they're like, yeah, this is my seventh visit. And I, and I cherish each one, Brian. I, I do mark them down in the notebook. <laughs> Celebrate the anniversary of each one. Uh-huh. Yeah. PCL plus June. Uh, that should be happening in that fucking notebook. Uh. Anyway. <laughs> and, yeah, I know. Like, like, like zero interaction after that one. Um, <laughs> just Shut just down. Yeah, just complete silence. Yeah. I don't know. No, I'm, I did not take offense. It's fine. I don't. 
I, even though I, what's fucked up, June, is I know how many of these episodes I've been on. <laughs> yeah, because you actually number them each week. You should. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, we also are joined by uh, Michael Winkler. Welcome back. Hey, how's it going, everybody? That's good. How have you been since the last, uh, how many, uh, yeah, do you, do you remember how many times you've been on? This will be my second time. Oh, shit. I'm telling you, after the next one, you'll lose count. <laughs> you won't have any idea. <laughs> it's, just, it's just old hat, and you take it for granted. <laughs> yes, I am sick, people. This is fucked up. Um, let's see here. Let's get. I, I don't. I don't feel like our energy levels are anywhere where they need to be. I'm the sick one, and you guys are just fucking like deer in headlights. I'm ready to go, man. I'm revved up. I, I'm Red Bulled and fueled up. All right, all right. Well, I want that to translate into the podcast, Jake. And I trust you're you're a podcast pro, you're a veteran. I I feel like that is going to uh, that energy is going to seep into this episode like come on sheets. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to interrupt your uh, conversation with uh, with June and Michael there. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know what's up with June and Michael. I have no idea. Like, I I try to figure out how many episodes June's been here, and she's, like, getting all defensive and snapping back at me, like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you expect? What do you expect? It reminded me, though. No, because it reminded me. So when I turned 35, I just stopped count, keeping count of like how old I was. And I had a birthday a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was turning 39. And then my husband was like, no, that's not right. You're turning 38. And I was like, no, I'm already 38. And I got into an argument with him. And he was just like, that's not how the math works, honey. But for a whole year, I told everyone I was 38. And then it turned out I wasn't because I just stopped keeping count after I turned 35. That whole scenario ran through your head when I asked you how many times you've been on PCL. Yep. That's your story, and you're sticking to it, right? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, I'm not buying it. Anyway. um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that metaphor had some holes. It did. did. And there's a lot to it, you know? There's a lot. I don't know. I don't know. Like, just lie to me and say, like, uh, four is your least favorite number. You have a tragic memory of the number four. (laughs) It's like gremlins. Uh, Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, my, uh, Michael, am I gonna get? Am I gonna get the best out of Michael this episode? Oh man, you, you're not even ready. I got the Red Bull as well, just like Jake. All right. You gonna be doing that tapping bullshit this episode? No, sir. Man, I cut my fingers off. <laughs> oh God. Jesus Christ, dude. That, that's the kind of dedication we demand. Oh, that. Who is that? Whoa. Who is that? <laughs> Who was that? Who got a text? Someone hit the wine jug. Who got a text? Take it off the table. Take the phone off the table. Oh, that's what it was. Who was it? Not me. My phone is. It was a not table vibe. I'm sorry. I had to thumb it. My fingers are gone. Oh God, Michael! If it's not you tapping, it's you fucking getting text messages. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! What do I got to do with you? <laughs> Every fucking episode. Literally, I want someone to handcuff your hands behind your back, and I just want you like I want your face in the mic, and I want you like not touching anything. <laughs> That's what I want right now. <laughs> put your oh, man, I, don't I put your phone up. on the table. Never put it on the table. 
I just threw it across the room. Thank so. God. Oh, my. Yeah, and that probably will pick up a huge noise when it lands. Knowing it's still you're, in the air. It's like, what do you, you, do you live in a cavern? <laughs> do you live in a cavern that picks up every noise possible? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Every, every time you're on, I'm telling you, I'm just warning our listeners, you're probably going to hear more tapping and uh, just, just random noises, just random noises coming from Michael Winkler's. Anyway, we got an email, Jake, and it says, hi, Brian. It's like, here I am trying to, like, get our, trying to get our, uh, you know, guests, Jake, get them pumped up and ready for the show, and all I do is chastise them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that technique is going to work. But I don't know. Hey, we going to have a good show, Michael? Ah, fuck you. Stop oh, making yeah, noise. Stop, stop making noise. Yeah, I don't know. No, it's like a pep talk. Like you're the coach, and like we're being like we're playing. It's like his halftime, and we're playing really shitty. Get that shitty cell phone so out of your hands and score that touchdown, you dirty yeah. son of a bitch. It's like we're in the locker room, and you're just like assholes. You're sucking right now. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I, and that's fucked up because it's not even halftime. We just started like five minutes ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like the coach like calling a timeout after twenty seconds and going, "Oh fuck, we're <laughs> fucked." Oh, my God. Yeah, this episode is in the shitter. I got Michael Winkler over here getting text messages from fucking Timbuktu. And I got June over here yelling at me. And so I got to put her in her place, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we got an email here uh, from a listener. And her name is Taylor. She goes by Taylor Mutu. She's on our Facebook. That's not her real name. But her real real first name is Taylor. And uh, she sends us a message here. And she says, Hi, Brian. Uh, I've been meaning to reach out for some time. I've been listening to the show for almost a year. Let me say this. It's been the best podcast I have ever listened to. Now that I've buttered you up a little, I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you. Don't go into panic mode. They are all grand. After listening to you for a while, I feel like I have gained a friend. I have truly loved hearing you laugh and rant, my fave. I also appreciate you sharing some of your struggles, such as your hard times when you went through your divorce. It resonated with me as I have had some tough times as well. I also love how you speak as an equal voice for all races and genders. I worry sometimes how podcast hosts will react uh, to certain races, but you, my friend, love everyone. You and Jake are fantastic, exclamation point. Uh, Thanks for all the laughs and the banner. You don't hear me commenting and arguing about movie show reviews with you, but the people in cars next to me probably think I'm batshit crazy. I could totally go into all kinds of theories about the MCU, but I'd be typing all night. Uh, Thanks for the great reviews of Wayne, Titans, and the Umbrella Academy. All were Tupperwares. I left a review, but I guess iTunes didn't like it because I can't find it. I'll have to try again. Continue being great. I uh, I typed that wrong and left it for your humor. Uh, She typed it G-R-A-T-E. And uh, it's hard to to, rip it apart when when she calls it out like that, right? Yeah, no cheese jokes. Now. Exactly. We just got to move on, I guess. Exactly. Right? Uh, and don't, yeah, no cheese jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, Jake was like, oh, fuck, I got to file that cheese joke for later. I know. I was like, uh, uh, yeah, I had a Parmesan joke ready to, I was ready to crack open. Um, and uh, she goes on to say, and don't listen to nonsense about changing any bumpers. I sing along to the iTunes review one every time. I have been trying to end this. Much love and peace, my newfound friend. And uh, she goes on to say, P.S. Does Jake see these too? Now I feel like shit. Hi, Jake. 
<laughs> That's funny. Well, I mean, she, she, she said my name. I wasn't offended. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, thank you, Taylor. I'm so happy that you're listening and that you found us. And, uh, you know, it, it just it's nice getting emails like this where people just kind of like, ah, that's my favorite email, Jake. My favorite email is uh, people just saying, you know, thanks for the show. You know, I really appreciate it. Um, sometimes when I get like the I, – I, I like the other emails, but – you know, like MCU theories and DC theories and Star Wars theories. But my favorite are just like this. Like, hey, you, you made my day. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I like how Taylor even kind of touched on that, you know. Mm-hmm. Could go on forever about MCU theories yes. and whatnot. But, mm-hmm. you know, just wanted to drop a line and say how much, you know. They appreciate the show. And that's, oh, that's fucking awesome. That was a great email. It's a great email. And, you know, like those people, like every once in a while, though, I will get those MCU emails that go on for a day. And it's like, oh, my God. And you want me to read this on this show? No, I can't fucking, like, I can't, I cannot hold our listeners hostage for five minutes while I read your theory that's never going to happen. You know? Yeah. Diagrams and everything. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Do they, like, when they when people send you, like, their theory, mm-hmm. like, the super long emails, is it, like, in the body of the email? Or do they, like, attach, like, a term paper? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, do they attach, like, a Word document that's, like, mm. five pages, like, single-spaced? It's in the body of the email. And, uh, okay. I mean, I've, you know, I could go through, like, my old emails, and there's there's a lot of them. And they go through a lot of, a lot of theorizing. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, sometimes at the end of them, they'll, like, they'll say something like, I hope you can, you know, address this on the show. And it's like, Fuck, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, not like our shows aren't already five fucking hours. <laughs> Can you make some sense out of my batshit crazy theory? That would be awesome. Exactly. So, no, I pre- I appreciate those too. I mean, I like to read them myself just personally, but like as far as like if you want me to like get into a theory on the show, the best way to do that is to give me maybe even just a paragraph. And I don't mean like run on sentences paragraph. I mean just like a paragraph or bullet points and just make it pr- as short as possible. Because um, like, you know, every like when it fucking starts reading like, you know, like, I don't know, like a diary a entry or what? <laughs> a screenplay. Yeah, screenplay. Exactly. So, yeah, it's ridiculous. Hey, Jake, uh, I need to We need to take it. So thank you, Taylor. And thanks for listening. Uh, Taylor's on the Facebook page. Um, I don't know if she's in the leftover army group. Are people still joining that thing, or did that thing die down? It seems like we still get a steady, steady amount of people joining in. If you're so not, I yeah. have not seen Taylor. I'm not sure. Okay, Taylor, um, and you know, if you're cool, you can join the leftover army group. Just do a search for under groups. I just do a search for leftover army, and then it's the group you can join on. So, and then answer it's a closed the closed group. Please answer the questions. Answer the questions. Like, and if you answer the questions in a smart ass fashion, they probably will just deny you. So, just expect that to happen as well. So, heads up. Um, hey, <laughs> uh. Let's talk uh, for a moment about this week's sponsor, Jake. I want to talk about Impact Theory Comics, and I want to talk about their new comic, uh, Neon Future. This is their first comic, and it's a collaboration with world-famous DJ producer Steve Aoki, and it's written by the Eisner Award-winning writer of Justice, Jim Kruger, uh, artwork by Neil Edwards and Jeremy Rapac, and uh, it's basically, here's synopsis, the world is in grips, uh, is in the grips of an economic crisis due to mass unemployment, advanced technology has been outlawed. 
the world is now divided between those with implanted technology and those without. When the world's most famous anti-tech crusader dies and is resurrected using the illegal technology he has sworn to eliminate, he must decide who to fight with his terrifying new powers. Jake, me and you both read this book, and we had a blast reading it and thought it was fantastic. Yeah, just a real top shelf book. It's hard to even believe it's their their first endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil and Jeremy's art is just incredible. I mean, just right away before you even read a word, I was just kind of taken aback by the quality of the art in this book. You know, it's not what you would expect from someone's first outing. Yeah, uh, Rebecca has also Rebecca, you know, guest of the podcast on many occasions has read this book as well. And she's gone on to say that, like, the world building and the science fiction in this is almost like the equivalent of, like, watching an episode or, you know, watching an episode of Altered Carbon on Netflix. Like, it's got that great of a science fiction background. So if you like sci-fi, you're going to love this comic. Head over to your comic book shop and ask them to put Neon Future on your pull list as soon as possible so you can make sure that they can get it ordered for you. Uh, This comic book is actually going to hit bookstores comic book stores on march 20th uh so hopefully they can still get it ordered for you if you want to get a look at this comic before you decide you can impact theory comics is offering a free digital issue on instagram and you just give them a follow at it comics and click the link in their bio and you can get a free digital copy of this book and uh, all of our info about Impact Theory Comics and Neon Future is in our show notes, so check that out. But go to your comic book store if you can after you read the first issue or before you read it and ask them to put it on your pull list. So, yeah, that's Neon Future from Impact Theory, guys. Check it out. It's fucking awesome. And now it is time to talk about the Avengers Endgame trailer number two, Jake. All right, man. I got my parachute pants on. I'm ready to break it down. All right, guys. Uh, we are probably going to like, – can we just bypass rating the trailer, Jake? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I, I'm fine with that. I mean – I mean, I loved it. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. Can, did we all love it or did some of us not like it? I, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. All right, yeah, I loved it too. So we'll, I mean, we'll just bypass rating it this time. I mean, I think going forward, we're just going to love every TV spot and every trailer that we see from this because we are also amped to see it. So this breakdown could include spoilers from Captain Marvel as well. So if you haven't seen that, then you might not want to listen. But if you don't care, that's fine too. You can continue to listen. But we're going to break this down scene by scene, go over theories. And everything here. The trailer starts out with the voice of Tony Stark as we're seeing scenes from the escape of Tony in the first Iron Man. Um, in that first Iron Man film, it's when he was being held captive in the cave. And they, you guys notice that all these flashback scenes that they do show in this trailer, and there's a few of them, they're all shown in black and white and red. So, like, you know, this scene with, you know, there's a, the scene later with, uh, you know, uh, Captain America and there's a, there's some red in there. We see the red in Thor's cape later on in the trailer. Um, but at the start of this, we hear Tony saying, God, it seems like a thousand years ago, I fought my way out of that cave, became Iron Man, realized I loved you. And then we get a shot of Pepper Potts. I know I said no more surprises but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. So real quick here, um, 
when he like is that telling is that telling that he's got another like another surprise not only for maybe the rest of the avengers but maybe for us as the viewing audience that we don't know about maybe like do you think that that, that he's going to he's going to pull a rabbit out of his hat you know what i mean in, figuratively speaking and and just shock us all by the end of this movie I actually had that inkling from this line, too, if wondering if this was more than just, you know, rehashing what we've already heard. If it really was a little bit of a foreshadowing to a uh, big surprise that we don't Mm. even know about yet. I hope that's the case, honestly. I I like that idea. Wouldn't it be crazy if, like, like, uh, (laughs) it can't be. People would be pissed off if Tony was a life model decoy, wouldn't they, Jake? Oh man, yeah, that's that's like that's like Dallas level, like saying a whole season was a dream, kind of like that's bad. Yeah, Patrick Duffy coming out of the shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bob Newhart waking up. Is somebody tapping? I'm, I swear to Christ, I hear it. I swear I do. I swear on my life, oh, I have my. not touched my desk. Oh my God, Michael! I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> what are you? What are you doing? <laughs> it's not me. Man. I'm gonna strangle you. No, um, poor Michael. It makes me want to tap just to get Michael in trouble. <laughs> I feel like the redheaded stepchild here. <laughs> uh, anyway, we we uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm here. I Michael. I honestly think that just having you on the podcast makes me hear things. <laughs> Your brain just fills in yes, the blanks. Exactly. Uh, we get a shot of the Benatar. Uh, that's the, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy ship from Volume 2 here. And uh, we see that uh, same shot of Tony looking out into space from within the Benatar. Uh, and you can no- you'd notice here, what's interesting here is the nanoparticle housing is directly on his chest. And it's not glowing underneath the shirt like we saw in the Super Bowl trailer. It's completely on the outside. Hmm. What do you take from that? That this is a shot further away from what we saw at the Super Bowl, or they altered the Super Bowl? No, I, I think the like like this shot was actually in the first trailer. I believe it was in one. The, the, this shot was in. The, I don't know. I didn't we see this? We saw this shot from the Benatar where he's like looking out the window. I part of me wants to think that he's going to use somehow. He's going to use the. The arc reactor to power the ship or something. Yeah, I get that too. Like it's one of two things. Like it's exposed because either he needs it exposed so it can be some kind of a conduit mm-hmm. to using its power, or possibly just to ma- maintain like life. He had to expose it. Is kind yeah. of the other theory I was bouncing around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next, we see a scene uh, showing us Steve Rogers. This is a flashback scene. This is a black and white flashback scene. Steve Rogers, uh, before he's capped, going to the Army Recruitment Center. Uh, we then hear the voiceover of Peggy Carter saying the lines that she used in Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier, quote, the world has changed and none of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best we can do is to start over. Yeah, that's super powerful. Mm-hmm. That, that really shook me. We then see a shot of retired Hawkeye here with who I believe is his daughter, and he's teaching her archery. We'll talk about Kate Bishop. Don't worry. We'll talk about her. I, every, <laughs> lots, inter- of, lots of buzz there. I know. We'll talk about her. Um, but remember, 
Clint took a, a plea deal after the events of Civil War and was on uh, two years house arrest, just like Scott Lang was in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So Clint's been on the farm living with the family. So we see him with who I believe is his daughter, Lila. And we see her hit a bullseye. She's she's pulling back on the bow, and she's she's learning archery just like her father. And it looks like she's the natural because she hits the bullseye here. I think we're watching the events right before the family gets snapped up uh, by the decimation by the snap. And um, you agree? I was going to uh, ask if you think while he's training his daughter to shoot archery, if when the snap happens, his family's going to like dissipate right in front of his eyes. Yeah, because if you look in behind him. It looks like his wife, played by Linda Cardellini, is setting up like a, a picnic table for them all to eat. And it looks like a couple of the kids are back there as well. So um, I think at this point in time, she's got they've got three kids and I think they're expecting yeah. their fourth Oh, I thought they had two, and then like the one that was. Uh, oh, so she's pregnant again. She's pregnant again. So, so the okay. So when I read the MCU wiki about her, it said they had three kids. I bet they're including the one that she's, you know, uh, pregnant with. Okay, um, how old do you think the daughter? Like, if if this is his daughter, in that when he's teaching her archery, like how old do you think she is? Because I think in Age of Ultron, she was probably. Five or six? Mm. She looked like fourteen here or mm-hmm. something, right? Mm-hmm. A lot older. Thirteen to fourteen, yeah. yeah. But I think in, in Age of Ultron, she—I mean, the kids were really young. I think in Age of Ultron, like they were like, I think the son may have been um, probably like eight or something, and I think the daughter was around like yeah, five or six. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely looked older. So maybe that's why people are speculating that it's Kate Bishop. I just don't know why they have like a random like, you know, girl over at the house that they're teaching archery to. And like he's not spending time with his own daughter here. <laughs> you know, it's I'm, like I'm not bothered by the age difference, really. It's been, what, four years. And I mean, if let's say she was eight in Age of Ultron. She's 12 now. I mean, those are big years for kids. Well, he I, was saying I, he was she was. June was saying like the son was eight and the daughter was five or six. I I, I want to say that like, and I think the third kid was the one they named uh, Pietro, right? Hmm. Oh, during Age of Ultron, she was pregnant, and yeah. then um, yeah, and then Natasha he saved thinks his it's life. a girl because she was like, "Oh, how's baby Natasha?" And Lena Cardellini's like, "Oh, it's a boy." It's Nathaniel. They named it Nathaniel after her, their son. Nathaniel Nathaniel Pietro. I think like, they combined uh-huh. the two. Yeah, yeah. After Natasha and the and the guy that saved his life. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, we should just do a whole podcast on fucking Hawkeye's kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Our listeners are like, oh, my God, I hope they talk about Hawkeye's kids for fucking 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, it's like they, like Hawkeye can show us a picture. A picture. Oh, my gosh. How old? They look so big. How old are they now? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I do agree that um, this is definitely right before they're probably going to get dusted, right? It's like kind of the classic comic book trope. They're getting ready to have the happy picnic. Like anytime yeah. you're getting ready to have a happy family gathering in the comic book universe, usually that's not going to pan out to be in a happy family gathering. So yeah, like right after that high five they do when she makes the bullseye, she just dusts out. Yeah. I was thinking more that they sit down for the dinner at least or something, but I don't know. I definitely, Oh my God. And then a sandwich like falls on the, like the table. (laughs) Oh, 
You know what I mean? Yeah, a drip of mustard hits and like they amplify the fucking sound. Dude, dude. And then like all you see is like a plate of bacon and Hawkeye goes, doesn't make everything better. (laughs) (laughs) When your family's gone. Anyway. Then he takes a bite and kind of shrugs. Like, eh, fuck. (laughs) Things are looking up. (laughs) (laughs) it's quality pork um let's see here uh yeah so um then we get a shot of uh hawkeye now is ronin turning around after killing some members of the yakuza gang uh in japan with his sword basically i feel like what the trailer is showing us is that we might see a scene you know um of them in the movie, like we said, of them getting dusted on the farm, which I like to call crop dusted. Um, but <laughs> it's basically showing us like why he is this way now. He's lost his family. And, you know, I think that's why it's making that transition. Like, I don't think that it's making that transition from like, you know, Kate Bishop, like, let's say it was Kate Bishop. It just doesn't make sense for me, the trailer, to show us a shot of him with Kate Bishop, who's, you know, who he's training. It just doesn't seem like a training day. It it looks like the family is, like, together, and they're all going to eat some Pepperidge Farm and shit. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, Brian, I I wish I could argue with you here, but I I just agree 100%. Just like the way the the story has to be told, that has to be the case, right? We see Hawkeye for a movie. So we can't just pick up and he's Roman, Ronin killing Yakuza. Right. Like it's, yeah. If we get Kate Bishop in this movie, I think it'll be Catherine Langford's mystery role in this film. I think Catherine Langford from 13 Reasons Why, we know she's been cast in this movie. I think if we're going to get a, a Kate Bishop, that's her mystery role. Or, or other, than that, other than that, Catherine Langford will be uh, Morgan, which would be... Uh, uh, Tony and Pepper Potts' daughter, if they jump that far ahead in the future. Yeah, I'm with that, too. I, I think it's just a lot of fans hoping that it's Kate Bishop. I, I really don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we see. But Nata- you're right, though. It sets it up, though, really well, though, in terms of, like, the... I really do like in the trailer, though, how you have this, like, it's... Like, you know, the sun's about to set. You're on the farm. It's very picturesque, right? Yeah. And then it immediately goes to him in the rain in Tokyo. And it's just in the, just the drastic change. Oh, my I, God. I thought it was done so well. If only, like, Bob Evans commercials were this badass. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, I like, all, like, wouldn't that blow your fucking mind, though, if, like, you see a family sitting down at a picnic table? You know, dad's, like, passing out bacon and, like, you know, all the, with all the fi- bacon and uh, fucking uh, uh, breakfast potatoes and, uh, you know, uh, toast with jelly and, and uh, ham and all this stuff, passing it out. With, all the fixings are there, Jake. The table's just decked out and just amazing. Everybody's just digging in, eating this wonderful food food the next shot we get is like dad killing like uh yakuza members in japan (laughs) (laughs) i think that's more of a logo (laughs) yeah i think it's more of a denny's thing i think you'd scare the old people with bob evans um i think no they're trying to get the youth in there they're like these old people are gonna die (laughs) yeah we gotta get the next generation of bob evans eaters there's definitely a focus group going on at bob evans like dude we're after these after the 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 greatest the, the greatest generation dies 
then and they and the baby boomers are gone. Who's going to be coming here? We got to we got to appeal to these young kids. We got to have a uh, sword toting samurai dad killing yakuza. <laughs> 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 I'm in. All right, you sold me. There we go. Uh, Shit, maybe even get him over to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we see a shot of Natasha uh, track down Clint Barton here uh, in this trailer, just like in the original trailer. But we also see her take her hand uh, in his hand. And I think that this is just showing that their friendship goes pretty deep. A lot of people are saying it's like romantic. I, I don't see that. I, Clint believed in her at one time and pulled her out of the, the life of being a brainwashed assassin. And here she is bringing him back into the Avengers to do something good. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think that this is kind of like a romantic thing that's going on here. I, I think it's just kind of putting these pieces together. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, oh, sorry. Go, go what ahead, I Michael. think. Uh, what I think about it is like why a lot of people think that is because of like her and the Hulk when they do the like the hand thing and the song, she gives off like this kind of loving nature. So maybe the fans are like thinking in that direction that yeah, like just because every time she holds hands with somebody, she's got like she can't just like hold his hand as a friend. And this guy has probably think about this every day on that farm and every day when he came home to his family, he'd get that physical like not everything physical means sexual or even romantic you you sometimes if you're just like isolated and you're away from people that care about you you aren't getting those physical touches that mean so much to you and sometimes it's just like a hug that you need and i feel like that's what this is showing here it's just like for the past like however many years he's been doing this one to five She's saying you've got friends and she's giving him that physical touch that he's not been getting from his family because they're gone. Yeah, right. I, I agree with you. I think Avengers one even clearly did a good job of just kind of explaining that these two have been through the mill together and, you know, have a very deep friendship bond at this point. And I completely agree that she's just giving him comfort and he obviously needs it. I mean, he's probably just raging at this point. She might, you know, you I might. Agree not, too. Yeah. Here she is the first time that she's seeing him possibly after he's lost his family. And she's like, I got feelings for you. Like she doesn't even know, like it sure doesn't look like he's resolved his feelings for his family. He's going around killing you know, villains and Yakuza in, in Japan. I don't know why she would greet him to, to, hey, you know, uh, I, I think we're going to spark up a love connection here. I've been waiting for your wife to dust for like five years. <laughs> exactly. Finally. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more of the casual viewer that is sort of like, because my husband, you know, doesn't really pay attention to these movies. He watches them, doesn't pay attention really. Um, so he was one of those people, like he said, oh, like what's going on there? And I was like, no, that's not, that's not how the relationship is. And I think if you are like super into movies like we are you know the backstory you pay attention you remember the backstory between the two that there it is platonic more of like an older brother or little sister yeah kind of relationship yeah almost. i agree i agree uh we get a uh, flashback uh scene here another one of these uh flashback scenes of steve rogers as the uh paul bear carrying peggy carter's casket at her funeral uh 
the uh, red stripes are red in this one. And then there's an entire shot dedicated to Asgard, which has now been destroyed. And we get uh, that's a black and white shot, uh, followed by scenes of Odin together with Thor. Thor's cape is red in this black and white shot. Uh, we get a shot of the decimation happening. The Falcon, him being dusted. We see Okoye react to Black Panther being dusted. We get Scarlet Witch being dusted. Uh, Captain America reaching at the dust that used to be Bucky. Um, and then we hear a Thor voiceover say, I saw all these people die, followed by Captain America saying, I keep telling everybody they should move on. Some do, but not us. And then we see Cap, Black Widow, and Banner in the Avengers headquarters in upstate New York. Notice here that Black Widow's hair is red. At the end, during Infinity War, her hair was like the the white or the blonde. And here her hair is red and she does have like the little bit of blonde at the tips. This does this shot here 100 percent confirms that there's a there's a time jump. Um, And also Steve has the shaved beard here. Um, And then Banner's hair, in my opinion, even looks grayer in this shot than it did in Infinity War. Um, So there's definitely a time shot. And and a lot of the time stuff we can kind of like figure out just by looking at Black Widow's hair. I'm not even kidding you. We can kind of tell... yeah, go ahead. I noticed the banner stuff too, and like definitely. I mean, I I, I kind of tend to agree with you at this point. Like, it, you know, I don't think he just ran out of his just for men. I think we're definitely seeing like makeup signs of <laughs> some kind of a time jump. Sorry, grabbing a drink. Um, not an alcoholic drink. Don't worry. Um, that would just keep me sick longer. Uh, we do get a shot here um, of Scott Lang, Ant Man looking at missing posters on a tree. So he was in the quantum realm. Here we get a shot of him back and he's back and he's seeing the ramifications of the decimation. And you can see that the missing, these missing flyers showing all these people that are missing um, on the tree, they look weathered and beat up. These are not new. It's not like he came back right after the decimation and the house that like he, he goes back to his his family's house here and the house doesn't look maintained at all. You can see that the bushes are overgrown. Um, it looks like there's even vines like crawling up the house. Um, so, again, I, I think we're seeing a time jump here as well. Uh, we see him uh, basically at the family's home. And for all we know, like his ex-wife, her husband could be gone. And we don't know where Cassie is, his daughter. She could be with another family member. She could be in foster care. We have no idea where Cassie is now. Um, We do know that they have cast an older Cassie Lang for this film. And she's believed to be around 16, if that rumor holds up, if it's true. And and we also know that that Scott's going to make it to the Avengers headquarters in the van – that we saw at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp um, that contains the quantum tunnel device. So we know, like, unless... I mean, Jake, I guess at this point we could say, like, every scene that we've seen so far, everything that they've shown us could not show up in the movie if we wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you can... But when you start going down that rabbit hole, I know. you just basically can't talk about no, anything. I'm gonna... Ba- I, I've, I have really limited... In this trailer that we saw, uh, this last trailer, number two, 
I've only got maybe one or two scenes that I'll talk about later that I think might not show up in the actual film. Yeah, I think more these days what they're doing is is just the minor altercations, right? There's things in the scenes we're seeing that they're not 100% complete. There's either a character missing, an image missing, mm, you know. That whole it's scene more, of like the Avengers charging from Infinity War never happened. When yeah, they're on yeah, Wakanda, yeah. that was a 100% fabricated scene. That never happened. So they could – 100% just throw in something here that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. I, I don't put it against them. But, you know, after the fact with that charging scene, you kind of see the method to the madness, right? It's They just put it in because it's a great closer for a trailer, whether or not it's in the movie, right? And I don't know if anything here stands out as like that kind of thing. But mm, I will talk about something stuff. later that they could have thrown in here. Not not this scene or not, not, no, not no. the Scott one, but – I think with the Scott one that we had in the last, like in the in the first trailer where he shows up and he's like, "Hey guys, I'm here. Hey, hey." I think like that's not. I don't think Cap and Black Widow are reacting to that. I think they're reacting to something else now. And so a lot of the and they did that in the Infinity War trailer. Like we heard like uh, Tony Stark say, you know, what say what's his name? And then we and then immediately Gamora says Thanos. I knew by looking at both of those clips that. Tony was not talking to Gamora like he was in the Santorum, the Sanctum Santorum, and she was like on the Benatar. Like you could yeah. tell you could clearly tell from looking at those scenes just by pausing and looking at those scenes. And so I think like any manipulation for the most part, any manipulation that the Russos give us are they're just like kind of like <sighs> cl- taking these, together splicing. Scenes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Splicing these scenes together to. To get us off the scent of what's really happening, but I do think that there might be a couple of these shots that don't, that don't end that don't make it into the final movie. And there's one of them I, I want to talk about later. But um, yeah, that's kind of been like a Disney thing. They've been doing kind of the same thing with the like last three or four Star Wars movies as well. So yeah, well, I the Star Wars stuff is just because they got they they've been firing their directors. And <laughs> okay, you know yeah, what I mean? Halfway yeah. through filming, so right? You know, like Rogue yeah, One. It's like they had. Uh, what is it? not Dan Gilroy a trailer for a different fucking movie yeah exactly exactly um, um as far as before we move on from the Scott stuff though I like what you're saying about that a lot I I tend to fall on the side that um things aren't great for Scott as far as Cassie and his daughter I think that's probably bad news too because I think that's what puts Scott in a place where he's got nothing left to lose and he's just gonna go join with the Avengers and help out I don't think he would put his life on the line unless everything else was already gone. Mm-hmm. Um, here we go. I, th- this is something that I wanted to, to bring up. I think all the, and this, it has to do with hair length and it has to do with caps, beard and stuff. I think all the scenes from the beginning of the movie are with black widow with blonde hair and cap with a beard. Um, Black Widow with the blonde hair is like what we saw also, uh, spoilers for Captain Marvel here, but in the, in the mid-credits post, in the mid-credits scene for Captain Marvel, she had blonde hair when Captain Marvel showed up at Avengers headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I think that scene is going to be a scene that we see early on in the movie, early on in the movie. 
Like that's that's early in the movie. We're going to see that. Like, why hide that? They've already shown it to us. It's not like they're going to wait until like the end of the movie to show us Captain Marvel showing up. I think Captain Marvel shows up within the first 15 to 20 minutes of this film. Yeah, I'm right there with you. In my head, I was like five, ten minutes, but it's same type of thing. And, um, you know, Black Widow uh, with uh, we get her with blonde hair and Cap with a beard. All those scenes, I think, are just. Um, oh, did did Cap have the beard when we saw him again in the Captain Marvel trailer? No, he didn't. Mm. It was shaved. He was yeah, shaved. He wasn't was he? shaved. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once the, uh, I think once the movie moves to, so strike that. Just just Black Widow with blonde hair. Strike that. Um, once the movie moves to Ant Man. So here we go. All the scenes that we've seen at the beginning of the movie are with black, like Black Widow with blonde hair. I think that's beginning stuff. And I think like once the movie moves to Ant Man, once it like transitions to ant-man because we saw infinity war like one moment we're on we're, we're in new york we're you know uh one minute we're on thanos's ship the next minute we're in new york and then we're with the guardians right i mean it just that's how these movies move like we go to one location to the other and i think like once the movie moves to ant-man and then when he gets back to earth i think that's when we're gonna see like black widow with the red hair and i think that, that with the blonde tips and i think that that's what's gonna signal the time jump here yeah, I, I agree with all that logic. And yeah, you can kind of use the pacing from the last movie to kind of see how all this is going to bounce around. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to have natural, like, progression cuts. It can just bounce all over like a rubber ball. And, mm-hmm. You know, they handled that so well in the last movie that I have complete faith that it's going to be just amazingly handled here, too. Yeah. I mean, of course, like everything that I'm bringing up here is just all theories and everything. I have no idea. I haven't seen this movie, of course, just like everybody else. But, you know, I've I've got theories out the wazoo this episode. So another theory that I'm kicking around is, you know, like, how did Scott get back? How did he get back? Like, you know, he's in the Mm -hmm. he's in the he's in the quantum realm. and, And we know a little bit about the quantum realm. And we learned a lot about the quantum realm from Janet Van Dyne. But. I think this is just a theory. I've been kicking it around and that maybe Scott has actually been able to, and I know she was involved in the snap, but maybe he's been able to communicate with Janet because they had contact with one another in the quantum realm and they had what the MCU is calling quantum entanglement. And since the quantum realm doesn't apply, quantum realm doesn't apply to space and time. Maybe they can still psionically communicate with each other and she can show him how to get out of there. I like that. Um, I hadn't made that connection yet, but in my head I was more and more starting to think that he got himself out. So it definitely falls in line with that. I was just having a hard time believing what, what character would even know to help him escape. It kind of feels like he has to get himself out and then kind of pass the information he gained on to the other. Well, she said, she said, I mean, she said like Janet Van Dyne, when they're on the roof at the end, end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, she said, stay away from those. What are those? Those uh, quantum space bears. Vortex. Well, yes. She said, stay away from stay away from two things. She was talking about those big space bears, those underwater bears, those bacteria or whatever. And then the next thing that she said was stay away from the time vortexes. And I'll talk about time vortexes later. But basically she says, stay away from the time vortexes. You never know. It's dangerous and you'll never know where you're going to end up. So there's no way of knowing where you're going to end up in a time vortex. So it's not. But we've seen like if you go to the IMDb 
I don't know if it's still there anymore, but like if you went to the Avengers Infinity uh, Avengers Endgame IMDb, there's actually characters that are labeled like, you know, 70s girl, 70s guy. So it's like, could Ant-Man end up in the 70s? Could he be trying to go through a time vortex and accidentally end up in the 70s? You know, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting theory, but it just was such a grand scope of characters. How much time are we going to be following solo Ant-Man around? Does it really? Well, I, I think honestly in this movie, I think they are going to give the time to the characters that we didn't. And they've pretty much said as much. They've said that we're going to give time to the characters that we didn't spend a lot of time with in the last movie. The last movie was we've got like the last movie. We had a lot of time spent with the Guardians. We had a lot of time spent with Tony. We had a lot of time spent with Doctor Strange. And I feel like in this one and Thor, I think in this one, it's going to be a cat movie, a Black Widow movie. Black Widow had like less than 14 lines in Infinity War. I think we're going to get Cap, Black Widow, War Machine. We're going to get, you know, uh, more Ant-Man than we expected in this movie. So I think it's going to be kind of like that good balance. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I, some of that I've already kind of speculated. Obviously, the Russo brothers have an affinity for the Captain America character having, you know, did the Winter Soldier in the Civil War movies. So you got to imagine that they've got a big piece for him here since he really didn't have all that big of a piece in the last movie. Well, and it's not like Ant-Man has to spend half an hour in the 1970s. It's like he gets there, he's like, oh shit, they have a funny moment and he bounces the fuck out, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or we could possibly not even see him bounce out and, you know, we can cut to other characters Mm -hmm. and then he he shows up there and just kind of relays the information. There is a lot of ways to do that kind of thing without taking a half an hour. Well, he could go to the 1970s and talk to 1970s Hank Pym. For all we know, we could get, you know, I, we, I don't know. He could, he could. So, yeah, I mean, they're somewhere in here. They're going to de-age someone. They can't help themselves. Yeah. Um, this whole time. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, uh, we hear Black Widow saying, even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. Cap says we will whatever it takes. And then we hear all members of the team individually say whatever it takes. And then this whole time we're getting shots of um, what looks like, I believe, is the Quinjet that we saw in Infinity War. Uh, it's the same. It, it's the same Quinjet that flew Captain America and some of the team to Wakanda. We see that Quinjet flying over Tokyo here. Um, it's probably Black Widow either flying into Japan to find Clint or flying out of Japan after they've retrieved Clint. Uh, we then get uh, Hawkeye putting his hand on Black Widow's shoulder, um, and she just looks very happy and relieved here. What is it tapping? It's driving me fucking crazy. Is somebody muting on their mic? Mm-mm. I'm not doing anything. I think it's – Michael, I think it's you muting. I think it's that loud. Uh, I'm muting using the keyboard, man. I swear. Like I'm not doing anything. And it's loud. Oh. As, it's loud as shit. And now I hear keys jingling, jangling. No, it's not keys. It's my dog's. It's my dog's uh, ID tag. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, back to Hawkeye and Black Widow. I'm just no, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, dog, it's fine. Just the dog woke up and just was super energetic. All of a sudden, that's a dogs. Dogs got to do what a dogs got to do. Um, let's see here. We see uh, Black Widow. She looks happy and relieved to see Clint and. Um, um, 
I think she's just happy that he's back on the team and she's got him away from like this. I think I think going I think he's been on kind of on like a suicide mission. Like he knows he's just going there killing Yakuza and he's killing him, killing him, killing him and he's putting himself into like dangerous situations and his luck is going to run out with uh, run out on him. Like one of these missions are going to kill him. And I think he's just living his life recklessly because his family's dead. Do you think Black Widow knew he was alive before seeing he was alive with her own eyes? Yeah, how did she know where he was? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're, they're going to pick him up. I imagine, like, because I agree with you that they're maybe some facial flying away, facial facial recognition recognition technology that they've kind of like, you know, they saw him like maybe, or they saw some like you know street camera footage of of a mysterious guy. And she and she believes that it's Hawkeye. That could be played off really cool. Like you see him just going ham on a bunch of Yakuza, yeah. and then they like zoom the camera in, and they're like, "That's you know it's Hawkeye. What the hell?" Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Maybe they have like an alert set up, you know, like for people like part of the Avengers, right? Like they have an alert. Like if you see if those camera recognition, you know, if they catch someone like that looks like Scott Lang mm-hmm. or Clint Martin, they get an alert. Well, think about this. And then they they able to check it. Let's go back to Avengers. Let's go back to Avengers. And, like, who did they send to track down Bruce Banner? Natasha. I mean, yeah. that's – I mean, she found him. And, like, where was he? He was, like – you know, he was in just, like, this tiny village in a very small country. You know what I mean? It's, like – I don't think it's. I think Nata- that's what Natasha does. She's good at this. She's a. She's good at tracking people down. She's good at finding people that don't want to be found. She was an assassin too. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's basically her skill set is you know finding people that don't want to be found. Exactly, and, and that's that's well, what she did. She also with um, Cap when they found uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision. Another good point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. I, She'd be a great process server. Like, if you needed to sue someone and you couldn't find them, like, she'd be the best person to, like, Oh, my gosh. Like, like Dog the Bounty Hunter or something, right? <laughs> she could be, like, Man. the new Dog Ball the... guns full of pepper spray. It'd be amazing. Um, we see Hawkeye running down a corridor. Uh, he's wearing his quiver strapped to his back. We see an explosion go off behind him. And I and, and there's I think this this is actually the same area that we saw him in during the first trailer where we see that red glow on his face. Uh, it could be a ship. I'm I don't know. It also could be underneath Avengers headquarters. Because um, I, I feel bl- like I don't think it's a ship for some reason. I don't know why, but I think I, I don't. I think honestly, I don't think it's a ship. I think he's. I th- I think it's underneath Avengers headquarters, and I'll, I'll get to that later. Yeah, that makes a lot of. You don't have a character like Hawkeye flying off into space, most likely. That's cool. That's what you want to see, though, right? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, I- sure you do. Absolutely, you do. It's fun to see characters out of their element. Even Rocket in the uh, Disney shareholders meeting, like uh, they 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 played that, and Rocket's like, uh, so. Who of you haven't been to space and like three members like raise their hands <laughs> and like Banner doesn't raise. I don't, I don't know if Banner's on the ship, but Banner doesn't raise his hand. He's been out to space now. You know, he went into the devil's anus for crying out loud, Jake. But like you've yeah, got yeah. three characters that have never been to space 
that's fun. And it's, you know, so I would, I would absolutely love to see Hawkeye in space. I have no problem. I think that's actually kind of fun here. I, I'm just saying, like, I don't know if this is a ship. I don't think it is. I think this, I think he's actually underneath Avengers headquarters here. But I, I like that. He's kind of stalking them. Yeah. But like Rocket says, like, like, uh, who hasn't been to space or something like that? And he's like, there's like three people raise their hands and he's like telling them like not to puke in the ship or something. So, um, uh, we get a shot here of, uh, oh yeah, here we go. Um, oh yeah. Uh, with Hawkeye running down there, if you look at his left hand, he's got that glowing device on his left hand and it's the same. I think it's the same device that we've seen that glowing device that we've seen on uh, cap and Tony in the leaked photos from the Battle of New York set. They had that they had that device on their hands. And it looks like Hawkeye's got that here. And it's on his left hand. You can kind of see it when he's running. Um, oh, that's cool. I did not notice that at all. We get a shot of Rocket wearing goggles and uh, cocking a gun. Uh, he's perched on War Machine. Uh, War Machine suit in this shot is different than the suit that we saw him in for the last trailer where him and Ant-Man are lowering, lowering their helmets. If you look, the lights are in different spots on this one. Uh, one of the lights is like further down on the, further down on him. Um, and one is like higher up on the chest and the suit in this, in this one, this war machine suit is bulkier than the last war machine suit. So I think that this scene happens later on in the movie i would imagine i don't know that's interesting yeah i mean you have to draw some conclusion the suits are obviously there's some differences there yeah um so they must be some prepping for a battle or something but yeah i later in the movie definitely but how much later i kind of have no clue i don't either um we get a shot of nebula screaming and fighting on a planet that's in ruins uh, she, they're either on a planet that's in ruins or just like an area, a specific area that's in ruins. And I'm not sure where she is. Uh, possibly Titan. Um, maybe even Xandar. I'll talk about that Xandar rumor later. Um, but it also looks like she's also in the place where we see Captain America later in the trailer. Where he's like, where we get the extended scene of him like, you know, strapping on the on the shield and he's tightening the leather strap. We get that scene extended here. And we see it's it's it you know we see Captain America's face and he's dirty from a fight, and it looks like Nebula is in the same place Cap is in when this is happening, and it also looks like the same place where Rocket and War, War Machine are later in the trailer. Hmm, I wonder where the fuck this place is. I think That's- I I think I know, but I don't know. So I okay, Jake. It's down to like it's some people are saying Xandar. I I don't hmm. know. I don't know. I don't think it's Xander. I think it's something else. But um, it feels like we don't have time for it to be Xandar. And I don't want it to be Xandar. That's kind of too throwaway. We've got three I, I hours in this movie. Or... We've got three hours in this movie. Like this movie's gonna this movie's gonna come to three hours long. And I mean, you know, we'll, I'll get to the whole Xandar thing, but it does have to do with time travel, and it does happen. It does have to do with getting the first stone that Thanos acquires, which is the power stone, which was being held on Xandar. So, I mean, if we're talking about like a third act that hasn't been revealed, Xandar could be the place to have that third act. That's a good point. That's a good point. The Nebula um, moment in the trailer, I don't know why, but it kind of makes me chuckle every time I've watched this thing. It, it, 
it just feels kind of out of place. It's like, well, we know Nebula's in the movie, so here she is screaming and running onto the next thing. Well, she, like, it, who is she screaming at? She's. I mean, it makes me think that in this fight that she's screaming because she's seeing Thanos, right? Yeah, I mean, that, who else emotionally would give her that reaction, right? Right. Yeah. I agree, Jake. That scene, that one little clip of her, it it looked like it came from Infinity War. To me, at least. Yeah, it does. It, it looked like Titan. Like, yeah, it looked like like a destroyed planet, like Titan. So. Titan had more of a red hue, and this was completely dark and black. Mm, that's true. I don't know, it just it seemed like it was from the from Infinity War almost to me. I didn't get I didn't get but, that. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think it was Titan either. Um, it does—it does look like a very barren place, though, wherever it is. So I, I mean, think I it, can see where you think the Xandar stuff. Yeah, well, it, it, it could be decimated Xandor, Xandar, or it just could be like the area around them is fucked up. Like, and we'll, I'll t- we'll talk about that later. A big blast happened yeah, there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got you. That yeah. makes sense too. We might be just be reading too much into it, and it got decimated five minutes before we're seeing this. Scene. Sure. Uh, we see Ant-Man. Uh, next scene, we see Ant-Man shrunken down. He's in action as he springs off of a pencil. And uh, so, remember in the last trailer, when War Machine and Ant-Man, they lowered their helmets while they were in Avengers headquarters, and I said, like, why would you lower your head, your helmets down like that unless you were going to battle? I think this is that scene. I think this is an extension of that scene. And it would explain the pencils. I think they're in Avengers headquarters. It would explain the pencil. And you can also see, like, there's a quarter-inch stereo headphone plug hanging above them in the shot. I think they're in the office. I think. And then if you watch the scene, he springs off the pencil. He knocks over a mug with liquid and it looks like he's diving over a waterfall, but it's just tiny little Ant-Man, like, jumping over a desk and whatever this liquid was that was in this mug. And then we do get a quick shot of Scott Lang in the suit, in the headquarters. And that this is a completely different shot, but in the same trailer, we get, there, there's a quick shot of Scott Lang. He's in the suit, he's in the headquarters and there's a bookshelf and a desk in a room. But behind him, if you look, there's an explosion in a window Oh, that's interesting. So I think I think there's an attack that's happening. Um, so like when we in the first trailer, when I was talking about like, why are their helmets being lowered here? I think it's because an explosion goes off. Someone's attacking. I think with this hap- th- I don't know, this could happen very qu- soon in the movie. And um, we're getting an attack on Avengers headquarters here, like immediately. And like, who's attacking? Do you think maybe Captain Marvel gets followed in? No. Could it be civilians that are really pissed off? I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think so? Angry pitchfork wielding civilians at the end. No, but I mean, you know, but, you know, I mean, they could at this point, you know, we the whole society is in kind of disarray. I mean, people can get their hands on explosive stuff. I mean, not necessarily civilians, but people just really pissed off, like at the situation and. Thinking, I mean, there are people who do blame Avengers for stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to get like the Frankenstein's monster people, like you know, with the pitchforks and the the torches going after the Avengers here. I, I think, 
if we're to believe Jake, if we're to believe that Lego set, I think this is possibly from that the Lego set that we saw leaked uh, Avengers Compound Battle. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I like the idea of the big raid on Avengers at the very beginning of the movie. I mean, that's, that's how you start an action movie. You don't start an action movie with a bunch of exposition pieces. You start an action movie with action. Exactly. And I agree. I agree with that. Um, I, I want to talk about this Lego set. If people haven't heard about this, um, the Lego set features Hulk, Ant-Man, Nebula, Iron Man, and Captain Marvel fighting against Thanos and the Outriders at the Avengers compound. Uh, the Hulk minifig is smiling. Uh, Thanos is wielding a hammer and the gauntlet. Um, so a hammer and not the sword that we've seen in other promotional art. And um, Nebula is actually in her quantum realm suit that we see later in the trailer. So like there's uh, Jake, I don't I, I don't know, like not all these Lego sets have been 100 percent correct. Like, yeah, I'll tell you something about the Lego sets. Um, you definitely can get some spoilers and some insight from them. But the inclusion or not inclusion of certain characters mm-hmm. and potentially weapons really is not a telltale sign. Right. The Lego system is they want you to buy all the play sets to get all the characters and accessories. So they kind of split the minifigures apart based on that rationale more than here's all the characters that are in this scene. Right. So what I honestly what I think here, what's going to happen is I would say that Captain Marvel is not here. I don't think Captain Marvel's in this in this fight in the compound battle. I would say that I would say that uh, Hulk Ant-Man, and I don't think, how would Nebula be there in her Quantum Realm suit? Yeah, I think that's just the inclusion so you can get the Nebula minifigure, honestly. Yeah, I think what happens here is, okay, so you've got, like, in the in the first trailer, in the first trailer, like, Captain, Captain America, Black Widow, and War Machine, like, go outside and they see, like, something up in the sky, right? Could that be the attack that's about to happen here? And that, like, signals them to get on their fucking shit and get that way. Yeah, that's interesting. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I think that the other Avengers that were at the compound, like, you know, Rocket, Thor, Nebula, um, Captain Marvel, um, maybe even Hulk, like, they got on the Benatar and left with Rocket. Right. Yeah, I could see that. And like some um, of them stayed behind to do something else. They went on to go like do a mission and like some of them stayed behind to do something else. And so now, you know, and I'm guessing, I don't know. Um, and then the attack up happens. It yeah. makes sense that Captain Marvel wouldn't be there as far as dramatic purposes go. Cause what kind of a skirmish is it? If Captain Marvel can just end it in five seconds. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk. There's a Lego set called Armor Room, and it's Iron Man's armor room that uh, showcases his armors. And Tony Stark's robot, Dummy, uh, the robot arm from the Iron Man films, is in this set. So when Tony's, Tony Stark's mansion uh, was destroyed, both Dummy and um, the robot U were also destroyed. They're both in this set. But when Stark returned to the ruins of his, of his house... Uh, he took the remains of Dummy and parts of his workshop, and it's believed that he's repaired them. So, um, and I also wanted to point that this out. Dummy has saved Tony's life before, back when Obadiah Stane 
tried to steal the arc reactor um when he when he did steal the arc reactor tony stark almost died and then went to his garage to get the arc reactor on a mantle that pepper Potts made for him he wasn't able to reach the reactor and he gave up but the dummy the arm gave it to him and saved his life so i think that this is actually this could happen here if this lego set is legit i think the dummy i think there's going to be a fight here at avengers compound they're going to be losing and I think Dummy will activate Tony's suits as drones to battle Thanos and the Outriders here. Oh, that would be really cool. Because the Outriders are included in the Armor Room Lego set. So I think that oh, that's, that's neat. I think that that's connected to the same battle as the Avengers Compound battle. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, my at my first glance at this Lego set, I was wondering if it was just something that they wanted to get in a Lego set. You know, people want all the different Lego armors, but... Ah oh, man, hearing what you're saying, I, I could see it. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it's I'm, very visually dynamic yeah. too. Think about that. If they did come out with a third trailer and we see like, you know, Tony and Avengers Compound fighting in the suit, fighting against Outriders, like people would be like, Oh my god, Tony's back. Not necessarily. This could just be like a Tony suit being activated here. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah, I, I love that. That would be a great action sequence, just having a bunch of the suits all interacting with each other. Um I think so. I do. I don't know. Like a lot of people are saying, like it's not Thanos attacking here. It's some other kind of threat. I I happen to think that it's Thanos attacking um, at the beginning of the movie because I think he's attacking because he might be. And this is just a theory. I think he's he might be stuck in that time loop that we talked about. Just like Doctor Strange was in that time loop at the end of Doctor Strange when you know when it's like I've come here to bargain, Dormammu, and and it, you know it, he he kept putting Dormammu through that same loop until he got the outcome that he wanted. And I think with, you know, we have heard about the consequences of using the time stone that if you, if you're not a master in the, in the uh, mystical arts, and if you abuse the time stone, you can create time loops. And, you know, now that Dr. Strange, now he's got now, now that he had been in possession of the eye of Agamotto for so long, and he, he is a master of the mystical arts. He can control the time stone, but Thanos, this is, that was his, in that first in infinity war, that was his first time using it and he's abusing the fuck out of it. You know, he's not a master of this stone yet. I don't care if he is like a, you know, uh, like a, a, a Titan, you know, I mean, he's, he's abusing the power of the guy. He might've gotten himself stuck in a time loop. This might be for Thanos, Jake. He might've been in previous battles like this before and what he's doing, why he's showing up here and what it might be confusing us when we're watching it. Like why is Thanos showing up? At the, here's the second time in the second movie where Thanos shows up and he's just killing people. Like, because in the first movie, the movie starts out that way with Thanos just ripping people up. And here we are again within the first few minutes of the movie and Thanos is attacking Avengers Compound. And we're like, why? And later on, we find out it's because Thanos knows that they've got a plan that they he's been through this loop so many times. He knows the Avengers are planning something. But unbeknownst to Thanos, he doesn't know that the quantum realm, uh, Scott's got Scott's got business in the quantum realm. That's interesting. So Thanos is basically just showing up, just trying to 
kill all the rest of the Avengers before they can do a plan he's not even completely aware of? No, they've already tried to execute this plan. We haven't seen it, though. The Avengers have already tried to execute this plan. Doctor Strange said, this is just my theory, Doctor Strange says there's like 14,605,000 possibilities, right? I think that Doctor Strange, those those possibilities might not be something that he just ran through in the Time Stone. I think the Time Stone was showing him 14,605,000 different time loops that Thanos is going to be stuck in. And there's only one where they win. And Thanos has already ran through how I don't I don't know how many of these different time loops Thanos has maybe, you know, started. So Thanos could have done this like 10,000 times already. Yes. And nobody even knows. Yeah. Thanos has already been through this like 10,000, like whatever, whatever's going on here. And he's the only one aware of it. So he's just trying to kill the Avengers to get out of this time loop. (laughs) Yeah, that's, well, that's, that's actually, actually pretty fun. That is fun. And actually, this is when I was listening to you talk about the uh, shareholders meeting and yeah. the clip. And then certain people are in space. But, you know, I think notably like Ant-Man and Iron Man are not in the Milano going to space. And then you brought up the what if they are in a time loop where they just constantly are battling Thanos over and over again. What if the reason why they're in the time loop is on purpose? Um, because Tony and Iron Man – I mean, Tony is Iron Man. I mean, um, Tony and Scott are doing stuff in the quantum realm. Yeah. And it's almost like the time loop is a way to distract Thanos. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I really like that a lot. And so they're purposely like, let's just keep him in a loop, keep him distracted while we go in the quantum realm and like go back in the past, you know, go and like do stuff Mm -hmm. to try to get the stones or try to fix something in the past. And that way he won't be aware that something weird is happening but how do they – here's the thing, June. Here's the thing. How do the Avengers that are going to go on this quantum mission – and I think they all go. I think for the most part, all of them go on the quantum mission because we see them in the quantum suits. I've seen toys. I've seen toys with Hulk wearing the quantum suit. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think when they're walking out there, I don't think that they're necessarily going to show the Hulk walking out there with the quantum suit. I think people, when they see Hulk wearing the quantum suit for the first time, are going to freak out like, oh, my God, you know? Yeah, um, well, they have to hold back on even showing us Hulk at all with how that left off in the last movie. True. Anyways. Good point. Good point. I didn't even think about that. That's a great point, Jake. Oh, because he didn't even show up. In the, I mean, at, yeah. We don't even yes. know if he can change into Hulk. Right. Still. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's like the Hulk is buried in, underneath Banner and almost, like, scared to come out, you know? So, like... Yeah, yeah, they're not going to give us that reveal exactly. trailer. Exactly. Um, uh, let's see. Even in the poster, the new poster, it's just Banner. We didn't get Hulk in that poster in that in this new Endgame poster. Yeah, that's they're smart. holding that to the chest. Yeah. And that's smart. Why Why build a whole movie on that and then just give the payoff in a poster? Yeah, great point. Um, the One of the last shots um, that we see here uh, as they're finally – uh, as they're walking, it, it does show us the the white and red suits that we've been talking about here, the uh, quantum realm suits. And um, I think that this is these these suits are being used uh, to navigate them, to take them to the quantum realm, so they can live in the they can go through the quantum realm and go through these time vortexes to different points in the MCU to gather the Infinity Stones. Um, and I'm wondering if, and, and this is just a theory. And it's going to take me a while to get there, but just listen very closely here. Samuel Jackson at one time said in previous interviews before Captain Marvel came out that Captain Marvel had the ability to travel through time. And then later on, after 
Captain Marvel came out, we found out that he lied about that, or so he said. Samuel Jackson, this this is actually comes from sci-fi.com. I'm going to read this. Jackson came clean during an appearance on K-Rock Radio, where the Nick Fury actor appeared alongside fellow Captain Marvel stars Brie Larson, Ben Mendelsohn, and Clark Gregg. When asked about the incredible secrecy surrounding the movie and all movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Larson was quick to throw Jackson under the blockbuster video. Um, I'll just say bust. That's silly. <laughs> she, uh, pointing to him and saying, you just made stuff up. Jackson admitted that she was right, saying, I made stuff up. I said she could travel one. I, I said she could time travel one time. Is he what if he's backtracking? And I'm not saying she travels through time, but I, but hear me out here. We know that the quantum realm has time vortexes where you can travel through time. Um, Janet Van Dyne said, you know, don't get sucked into it. She, yeah, here's her quote. Don't get sucked into a time vortex. We won't be able to save you. And so I, hold on. Hold on. Okay. I'm not, now hear me out. And I think that this is a stretch. But if they use quantum tun- the quantum tunnel to travel in time but use a combination of the barf technology that uh, Tony developed to think about a specific moment in time on top of Captain Marvel powering the quantum tunnel device with her powers that she got from the space stone so basically Captain Marvel's powering this device and using space power, she might be able to get them where they need to go. If since they're using the quantum tunnel, and they're using the, number one, they're using the quantum tunnel. They're using the barf technology to kind of like focus on a moment in time, and it's powered by the space stone, which gives you control of space. But since they're doing all three of these things at the same time. It makes their whereabouts undetectable to Thanos because they're using quantum technology. And then and then the suits themselves, the suits that they're wearing, the quantum suits are actually powered by Carol. Like just like Hydra used, you know, the Tesseract to uh, which is the space stone to power their weapons. I'm thinking Carol's kind of charging these suits. Carol could be using her power in conjunction with the quantum tunnel and possibly the barf technology to get the, that's I, interesting I, I i was thinking like like you brian i i don't i think samuel L. jackson did not miss misspeak and he was kind of covering up but i don't think he had the facts 100 percent. like i don't think mm-hmm. carol can travel through time i think she achieves the ability to travel through time doing things kind of like what you're describing here i think that which is is kind of where he messed up with his saying like i don't think she has a superpower to travel through time so much as she's able to utilize her powers to make time travel possible i yeah i think that she i honestly we could even leave out in my theory we could even leave out the barf technology you don't necessarily need it as long as carol can somehow just power the quantum tunnel and use the power from the space stone i guess maybe she could direct them there i don't know but I, I know that's a it's a stretch of a theory. But I I think that there's there's a chance we might see that happening. I just with her being it's weird. Like with her being powered from the space stone, that's either a that's a weird thing because it's like 
Thanos is in control of the Space Stone at this time, right? I mean, he, and that's how she got powered. So, like, does that mean she could really kick his ass? Or does that also mean that he could kind of, like, at any point in time, take her power away? Yeah, that, that I was thinking about that, too. Like, is the power embedded into her? Or, like, is it still that connected to the Space Stone where, right. you know, like, Magneto fighting Wolverine, basically, he could just manipulate her whole body because that's where, you know, he controls where her power source is from. Well, um, did the Stones choose their war? Did the, like, it felt like the Stone chose her, right? Like, the Stone chose her. Like, they didn't expect, like, her to live after that blast because they were going over there looking for the body. And they were, yeah, they were exactly. shocked that she was still moving. Like, Minerva said, kill Carol, like, kill her. And he's like, no, like, let's, let's, you know, Jan Rog is like, let's see how this plays out, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. And she's still alive. So. Did the stone choose her? Did the, did the mind stone choose vision? Did the, you know, and did, uh, you know, hell, the Aether even like let, uh, you know, uh, Jane Foster live. And uh, we've seen like these stones like power some people um in the in the marvel universe marvel cinematic universe it's 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 odd i don't know it feels like does it feel like the stones maybe possibly are kind of like working against thanos here yeah i was gonna say i think the stones definitely have at least some semblance of like you know sentience like they're they're not just objects they definitely you know are more than that they're these mythical powered things so i i think that's not too far-fetched that they are also guiding their own fate as in any way they possibly can Uh, like the power stone and the guardians like it let Quill and the other guardians like harness its power to defeat ronan yeah it totally did and you know and a lot of the you know we did find out in guardians of the galaxy volume two that the only reason that quill was able to kind of like survive was because he was you know half celestial but um still i mean it still doesn't discount the point that you just made june because like the it, the power stone was used to defeat Ronan, right? I mean, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, so it feels like yeah. these stones, in a way, have kind of like chosen their chosen different moments through heroes to win some battles, right? I mean, yeah, they've done their best right. to stay safe, right? It's not like the Tesseract chose Red Skull and gave him the powers of Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. That did not happen, you know. And he was in direct contact with the Tresseract. Loki had it too, and Loki didn't get those powers either. Didn't Loki have the Mind Stone? Loki, Loki no, no, Tesseract. He also had the. In, in, yes, he had two stones at different times. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's see here. But the the Avengers that we see at the end of the trailer walking together in uh, in that hangar, uh, we see Steve Rogers, Ant Man, Hawkeye, Nebula, War Machine, Black Widow who has red hair in this shot, uh, and then Tony Stark. So <laughs> Tony makes it back with Nebula somehow, if we're to believe this shot. So we're going to get to see how Tony and Cap resolve their differences since Civil War. Um, so why is Tony here in this shot, but he's not in the footage that was shown to the Disney shareholders a couple weeks ago? Like, you know, Nebula shows up and she's talking with Cap, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, War Machine, and Banner in that footage but tony isn't there i think that this is the one shot that could be uh more russo brothers misdirection this is the fake walking shot of this movie yes this that is, makes sense yes this is the uh thor's got both eyes this is you know 
So I don't we're know. Charging into a battle, but we're just showing you this to get you excited because we can't show you the real thing. Right. Right. But isn't this the the same scene in the first trailer though, where you didn't have certain characters? Like it's the same sort of like they're walking through the hangar in the suits, right? Mm-hmm. Like, didn't we see that? But but then there are certain people who aren't in it the first time around. Yes, yeah, so th- th- you had more of a sun kind of glare, you know, like a, yeah. So you couldn't really, yeah. I I don't know if it's the exact same shot, but it could be. Because it's hard to make out like what they're all wearing in that shot, so I don't know. Yeah, I'd have so, to look. I'd have to look at them side by side. This is completely off topic, but these suits always remind me of the uh, like Fantastic Four white suits for some reason. It always gets me in that mindset every time I see them. Yeah, yeah. It was originally just concept art, and it was supposed to actually. These suits were actually supposed to be introduced, I believe, uh, in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, and I think Hank Pym was going to be wearing one at one time. And then they pulled that concept art back, didn't use it in the movie, and they just threw it into this film. Yeah, makes sense. You don't want one technology to kind of override the other technology. You need all this the science to sync between the movies. So that was probably a smart move. Notice here that Michael hasn't said anything in at least an hour. <laughs> I, I forgot Michael was here. Yeah. I thought he got dusted. <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm just uh, waiting for a good time to jump in. I... Uh... Yeah, I'm listening to what you guys are saying. I'm liking it, and pretty much I agree with everything, so I don't want to, like, double down and say what you already said. So, All right, thanks, Michael. You can mute yourself again, buddy. Um. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, notice in this shot of them all walking, we got no Thor. We've got no rocket. So... Where are they? Are they on that? Are they on a mission together? Like like the shots that we saw in the Super Bowl trailer, the shot of Rocket opening that door of the cabin out there in the country uh, as Thor, you know, uh, with him. Are, are, is that where they're at? And um, I also want to point out that we've literally in none of these trailers had any signs of uh, what's going on in Wakanda at all. No, no, nothing we, like Shuri. We don't know. Like, that's one of these things like we we've been speculating and theorizing and all this stuff. And not once have we talked about like how Wakanda is going to come into play and that you can't tell me that Wakanda is not going to come into play at all in this oh. movie. Do you guys think that maybe that decrepit wasteland that Nebula and Tony landed back on was like a really damaged Wakanda? No, I don't. Yeah, that's too much. That's too much damage for them to come back in a couple of years with Black Panther 2, I would think. I don't, I don't think they would do that to Wakanda like that right away. No, I, yeah. I, I don't think we're looking at Wakanda there. I've got it. I've got it narrowed down to two possibilities. Yeah, I don't think Thanos has beef with Wakanda like that. It was just where everyone was. He, he's not about destroying the city. Yeah. Um, we got it. the trailer ends with uh, the scene that we uh, talked about uh, during our Captain Marvel review that was uh, previously shown to the Disney shareholders. They saw more, but we got to see this snippet. Uh, it's where Thor walks into a room at the Avengers uh, headquarters with Black Widow and Rhodey, and he walks up to Captain Marvel, extends his arm, basically calling out to Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker goes whizzing past Captain Marvel, 
into Thor's hand. She glances at it. She doesn't flinch at all. And Thor looks at her and says, I like this one. Um, and the internet blew up and everyone is wanting these two to get together <laughs> now. So <laughs> what do you yeah, think? It doesn't what, take why? much for us to start shipping, does it? No. What are the, what are the chances, though? I think it's great. They would be oh, the I most love it. epic children of all time. Oh, my God. They'd be the most beautiful children ever. Ah, Thorful. Like, so okay so my husband okay we we saw captain marvel you uh-huh. know what like five days before this trailer got dropped mm-hmm. we're watching the trailer and at the very end that whole thing with thor and captain marvel my husband at the end of it he was like who was that and i was like what we just saw the fucking movie like five <laughs> days ago and he was like oh oh my oh, gosh she's in this too and i went oh my god honey i love this man more than anything in the world but he just doesn't care about this stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is why I have you guys. But, yeah, but yeah. I just remember being like, we just saw this movie. Like, just saw it. Yeah. Had no idea that that was Captain Marvel. I feel I like. I mean, she's older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's old. Well, I mean, her hair is different. I mean, the, I think uh, the, uh, you know, I think the powers of the uh, Space Stone have kept her young. So. Um, yeah. Uh, notice here in this shot that Black, Black Widow has her hair completely blonde. So I believe like this is like, you know, very early on and uh, before a time jump. Um, I, here's a question for you. When the Avengers go back. Here we go. I'm skipping. I'm skipping around. I got other stuff that I want to talk about with this trailer and more theories that I want to talk about. But Here's something I want to talk about. When the Avengers like we know there's there's a there's a spoiler, like a leak leaked pictures of the Avengers going back in time to the Battle of New York. Is there a chance that Thor could get back Mjolnir? Uh, definitely, I would say. I, I, I see that as a high possibility. It's such an iconic like thing from the Thor mythology. What if there's, Jake, what if there's two Thors? Two Thors. Hold on. Two Thors. Two Thors, because he's going back in the past. Like Thor, Thor now goes back to the Battle of New York. Let, if this, if he does, I haven't seen him in any of those shots. I've seen Cap, Tony, Ant Man in those shots. But let's say Thor goes back there, and it's Loki and the Chitari and the Battle of New York and all that stuff. Let's say Thor goes back there. Our Thor, like post Ragnarok, Thor goes post Infinity War, Thor, who's now got Stormbreaker. What if both Thors call for <laughs> Mjolnir at the same time? <laughs> who does it go to? Splits in half. Who does it go to? Who does it go to? Splits in half. That's so much ego. Oh, I got two Thors in one place. That's just so much ego. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great on the screen. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like that, that that question's driving me crazy. It's also so part of me like wants to see like old Thor get Mjolnir back and like you know like I mean yeah by old Thor. Part of me wants to see end game. Part of me wants to see end game Thor get Mjolnir back and Avengers Thor get Stormbreaker. Oh, I like that. Where you you give the past guy the new thing, and yeah. you give the current guy his classic thing. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. I also wanted to point out uh, that the poster uh, that we got um, the new poster it did include Benedict Wong. Uh, they finally added uh, Denai Guerrera. Um, she wasn't on the poster at first. Um, 
and it also had John Favreau. So we'll get Wong, Okoye, and Happy Hogan in the film. So Wong is coming back, Jake. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw that. That was kind of weird that they had her image on the poster but didn't include her uh, her name. What about that theory of Wong? Because we know that the only the, – the ways to enter the quantum realm are either through a vortex – uh, by no, by by shrinking down to quantum, like Ant Man, sh- shrinking down and going and going uh, quantum, or however you know how do how do they say that? Is that what they say, Jake? They go qu- into the you just shrink down so small that you go into the quantum realm. Enter the quantum reality. Enter the quantum realm. Yeah, subatomic. Okay. Subatomic. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Um, yeah, you, you shrink down and you go subatomic. That's one way to enter the quantum realm. The other way to enter the quantum realm is through use of a sling ring, which we saw introduced into Doctor Strange. Because when the ancient run, well, ancient one taps Doctor Strange, she sends him through basically a bunch of different dimensions. And one of the dimensions that she sends him in, and this was confirmed by Scott Derrickson and Kevin Feige, was the quantum realm. So, could Wong ring, huh? go to the MCU Wiki fandom page? Um, oh, I believe you. I, I, I just... Yeah, yeah. You can get there through the use of a sling ring, dude. So, could <laughs> Wong... Is that why... Because could that be why Wong is in this movie? Could Wong... Could, could Wong somehow be helping them get into the quantum realm or something? I mean, could, could Wong have knowledge of the time vortexes and how to navigate through them? Yeah, I mean, Wong does seem very knowledged in that kind of stuff, right? I mean, he's in the library most of the time. He's read through all those books, right? Yeah, you almost think he probably knows more than Doctor Strange in, in some aspects of it. Sure. And he's a master, too. Like he's considered to be a master, right, of the mystical arts, like <sighs> Doctor Strange is? I think, yeah, I would put him up there. I, he's not Source to Supreme, but I think he's a master in the mystical, of arts, uh, mystical arts because I think, like, he could con- I think he could control the Eye of Agamotto if he really had to and not put everybody in a fucking time loop, right? So wouldn't, wouldn't Thanos be coming after him in one of the potential time loops to try to get him to activate it the correct way? Mm, that's yeah i mean there might be a point if that is a theory that 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 makes sense that he would kind of like go after wong and kind of like tell him to like fix this but i don't know if we're going to see that scene in the movie i don't think that they want to reveal to us that thanos is tucking it i think they want us to be confused in this movie and see a bunch of things happening and we not understand why it's happening until like the end of the movie like we didn't realize that like we're jumping in and out of time and all these different battles that are happening are because thanos is in a time loop but i could be wrong it could be one of those things like where they figure it out once scott gets there and scott's like yeah thanos is going to be stuck in this time loop and going through this over and over and over again and unbeknownst to him we're going to be going through the quantum realm where he can't detect us. His stones have no power there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some kind of camouflage or like there's just no like drama, right? There has to be some way to hide or conceal. Right. Or- yeah, yeah. Um, there's also a theory, and I would get into this, that the final battle will be on Xandar. Um, this was the planet from Guardians of the Galaxy where the Nova Corps were stationed. Um and it does tie in with the toy set. Um, I'll talk about the toy set later, but 
theory comes from Reddit user W2AMIT, W2AMIT. Um, and it goes on to say, the key to the endgame plot lies with how Thanos got the Power Stone, which was completely skipped in Infinity War. The Infinity War movie was so long, they could have easily added 20 seconds of Thanos blasting Xandar, but they did not because that's where they wanted to twist and expand on the plot for Endgame. One small hint is given to us with the color of the Avengers title for Endgame. Purple, the color of the Power Stone. Title colors for the other films, the Avengers 2012 was white, Avengers Age of Ultron uh, was red, Avengers Infinity War was golden and yellow, Final Fight was for the yellow Mind Stone, um, Avengers Endgame, purple. Uh, with so many time travel theories flying around, it won't surprise that time travel happens, but how and when do the Avengers reverse the whole process? They will be at the point and place where Thanos tries to get the first stone. Xandar will be the center of everything, and the Avengers who acquire the powers... See, I don't know if I believe this one or not, Jake, because if they're going back to the Battle of New York, like, why would they have to... Why would would they learn from that and then be like, no, we have to go back to where the first stone was acquired? And this would yeah. be this would be a set piece that we haven't seen before, because like going back to Titan just seems like a repeat of the first film. I feel like that's a little bit reading too into the logo, too. I, I think it's just simply trying to mimic Thanos's color scheme. Honestly, I mean, especially the way it kind of tints the gold in it and everything. Golden yellow. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron was red. And wasn't uh, Ultron's eyes glowing red? Yes. And white. Yeah. White would be for like the, not the. Tesseract. Would it be for the, well, the Tesseract's blue and white, I suppose. That'd be really cool if they had that much foresight and the colors of each individual Avengers movie like yeah. dealt with the stone. But honestly, I think it's just simply to mimic Thanos with yeah. that new logo. At least that's what I took from it. Um, I won't read the rest of this theory, but I will talk about the toy leak. And the toy leak is not Lego. Some people have been saying that it's Lego. It's not Lego. So take this one with a huge grain of salt. This is a Lego knockoff from another country. But um, it is a legit toy. And um, the leak details behind this set, I'm going to read this from BGR.com. The gist of it is that Thanos is on Xandar with his Black Order and the Chitauri. And he is fighting two battles where he appears to be winning. The Chitauri are beating the Xandarians just as Thanos and his Black Order are delivering a beating to the Avengers. That's when the tables turn. Captain America and Iron Man regroup, and Steve tells Tony that they're not going to win this battle. Tony says, what do you propose we do because we're out of time and down to the wire? Captain America replies, we should cut the wire. Right as Steve says this to Tony, Thanos shows up right in front of the Iron Man uh, while his helmet forms around his head, And Captain America lifts up his shield, but then we see Captain Marvel fly in and punch Thanos in the face with an energy blast that sends him flying. Captain Marvel then gives Tony... Hold on, I'll read the rest of this. Isn't that something from the first Avengers movie when Captain America and Tony first meet? Don't they talk about cutting the wire? 
Oh, man. Yeah, that does sound familiar. Let me do some Googling. Sure. I'll continue with the rest of this description, unless you want me to pause so you can hear this, Jake. No, go ahead. I I can do both. All right. Captain Marvel then gives Tony a metal case that contains the Power Stone in it. Tony immediately gives it to War Machine, and Rhodey puts the case into a huge device. Then there's a huge blast that takes up the entire screen and ends the scene. So that's basically how BGR.com says, like, this scene will play out if this uh, knockoff toy set is legit. I don't know. That'd be exciting. Nonetheless. I kind of see them doing that. I think they have to address. Like, I think so many people are like, oh, well, Captain Marvel's just going to go and kick Thanos' ass, and that's the end. That I, I think the Russos are too smart to not address that. Which makes me kind of think that this may be plausible, that this may happen. I do see a scene where we're going to see Captain Marvel go all out on Thanos. Well, yeah, this is supposed to be... But, Jake, like, this toy leak that I just described, this is basically them, BGR.com, saying, like, this is the final battle in the movie. Like, this is the final battle in the movie. I don't know if I buy this one or not. I think at the beginning of the movie that we could see this scene where Captain Marvel kicks his ass. And the reason that that doesn't end the movie is because of the time loop. Like, it's just like, it's like, it's the, you know, and then time resets itself in the time loop and we're at the beginning. So maybe that's why in the third act of this movie, Captain Marvel doesn't show up possibly because she's the one that's charging the quantum tunnel and helping them get through the missions. She's basically the battery for this mission. She's the space stone that's kind of like charging the quantum tunnel and getting them to where they need to be and avoiding the whole like the danger of the time vortexes and getting lost in the time vortexes. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that makes sense. I like the idea of that, too. That kind of answers the question, too. Well, it's like, well, yes, you're right. Captain Marvel would just kick Thanos' ass. But none of that fucking matters because it just makes the time loop go over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Like, she could kick and his that, ass every time. But, like, we need to have her we need to have her hang back and power this quantum tunnel with the space stone so we can actually get to where we need to go. I don't know. Yeah, it's not solving the problem. The, who wins in this fight isn't bringing anyone back to life. It's, right. it's just kind of a, you know, it's fix a flat on the tire. It's not actually getting a new tire. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, at the beginning of the movie, well, okay, at the, at the footage that they showed at the Disney shareholders meeting, she's basically, here we go, here we go. I'll, I'll read this for the people that didn't. Here we go. I'm going to read this, and I got this from Slash Film. Um, the Avengers Endgame footage shown to Disney shareholders uh, sounds like it wasn't really a trailer, but more so a couple of scenes spliced together. But it gives us an idea of what the Avengers are doing with their new cosmic ally, and it answers some questions while also raising more. Uh, the first scene shown took place at the Avengers headquarters in upstate New York. Captain Marvel is with all the surviving members of the team after the mighty snap of Thanos. Nebula is there too, but for some reason Tony Stark isn't. It's unclear why she would be there without Tony Stark since they were stranded on the Benatar together. We're also not sure how Captain Marvel is already comfortable enough with the Avengers to be at their headquarters, but that's probably something that will be explained in one of the two Captain Marvel credit scenes. And it was. We saw that in the mid-credits scene. Anyway, Captain Marvel is ready to go kill Thanos, and Nebula thinks she knows where the Mad Titan will be. She refers to a place called the Garden. 
the farm where we saw Thanos retire to after carrying out his deed at the Avengers Infinity War. Um, the prospect of a rematch in dis- is discussed between Captain Marvel, Black Widow, War Machine, and Captain, Mar- uh, Captain Marvel. And Bruce Banner smartly asks, how will this be different? Captain Marvel confidently says that they have her this time. If Captain Marvel is so powerful that she'll make it easy to defeat Thanos this time, then where was she when Earth needed her help before? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, anyway, then we get the scene of Thor uh, saying, I like this one. The next scene shows everybody on the Benatar buckled in and ready to go kill Thanos. Rocket Raccoon asks if there's anyone who hasn't been to space. Captain America, Black Widow, and War Machine all raise their hands. Uh, Bruce Banner isn't with them. And Rocket just tells them not to puke on the ship as the ship takes off. <laughs> Uh, the camera moves in on Captain America's eyes, reflecting the stars of space as they head off to get their revenge. Uh, curiously, Ant-Man and Iron Man are not with the team. The former popped up at the end of the Avengers Endgame teaser, uh, and the latter was marooned in space with Nebula. So it sounds like maybe that that Avengers compound battle with Thanos, possibly it's Ant-Man and whoever, like, and Hulk, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of I, I can see Hulk playing a big part in the final battle against Thanos. I, I think um, story wise, you want to give him redemption since he got so pumped out in the last movie. Well, think about this. So, like, okay, the Avengers get on the ship with Rocket, Captain America, Black Widow, War Machine. They get on the ship. Uh, possibly Nebula. It's she's not mentioned there, but she's possibly there on the ship with them. They're flying to the Garden. They're going to the Garden to kick Thanos's ass with oh, with Captain Marvel. <laughs> But Thanos, Thanos shows up to Avengers compound to kill all them. So while they're yeah. off, while they're off trying to go find Thanos, Thanos shows up to Avengers compound and just destroys it. Right. And yeah, because all their big guns are gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it would only be Tony, Ant-Man and Hulk left. But Hawkeye could possibly be there if he sticks around. I don't know. I Oh, I, this the, the trailers are driving me nuts, guys. These trailers are driving me. All this misdirection is driving me nuts. It's I can't wait, guys. We're gonna see this movie in a in about five weeks. In about five yeah, weeks, it's, it's gonna come quick. I mean, time flies by so fast. Here's the uh, dialogue so from Avengers One about the wire. By the way, okay. Uh, Steve Rogers says to Tony, I know guys with none of that worth 10 of you. I've seen the footage. The only thing you really fight for is yourself. You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play, to lay down in the wire and let the other guy crawl over you. And then Tony says, of course, I think I would just cut the wire. Ah, okay. So like in this scene that I described, uh, Tony says, what do you propose we do because we're out of time and down to the wire? Captain America replies, we should cut the wire. It's Cap yeah. saying it this I time. I think Cap's being a smart ass here. <laughs> oh, man. I don't... Um, Cap's next in the Avengers movie, Cap, after he says that, is like, well, always a way out. You know, you may not be a threat, but you better stop pretending to be a hero. <sighs> so, yeah, there's some heated stuff between Cap and Iron Man, and I think it's definitely a little bit of uh, a joke from cap um these kind of jokes make me think that steve and tony may not have 100 percent patched up their friendship yet though i think it'll happen in this movie and i, I think oh, i think it will too but it, it definitely is not gonna they're gonna meet hug and cry it out and be best friends again i think that's gonna be a developing storyline throughout the whole movie and i, I agree too be. no i'm saying i like, think it's i think like in sorry. the i think no you're fine i want to hear your thoughts here in a second i just want i think that they're gonna a lot of times like friendships are formed by, you know, like guys in the military, like when they're fighting on the field 
And I think like that's what's going to happen here. There'll be brothers in arms in this final battle, whatever it may be, wherever it might take place. I agree. I think they're still going to be bickering up to this final battle, though. And just like you're saying, I think that final battle is going to make them realize how pointless the bickering is and, you know, that they truly do care for each other and their friends. Mm hmm. What are you saying, June? No, I was agreeing with Jake, though. Like, I think that when Tony finally gets, you know, back from space and he sees Captain America, I think it is going to be one of those because, you know what, we have a huge problem right now that we have to work together to get through it. So it's going to be one of those, like, quickly, like, hey, let's just put our bullshit aside for a second. Mm -hmm. But because, you know, human nature, you can rationally think in your head yes we need to put aside our bickering or put aside our differences for this bigger thing going on but human nature you can't help it you start getting involved and working together those things are going to come up and those issues are going to rise to the surface and they'll bicker so i totally agree with jake that i think it's going to be an ongoing thing throughout the movie mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and that's just good storytelling too you want to see this stuff develop during the action you, you don't, never want to time out to develop things oh, i mean yeah Hell, I mean, last movie, Tony couldn't even call him on the cell phone. It, it, it was Bruce that called him. I don't think they're going to, like, meet each other and, like, hug each other, hug it out. I mean, they were kicking, they, they were fighting each other the last time that we saw them together. Um, you know, Tony. That was a brutal fight, too. <laughs> I mean, for all we know, Tony has his, his, has his shield. He doesn't want his father's, the, the shield that his father made to be, you know, used by this guy anymore. Like, look at this, this, the, uh, the anger and it runs deep between these two. They're both really upset. They, you know, because at one time, I mean, they started off not liking each other. Then they, then they became friends. And then, you know, like when you, when you're friends almost to the point where you're like brothers and you've, and then you get into an argument, it hurts that much deeper. So I don't think it's going to be, definitely it's not going to be something that they resolve within the first 20 minutes of this movie. You got to keep that drama pushing this movie forward. Plus, I think they're going to have problems all the way through, like, until the last battle, until one, until it's almost too late, until one of them gets hurt so bad, and then they realize, like, how how severe the situation is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say the same. I potentially there's a chance that they won't completely resolve it before one of these two characters passes away. Right, and I mean, and that's just good storytelling. Like, it's you don't want everything tied into a bow. Like, you want one of these two characters to have those regrets. Yeah, but it, does that mean like well, most people have been speculating that both of these characters will die? I'm not buying that, really. I, I don't I don't think they can do that. I think it's a disservice to one or the other if they both die. So it's one or the other here. I'm, I'm almost like 100 percent on that. OK, so Tony dies and then Cap, like a lot of people are saying, Cap goes back into the past to spend out the rest of his days, you know, in the past uh, with Peggy Carter. Not not by choice, but. They kind of like do a they once they get all the stones back and they're in control of the stones. Maybe we'll see the formation of the Illuminati here and they use the mind stone to wipe out his memory. And then they use the time stone to just send him back with Peggy. I see. I don't buy that either. Like that just seems. And if that is what happens, that's not going to be a permanent fixture. Like eventually caps cap wouldn't do that. He's not going to go live some fantasy life while there's things no, no, no. that need to be I done. Just to- I told know. you, I just told you, Jake, that they oh, would yeah, use yeah. the Mind Stone to wipe his mind. They did They did this in the comic books. Hickman, when Hickman was writing for the Avengers titles, he basically wrote their, the Illuminati were – he didn't agree with like some of the decisions that they were doing. So they wiped his mind that they yeah, were – I remember th- that. Yeah. 
So, but even in that storyline, eventually that seeped back out. Well, that's that's comic book movies, and yeah, the, yeah, so then yeah, we'll deal yeah, with that yeah. later in a future film. But for now, he's back in the past with Peggy. Yeah, that that's kind of the point I'm making. That it won't be a permanent fixture. It's comic book stuff. Sure, and eventually Cap yeah. will come back through. But I don't know. I just the more and more I've let the who's going to die stuff kind of like seep into my brain the more i think it's a disservice to the whole thing if you like some supporting characters are probably going to die yes but when it, when it comes to the big three i don't think you can kill off more than one without selling short another death if, like, if, if, if it's, it's up to me to if it's up to me tony lives and cap gets sent in the back into the past if one of them has to go somewhere um that's send cat back into the past. And if somebody has to die, it'll be Scarlet witch because they're doing a Scarlet witch prequel. And it just kind of makes sense that Scarlet witch would die. Maybe Clint dies because, you know, I can't see him doing anything more with Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye after this. Um, yeah. I've heard a lot of Iron Man's going to retire theories, and I find that to be incredibly stupid, um, especially since they've already kind of played that card. Like I don't want, and you know, he played that card and it didn't hold through. So I yeah. don't, it just feels like a rerun to me. Like, I don't want to see the end of Iron Man 3 again. The silliest shit that I fucking heard is because we didn't see Tony in the Spider-Man uh, Far From Home trailer that he's dead. It's like, why would they show him in that trailer to give it away that he's alive? Yeah, that makes no sense. Like, to me, the crux of who's going to die is definitely on the big three, the Cap, the Thor, the Iron Man. So they're holding that. They're not showing any of that. Why would they show? Why would they show any of those guys? Like <sighs> the ink, like the inkling of them being alive in a far from home trailer. To give that away, they want to keep the suspense. <laughs> and people, you know, <laughs> I don't know. All right, I that's it. That is the Avengers Endgame trailer breakdown, and it only took us like an hour and a half to an hour and forty five minutes. I'm impressed. Yeah, you were basically riding the money on how long this was going to take. I told you, man. I knew it was going to take a long time. Oh, I knew too. There's so much to unpack. Um, I know we 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 said we weren't going to like rate the trailer. Yeah. Um, I, I got to say though, this thing's a Tupperware. This is the the kind of trailer that I've been waiting for for like the last 15 years of my life. Like, finally, a studio has the balls to know that the movie's going to sell tickets without showing every action set piece i mean how far removed are we from the age of ultron promotion that we saw when that uh, came out and i just uh, applaud the russo brothers yeah. applaud everyone behind that decision um this is just a master stroke of promotion in my opinion well, did you absolutely hear- it brings tears to my eyes one of the producers came out and says that they hope that there's no more trailers released like i hope that if we do Get more trailers like TV spots, 30 second TV spots. They're just using footage that we've already seen. Honestly, it, it, it would piss me off if it's anything more than that. It would go against everything that they've kind of just so perfectly set up from all the since the promotion for this movie started. Yeah, I've, I don't think I can think of a movie that, in my opinion, has been better promoted than this movie. It's like, shut up. You know, you're going to get your toy money. You know, people are going to be buying the figures, the quantum room, the quantum realm suits. You know, people are going to be buying those. You know, the Quantum Realm uh, Hot Toys figures, like those expensive figures, you know, those are going to be selling. You know, you're going to sell them. I mean, people are going to be buying this stuff. Okay? I mean, you've got two War Machine suits in this one. Like, don't worry about the fucking toys. You're going to get your toy money. That's going to happen. Yeah. I, you know, the comp, I, I just applaud the confidence so much. And thank you to the executives that, you know, back the Russos and the people making this movie and not allowing to them to just 
blow this thing up and clips on TV and in movies so far. It's just fantastic. I, I yeah. never thought we'd ever even – I kind of thought this kind of thing would just get worse and worse from Age of Ultron, well, see, the, the thing for me though, Jake, is like I don't think we're out of the woods yet, dude. I mean, li- dude, like we just are one week removed from Captain Marvel. That's been their focus for the most part is Captain Marvel. That's why this trailer got released now, a week after Captain Marvel. They would not have done this the, the, the weekend of Captain Marvel. They wanted to give – you know, they wanted to give it a week because, you know, um, to give it a little bit more time. And now that I think once Captain Marvel is out there, maybe another week or two, like that's what we got to worry about now. We got to worry about the TV spots because like, dude, even with even with even with Lucasfilm, which is also owned by Disney, man, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, those TV spots showed a lot of unseen footage that were in the other two to three trailers. Yeah, it's scary. I was going to bring up the Star Wars fact of it all, too. And and you're right. You just get to the point where it's like, we don't need to see all the 10-second gags and all the 15-second moments, and Mm -hmm. especially with just how beautiful the edit's been so far. Well, shit, man. It's like, uh, here we are. Like, you know, I know, like, there's like a whole TV spot that showed like a lot of new footage with Finn and Poe. Hell, they had like on Disney XD, they had like a show where they did like a behind the scenes thing and they showed extra scenes for, you know, some of these Star Wars movies on there. Like get a behind the scenes look of like the characters that you're going to get in uh, Han Solo and stuff like that. You know, oh, so yeah. me and you were I, I remember for Force Awakens, me and you were obsessive with just yes. every little fucking clip. we Everything. Could get. And it. It kind of ruined the experience in some ways, and I think we kind of backed off of that a bit with Last Jedi. Yeah, with I, I, for me, I, honestly, the more information that I get from any Star Wars kind of like enhances it for me. To be quite honest with you, I, I feel I, like we kind of backed away from the TV spots after Force Awakens. Oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I did. It wasn't really given information. It was just like the joke lines and stuff, and it's like sure. okay, okay. But I loved like the Force Awakens, kind of like the. I love finding out anything new about that movie. And I think like going into the theater, knowing what we knew going into the theater experience was just like, I, for me, it was more fun having some of those spoilers. Cause like I knew it was coming and some of the, and some of it, like I didn't know that I thought might be coming, but wasn't a hundred percent sure it was coming. It just kind of helped me understand the story a little no, bit easier. I'm on the same time. page yeah. in the star Wars spoilers yeah. with you. If I could read the screenplay before I saw the movie, I would, I would too. Star Wars. <laughs> I would too, and, uh, and, and I would. I wouldn't even consider doing that with Endgame. No, like, oh no, no. It. I, I, you know, it, I will speculate all day, and I'll come out here and theorize, and I will have theories that contradict other theories that I've already brought up, and I know I've done that tonight. But like, that's the thing. It's like with Endgame, when I do go into this movie, like I, I, I want to be unspoiled. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's so weird how the difference is between because I know I would because with the prequels, all three books came out before the movie. Yeah, I, I read all three. I'll be honest with you. Like, and I tried this as an experiment. I watched the first Spider-Man Homecoming trailer and I said, after this, I'm not going to watch any more trailers because like, you know, because a lot of people say that, like, I wish I wouldn't have been spoiled on this. It would have made the movie better for me. Blah, 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 blah. And by the time I saw Spider-Man Homecoming, because I had avoided all the TV spots in the second and third trailers, it didn't help me, Jake. It didn't it didn't do a thing for me. It literally did nothing for me. I still gave that at the end of the day. I still gave that movie the same rating. So that's true. It wasn't because you didn't see all this stuff. Yeah. You were like, wow, I was so excited. Exactly. 
So yeah, and I, I think with the Marvel movies, I honestly I think the last couple of movies, the trailers have really enhanced the product, and you're missing out if you're being averse to these trailers. Yeah, here. I mean yeah. they're they're making these trailers for the people that used to hate trailers. Dude, it's it's part of it's part of being involved in this culture too, right? Like knowing what's going on, like being able to talk about these things. Be, part of the fun is actually like watching these trailers and speculating along with your friends, reading the theories online. That's part of this experience, and I think like if you kind of like say like no i, I want to go in unspoiled i don't want to know any of this stuff it's like i think you're kind of, and what's crazy about this jake though is for the most part most of the fandom whether they've not watched the trailers or at all or or watched all the trailers coming out of these movies they all seem to kind of enjoy them i mean they're making a shit fuck ton of money so i don't think it matters if you watch them or you don't i think if you don't watch them though you're missing out on the on on being a part of that fandom while it's going on I agree, and it, it, it's a thing that expires, right? You only get one chance exactly. to be part of that fandom, exactly. To be at the pulse and the center of the speculation, and I think people do a disservice to get scared of that kind of stuff. At least nowadays, dude, I missed out on the whole like, um, and I still haven't watched it. The whole Lost experience, like, I never like was on the message boards talking about what do you think, like the, this theory, that theory with Lost, and the same thing with Breaking Bad. Like, I wasn't watching it week to week and having those conversations at the water cooler, and I missed out on all that stuff but i i am i'll be damned if i miss out on any avengers endgame talk just so i can avoid a few spoilers and still knowing that i'm probably going to walk out of this movie with tears in my eyes and loving every bit of it so like yeah. I, I i co-sign what you're saying 100 percent. especially when we're not dealing with here's the entire biggest action set piece of the movie spread across three different <laughs> right here's here's not like you know uh three-fourths of the hulkbuster fight yeah, so oof, it's hard to believe that yeah. we've come so far. I'm so happy. Any final thoughts or predictions about the Avengers Endgame that I did not cover, guys, before we take a break? Nope. No, sir. All right, let's take a break, and we will be back with Good Pop, Bad Pop. Welcome back. It is now time for Good Pop, Bad Pop. It's time for more leftover reviews with Good Pop, Bad Pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things in the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things. And if this is your first time listening, we want you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. 
If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. I'm going to start off Good Pop, Bad Pop with a couple movies that I saw this week. Uh, first one I saw was Apollo 11. This is a uh, new documentary film uh, that was uh, edited, produced, and directed by Todd Douglas Miller. And it focuses on the 1969 Apollo 11 mission, uh, which was the first... Uh, uh, space flight to land men on the moon, uh, Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong. Uh, the film consists solely of archival footage, including 70 millimeter film that was previously unreleased to the public. This movie does not feature any narration or interviews. Uh, it's just 100% archival footage here. And um, it covers everything about Apollo 11 from the day of the launch. It actually shows like the uh, uh, the astronauts getting ready um, to go on the mission, um, and uh, and then even at the end, I mean, you see them returning back to Earth. It goes over everything, like day one to like the last day. Um, you see people like camped outside, and they're ready to watch the astronauts blast off into space. Uh, it's crazy. It's it's just. I mean, it, you're literally just kind of like watching a time capsule here. It's really cool. Um, you know, I was not a, I was not born at this time. I, I did not watch this on the on TV, and it's just really cool. You're seeing like, dude, you're seeing people like in the '60s just like camped out, and like, dude, it, it's crazy. It's so wild to watch this. Like some of this, like some of this footage I haven't seen. I've seen like like the most famous footage, and and but some of this footage I'd never seen, and they they show. Um, What's really cool about this, too, is, like, they're talking about them, you know, flying into space, like, what they're going to be doing and different maneuvers that they have to do. And they'll show these diagrams of how they want the flight to go and how they're going to maneuver the ship once they're in space. And it was really cool. It gave you a really good understanding of how these ships work and what they got to do here. You get conversations with Neil and and Buzz having conversations with Houston. Uh, Of course, you get to see them walking on the moon. You get to see things like them collecting the space rocks. And the moon, it's, it's gorgeous to look at. It's just, it's crazy. Um, all these craters and just, just how massive this thing is. You get to see them land, uh, and they're showing you like how many feet until they land. And you, and you, and then, you know, and then they, you see them kind of like blast off off of the moon as well. They play this electronic musical score and it gets intense at parts. Like this music gets really intense and it's like, and I loved it. I thought it was very cool. Like, you know, your heart's kind of racing here. Like, you know, you know how this is going to go. But it was really cool. It was really intense. And I found out that they only made they made this electronical musical score with instruments that were only available back during 1969 to kind of like give it that authenticity. That's um, awesome. Uh, they cleaned up the footage here. And the interviews, not interviews, but they cleaned up the footage and the um, the shots of like uh, Buzz and Neil, and it looks HD. It is incredible. Some of these shots in this are just incredible. It just looks like it looks high def. It's like how did they how did they up convert this so well? It looks beautiful. I thought this was fantastic. I, I think like if you're into the moon landing and and you want to see some of the uh, some scenes that you've never seen before. Um, I would highly recommend seeing this one. I did not get to see it in IMAX. It was not playing in IMAX here. It is an IMAX experience for some people, probably in larger cities, but I just got to see this in kind of like a, a regular theater that was digital. But I give it a Tupperware. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's just simply called Apollo 11. So I really enjoyed it. That's really cool that it didn't have any like narration or you know, uh-uh. 
like over speak or that, that sounds really amazing. People How long t- did you say the runtime was? Uh, this is a Ish. this was a little under two hours, I believe. Uh, maybe an hour and forty minutes. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, so it's got some link to it too. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there's no like narration or interviews or anything like that. But there there are people talking within it, and it's it's just footage. So um, the next movie that I wanted to talk about, I went and saw Captive State. Uh, marketing for this one was terrible. I, I think like I'll just start off by saying that marketing for this one was terrible. Um, I don't think they did a lot of it. Uh, until about a month before the movie came out, and not enough of it. And um, it's about an extraterrestrial uh, force occupies the world, enslaving humanity under the guise of peaceful unity. The film explores the lives of a Chicago neighborhood on both sides of the conflict, the collaborators, and the dissidents. It involves themes such as oppressive government, the public being lied to, and the way some rise up against it. Uh, the film follows the life of Chicago police officer William Mulligan, played by John Goodman in this movie. Uh, He's tasked with uniting the world against the extraterrestrial enemy. He recruits Gabriel Drummond. Uh, Ashton Sanders is the actor, and you'll remember him. He was in Moonlight. He was the second. um, That movie takes place in three different time periods, and he was the the second main character in Moonlight. Um, He plays the young son of a fallen soldier who joined a rebel group called Phoenix. Uh, This is written and directed by Rupert Wyatt, who directed the first of the Planet of the Apes reboot films, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and uh, recently just left that Halo Showtime series, if you remember. And he's, yes. he was also set to direct Gambit at one time, I believe. <laughs> one of many. Doug Lyman was, and so was Seth Graham Smith, I think. You know, I was thinking about the Halo movie, the, the Halo Showtime series, Jake. Yeah. You know, they got the new director and everything. Think about casting. Like, what if they, like, we just recently found out that Stephen Amell is leaving Arrow. Like, what if they cast, like, Stephen Amell? Stephen Amell in this. What if they, what if they cast, like, Charlie Cox, who's now out of a job? Because of Daredevil being canceled, like what if they cast those two guys? Like, don't I mean, you? Those seem like natural picks. Uh, that seems like great casting, doesn't it? Doesn't it think like you've already kind of got yourself like a fan base now too? Like you've got like you've you've snatched up a fan base now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You cast either of those guys, and you're having non-Halo fans tune in. Exactly. Thank you. It, it, it seems like a no-brainer. I don't think that, like, I'm, that's what I'm worried about with, like, this Halo series. Like, I think they'll get, like, a few big names in there. Uh, maybe. May, I don't know. I just don't want them to see, that like, their main guy being unknown. I think, like, if they, if they snatch up, like, a Stephen Amell, who's going to be out of a job here, because Arrow's going to be ending, and then, and then get, uh, and Charlie Cox, or, like, some of these guys that don't have a job, like, Finn Jones recently, you know, who was Iron Fist, recently got signed on to a series, I believe, on a network. So did Mike Coulter. Mike Coulter signed on to a series on a network. Like, both those guys got jobs now. I can't speak for Amel too much, really, though. I, I've never watched Arrow, and the only experiment, experience I have with him is his appearance on, like, wrestling shows. And his <laughs> acting seems pretty terrible on those. Did you watch him in the – well, I mean, you're not going to – Yeah. I don't <laughs> That's – I don't know. That's another thing that's altogether. That's not a good gauge. That's of... not a good gauge, yeah. What about – I'm just – I know it's not. I'm just – it's all the experience I have with the man. Yeah, I tur- – oh, he was in the Turtles movie, the – Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have he not played seen that either. The, Casey the Jones. One. Yeah, Casey Jones. But um, 
Anyway, you're I'm, right though that you can um you'll get like a good fan base, especially with Charlie Cox. Yeah. Though, like the, I don't want to say the sympathy factor. I just can't think of another phrase for it. But like people are rooting for him, right? Like his right. fans are rallying. Like you know you you hate that Daredevil out of nowhere just gets canceled, and yeah. he's been trying. Like he's been fighting for petitions, and he's been kind of holding on to this. So if he gets cast in this Halo show, you have like his devoted fan base who are even more supportive just because of how devastated he is. Yeah, and they don't want to see yeah. another project get canceled on the poor guy. Right. But I do agree. I, regardless of what I'm saying about a Mel, I, I think both both actors bring people to the table. Yeah, I'm not saying like a Mel's going to be winning an Emmy anytime soon. Don't get me wrong here. It's a, I yeah. think that he would fit in though. Like if you threw if you got to, if we got to see Stephen Amell playing like a space marine going around killing aliens and now being able to curse because he's on a Showtime network, I think that this could be something successful. And he's already got a fan base that's going to like move over and start getting Showtime subscription. And I'm this is this is just this is this is just me. This is just like me. And this is nobody's even said this. There's not even been an inkling of this being a rumor. This is just like Brian from PCL saying that's what I think Showtime should do here to get people pumped about this show. Honestly, Jake, I think like right now. People that view this – and I'm going to get back to the Captive State movie here in a second. <laughs> I think people that – we hear like Rupert Wyatt's going to be doing the Showtime series. And then all of a sudden like Rupert Wyatt comes out and leaves and then we get a statement recently of why he left and all – you know, it's like – he doesn't say creative differences. He says like I was never a fan of Halo and I, I've been working on the material and I realized like I wasn't the guy to be doing this. I don't think that's the case at all. I think like it came down to them not giving him the budget that he wants on this series and him saying like i don't think this is going to be successful so i'm going to bounce um and now they got this new director in there uh showrunner and uh i think like you know i that doesn't look good on this series i don't think people are excited about this anymore the way that they were when it was first announced i felt like there was more excitement behind it and like how do you get that excitement back you you cast guys that have been cast aside like Stephen amell and charlie cox and people will kind of rally around this show now because like now you've got two of your favorites uh fucking you, you got oliver queen and uh matt murdoch on a show together i'm in yeah yeah i agree i that's that's those guys are available it would definitely bring in audience yeah the, the halo tv show is a very interesting beast um yeah. interest has definitely waned i agree the rupert wyatt stuff didn't help right i think a lot of um, the before this show comes out kind of success and good word of mouth is going to rest on what we think of those first images, right? That's sure. going to mean a lot for this show. Like we're either going to laugh or love Master Chef, and I think that's Master Chef. Master <laughs> Chef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm a fan. Oh my gosh! Uh, Gordon Ramsay is going to be the next Master Chief. <laughs> I mean, that would get the... It's raw! (laughs) (laughs) I think this show's going to struggle for, you know, having a massive, you know, female viewer, so that would help with that. Jake, uh, me and you are not, definitely not going to be doing a Halo recap show with you calling him Master (laughs) Chef. (laughs) I mean, it's... uh, Video game fans are are super particular, Uh and... Whether or not they perceive this to look cheesy or cool yeah. is going to be a big factor in Dude, how excited people are going to get for this. You got to build a fucking warthog. Like, you have to build, like, you know, if you watch a Batman movie, 
You expect to see a badass Batmobile, right? Yeah, dude, exactly. a Melon Cox on the back of a warthog just gunning down aliens. I sign me up. Give me. I mean, one of the first images they have to show us a fucking like legit like working warthog. We have to get that. We have to get a warthog come to life. So, and <laughs> red versus blue. I love it when they call it a puma. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, let's see here. Like, I'll get back to captive state. Jesus Christ. I, I didn't mean to go off on that. I apologize. Um, uh, captive state. Yeah. Uh, aliens come down and uh, take over uh, the planet. So that's basic premise here of this film. And, and uh, Joe from the Supercast, he kind of like pointed out that this reminds him of uh, USA's Colony. And I, it did, it did it with me as well. But they basically, instead of giving us, you know, three seasons and a cancellation, they jam all this whole story into like a little under two hours here. Um, with this one, if you, if you're expecting to get like crazy action, if you're expecting like Independence Day, Will Smith, you know, chomping on a fucking cigar and punching aliens in the face, uh, this is not that movie. Um, I've had people tell me that they walked out of this movie, so. It's wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, if but a lot of this that is explored in the film is kind of like it's not like that Independence Day kind of thing. It's like, what if this really happened? Like, and, and it shows like that these aliens they came down, they defeated us, they took over the government, um, they started calling themselves legislators. Um, they 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 give more power to you know the rich and and politicians. And then there's even more of a gap between the poor and the rich. And the poor people are the ones that spark this resistance. You know, you've got former teachers and Marines and just regular people are the ones that are fighting in this war. And uh, it shows how we kind of like that's what I that's what I liked about this movie is it showed it did move slow at parts, but I, I kind of liked it because it was that build up and, and you got to see kind of like how we're getting around the aliens technology. The aliens have all this technology that they use to monitor us and keep us in check. Like they implant us with these bugs. They they track our movements. They have this facial recognition software in place. And, it, and, and we have to be extremely organized to not get caught. And you do see get people people get caught, you know, trying to get away with stuff in this movie. And it's scary. Like out of nowhere, like uh, vans pull up and these guys grab you and throw you into the van. Next thing you know, like they're they're shipping you off planet to a prison somewhere or killing you. You don't know. Um, so. In order to – they have to be really creative and like we're going – getting back to basics. We're getting back to non-technology things happening here. Like they're sending messages by use of carrier pigeons in this. And, you know, this is uh, – a lot of people are going to consider this movie very slow. And I think it's it's a build up to what I felt like was a very satisfying and rich sci-fi film that's diverse in its cast. And it, and it shows that anyone can do like their part when facing like this greater, you know, alien, uh, evil. And, um, I, I love this movie. I thought the acting was fantastic. John Goodman was great in it. Uh, I thought the aliens were scary. I loved how the aliens had no eyes. I always think that monsters with no eyes are just scarier in general, like the aliens from the alien film and uh, the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. Like, if it doesn't have eyes, it's pretty fucking creepy, right? Um, and uh, Quiet Place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Quiet Place. You know, I just, I loved seeing regular people just kind of like plan and try to outsmart these aliens instead of just like, 
you know, like I thought it was cool in War of the Worlds, like the original War of the Worlds where the aliens landed and then they contract the cold and they all end up dying. You know, it's just like the human cold kills them. But like when you've got, you know, M. Night Shyamalan basically doing, you know, uh, signs and that now he's like using water to kill them. Like that's weak. That's fucking weak. <laughs> yeah. And I thought like this was like taking out. This was that this was the movie that was eliminating the common cold being the killer, um, you know, the water being their weakness and saying, like, this is what humans have to do to actually beat the aliens. Like, like there's no there's no easy way out. You, like sneezing on them is not going to do it. You know, uh, you know, throwing some water in their face isn't going to you know, no swing away, Joaquin Phoenix. Like none of that shit's <laughs> happening here. And uh, I thought it was smart. I, I enjoy I enjoyed this movie and I give it a Tupperware. I, I, I thought that, yes, it was really? slow. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, this is not going to be for everybody. So to, like it's not going to be for everybody. It's, it's really not. But I, I, I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it's low budget. It's low budget sci fi. Some of the effects don't look great. Uh, I'll be honest with you. But I, I did enjoy it overall, and uh, you know I, I will probably watch this one again. I had a I had a good time with it, so I'll give it a Tupperware. I am gonna pass got, it off. Uh, Go it's ahead. Got Machine Gun Kelly in it. How was he? I don't even. Jake, I know he's a rapper. I couldn't even tell you what the guy looks like. I don't oh, know. Oh, he's got Machine Gun. He's he was in uh, Bird Box as well. Damn, his movie career is just skyrocketing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I don't listen to Machine Gun Kelly. I don't know what. I, I couldn't even tell you what the guy looks like. Machine Gun sounds like a 1920s gangster. Yeah, Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, that's, like, that's how he got his name. <laughs> so weird. get him, Dick Tracy. Yeah, Machine Gun. Yeah, he sounds like a Dick Tracy villain, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Jeez, Boy, part of Flat Tops Gang. Flat Tops Gang, and you know, well, who, who is Pacino in that? Uh, Mum- no, that was Hoffman. Hoffman was, was Mumbles. Mumbles. He was baby. Mumbles, yeah, Mumbles Wasn't Mumbles. he Big Boy Caprice? Yes, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Big. How did I remember? How did I pull that? I'm not drunk. That's why I pulled that one out. <laughs> nice, nice. I was thinking of Mr. Big. Mr. So I was, I was Mr. not quite there. Ah, Mr. Big was a uh, that was a '90s uh, hair metal band. Yeah. No, that was a song live in Peoria. Jeez. <laughs> 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 that me and my the love interest in Sex in the City. Me and my uh, my ex girlfriend when I was a kid. That was our song. That to be with you song. <laughs> oh God, that's so cheesy. Well, I knew it was that song because they, they have no other good song. They have no other good songs. It was like it was like, and you confuse them with Firehouse sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't know if like a Firehouse song was a Mr. Big song or vice versa. <laughs> Does the chorus have the word no? If it does, it's the Mr. Big song. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pass it off to one of you. Uh, I will pass it off to June. Okay. So um, I watched the uh, case against uh, Nan Syed, um, the four-part docuseries that aired on HBO last week. Um, Brian, I know you said you kind of got a couple minutes into it. Um, I don't know if Jake or Mike watched it. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm excited to see it. I, I was a big serial fan, and I, I just you, saw the commercial while watching John Oliver last week. Okay. Um, you saw it, Mike? Yep. Okay. And uh, did you also listen to Serial? Yes. Yeah. So I was obsessed with Serial. Like, I remember, I mean, I would wait every Thursday. Like, that was the number one. I mean, it, podcasts weren't as big as they are now, but, like, really, besides 
cereal and then pop culture leftovers. Like I've never actually sat around. A you week don't even have ha- now. You don't have to. You don't have to lump us <laughs> in mean, there just to make me feel good. No. Okay. I'm not. Kidding. I gotta like, stop. I, that's the first time anyone in one sentence has said cereal and pop culture leftovers. <laughs> Right? No, I'm no. sure I've said like I was listening to pop culture leftovers and eating Captain Crunch. Cereal. Yeah, that doesn't count. That too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but these are the only two podcasts where like every week, like I have to like I'm like I, you know on Mondays I'm waiting for you guys, you know I'm waiting for the new uh, PCL oh, episode. Yeah. Feverishly waiting for PCL. I do. Like, I look to it every Monday, and it's not just me. Why do you turn? Why do you turn my podcast into a den of lies? (laughs) Oh my god! Thank you, Mike. See, okay. So anyway, I would cereal though. Like it really, it was this like ten part documentary, and it was great. It told this great story about this case, and um, it really did. Like you sort of heard the term like armchair detective. And, like, everyone turned into, like, people who listened to this podcast. Like, they went on Reddit, and people were doing their own investigations. And even um, the woman, Rabia Chaudhry, who you see in the – she's one of the producers of the HBO documentary. Um, she was the one who actually contacted Sarah Koenig, the host of Serial. Um, she has her own podcast called Undisclosed um, with two other attorneys, and they delve into it a little bit more. But they were able to, like, uncover evidence. And it's kind of crazy how this has become like a phenomenon. Um, right now, I do Tupperware the first episode. Um, it doesn't tell you anything that new from the podcast. But what it really – what I think works so well with this documentary though is that it, it's visual. Like you see pictures of Hay. There's even some video footage of Heyman Lee. And you know you see pictures of Adnan and you see interviews with his parents and then of the friends and – there's like an emotional feeling coming from watching the documentary. Like when I listen to the podcast because it's auditory, you know, I'm a, I've been a paralegal for seven years. So like for me, like academically, my brain was like firing listening to Serial though. I didn't have as much of an emotional connection though to this story. Um, but watching the documentary, like being able to see the images and um, being able to see like the actual like interviews with people and it, it kind of brings a very emotional element to it. So I very much, if you are, if you are a fan of serial and you listen to it and you've been following the case of the not Syed, um, I definitely very much recommend watching the documentary. Um, now I mentioned this before we started recording though, um, right before the documentary premiered though, um, on HBO, there was a update in the actual case of a non Syed. He, had his conviction overturned last year and he was going to be granted a new trial. The state appealed that. And so on Friday, right before, like two days before HBO premiered this documentary, the Maryland Court of Appeals overturned that decision. So now his conviction is reinstated and he is not getting a new trial. Hmm. But that still shouldn't deter you from watching this documentary, though. Hmm. That's unfortunate. I mean, it was the power of serial that help you know kind of catapult that in the first place so maybe if this new hbo show is just as popular maybe he can have another shot at it yeah um i mean uh it's just it really it sucks so much like when i because i the court opinion is 92 pages long so if you're a nerd like me and you like reading court opinions um you should it's bit available online um but to me it just doesn't make i don't agree with it i don't agree with the, the way they interpreted the law 
and that's just my opinion of it. But yeah, so um, some people might be deterred from watching the documentary because you're like, oh, well, what's the point now? He's not getting a new trial. I still think that it's worth watching. So. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's worth watching because there's still a lot of compelling stuff. Like there's compelling evidence that really like seems that this guy is truly innocent and he's locked up and he's not going to get a chance to redeem himself and get out of prison. And uh, if you watch, well, if you have the time, listen to the podcast, but watch the series and just take in what this guy has to say and listen to the facts and look at the facts because I don't know. It's truly unfortunate because I thought he was going to have another trial and I truly thought he was going to get a reverse and get released. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, I think even still with this unfortunate recent opinion, this is a very good example of showing how this is a, to me, a very good, a prime example of how the criminal justice system can fail. I mean, the prosecution in this case, like, honestly, they did not have enough evidence to actually, I mean, I I do not think it was enough to actually convict him. I mean, they used cell phone data that it turns out was not reliable. And they used unreliable information from their key witness to corroborate the cell phone records. Like, there is, there was so much more evidence out there that they didn't look into. I mean, there was never any DNA testing done on the evidence, you know, on material that was collected at the burial site where she was found. I mean, there's, there's so much. So it's also, it's kind of opens your eyes to looking how the criminal justice systems works. So it's weird. Like, uh, you know, I did watch making a murderer and it feels like if there's any reasonable doubt, you know, like if there's reasonable doubt, like some of these people that are spending life in prison should not be there. If there's any reasonable doubt, and it feels like in a lot of these cases that, that reasonable doubt should be a thing. You know, I, I, I don't get it. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely true. Um, and in fact, I've seen footage. I mean, there are in me, this is just me. I get too involved, like read, reading up on this case. I mean, there are attorneys who are like, you know, I actually think he did do it. However, even if you think he did do it, what I've seen, the consensus overall, though, like from a legal standpoint and looking at this procedurally, no, he should not have been convicted. doesn't matter whether you believe he's innocent or not. Looking at how this trial like proceeded, looking at the ev- like looking at the prosecution's case, looking at how his original uh, defense attorney handled it, it this was a wrongful conviction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and the problem is these days it's guilty until proven innocent. So it's well, unfortunate. Yeah. Listen, listen to you. Listen to you with a hot take over there. Huh. Right. Sorry. But you are right. <laughs> he apologizes. <laughs> But if you listen to like um, when Adnan, like now, when he's talking about his thought process, though, and what's actually what's kind of crazy is um, they were it was this all the this the murder happened in 1999. Mm. Um, he was convicted in 2000. They were seniors in high school. That was when I was a senior in high school. Like I was their age. Um, but he said, you know, at the time, he was very, you know, he was young. He was 18, 17, 18 years old, and he said he was like at the time. I thought, you know what? I have faith in our criminal justice system. You're innocent until you're proven guilty. And, like, he didn't – when he was getting questioned by the police before he got arrested, he didn't take it as seriously mm. as maybe he thought he should have just because he was like, well, the criminal justice system will show that, like, I'm innocent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that yeah. worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, did you rate so, this? this, this first part? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tupperware, the first part, definitely. Um, and the one great thing, too, though, is – 
and I think, and I think, Brian, you said this too with making a murder. A lot of times, these true crime stuff, you you get what gets lost is the victim. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And so, with this first episode, though, you get a lot more of Heyman Lee, the victim, in this story. Um, you, they do this great thing where um, they read from her diary. And if you listen to Serial, you've heard excerpts from the diary because um, Sarah Koenig used it. And then um, they actually used that at trial. The prosecution used it as evidence at trial. But they um, are reading excerpts from the diary, but they're supplementing it with this sort of like really beautiful animation. And I think it's a way to try to bring this person to life in the best way you can because they're not around. So it gives... It gives it, it gives her it gives Hay a voice, which I think is really powerful, and uh, so she's not kind of lost in underneath everything going on with the Nod's case. So. Sure, sure. It's like it's like that's a, interesting. We uh, you know like the O.J. Simpson case, like you know like all you see is like just like the the media frenzy and O.J. this and and uh, you know like Kaylin Kaylo Kaylo Kaylin and and it's just it's crazy it's just nuts and like we're not seeing like you know we're not getting like Nicole's side of everything it feels like and you know and I mean same thing here I think it's good that they kind of like do that I I have never listened to Serial so I did try to watch this I was like 15-20 minutes in and it just wasn't grabbing me and I feel like because I don't I'd never had any attachment to Serial Um, maybe I'll go back to it or maybe I'll listen to Serial but uh, I do like these true crime things so I I think you would like Serial Brian Um, yeah Sarah Koenig who is the host of it she she is a she she's very good at storytelling yeah and um, just the way that she is able to tell the story um it just it it, it kind of draws you in like i remember just like listening that first the first episode of serial was actually they dropped it on this american life on npr and i remember my husband and i were driving from out of town we were driving back home and we were listening to npr listening to this american life and they're like we're actually giving you the first episode of this new podcast called serial and we listened to it that when it first aired and we were both like we cannot wait till thursday hmm for the season to continue. Yeah. I mean, it just grabs you and you're just like, you can't wait. So cool. Yeah. I should check it out. It's just, I'll have to add it to the rotation. I just, I've never listened to the true crime, anything on a podcast. So I usually listen to like either like comedy or interview or entertainment stuff. So yeah. Um, let's see. I want to talk about, uh, triple frontier on Netflix. Uh, June, Michael, I know you guys have seen this. This is five former Special Forces operatives reunite to plan a heist in a sparsely populated multi-border zone of South America. For the first time in their prestigious careers, these unsung heroes undertake this dangerous mission for self instead of country. But when events take an unexpected turn and threaten to spiral out of control, their skills, their loyalties, and their morals are pushed, uh, morals are pushed to a breaking point in an epic battle for survival. This basically is a b- bunch of guys going in here to, to pull off a uh, mission that's not sanctioned by the government to uh, steal a bunch of money from uh, drug dealers in cartel, uh, uh, drug dealers in uh, Colombia. Um, this one's uh, directed by uh, J.C. Chandor, uh, who directed A Most Violent Year. And uh, this stars Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, Oscar Isaac, who also starred in A Most Violent Year. 
uh, Garrett Headland and Pedro Pascal. Uh, and uh, I uh, tell you what, I, I want to get your thoughts here first. Uh, I'll start with uh, Michael. What did you think of Triple Frontier? All right, so uh, Triple Frontier. Going into it, uh, I don't know what I was expecting. I know they spent a lot of money on advertising. It was on every magazine. I saw it on a lot of YouTube ads and everywhere. So I was expecting some nice stuff. But uh, the chemistry between this A-list collection of actors is clear and very well portrayed. And not to mention a fantastic soundtrack. But uh, the characters really carry themselves well. And it's really great acting, even during parts of the movie that I felt fell a little flat. It was still good because of the acting. Um, So they planned off to rip off this gruesome drug dealer. And shit kind of goes awry because of greed. Awry. Um, Awry. All right, all right, shit, all right. shit goes awry. I don't know what a <laughs> array is a completely different Webster's dictionary word. It's like an yeah, touche. It's like a variety. Yeah, an array. Yeah, <laughs> an array. Yeah, of problems. an, an array of go. problems. One of them being that you can't pronounce awry. So uh, from the beginning of the movie, you get the understanding that this group of guys are all professionals and execute missions with precision. And it kind of felt off to me that during this heist, it, all that went out the window. So um, some members of the group let the greed overcome them, which leads to some unfortunate circumstances. Uh, the war elements in this movie were really nice and refreshing, such as like the group talks and the inside jokes and friendly banter from when they served. Um, as far as the heist goes, I didn't understand... like. When they made off, they make off with like a buttload of cash. Um, we're, and we're, uh, just so, just so you know, listeners, we're going into full spoilers here. Oh shit! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> Michael Winkler! Michael Winkler on a podcast, man. I'm telling you, this guy. This is fine. Go ahead, dude. All right, but overall, <laughs> minus the spoilers. Uh, no, I you're, was... fine. you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. It's just you've got. I mean, I'm just trying. To, I'm letting. I'm let. I got to give him a warning, man. You know, because you're okay. you're not. So, okay. you, you're not. You're strike, just like you're strike just strike everything Michael just said from the record. <laughs> just, strike all of that from the record. <laughs> there's like zero foreplay. Michael just goes straight to fucking. You know. So I didn't understand. They make off with a boatload of cash. They're running. They're shooting guns. I don't know. They have like 200 duffel bags full of money. Yeah. And they're just like towing it with them for miles through like jungles and mountains. Yeah. And the whole time I'm thinking, dude, bury this stuff. So, uh, but that's after this helicopter that they have, this industrial helicopter. Their greed is the reason that they all got into this situation. If they would have just stuck with the plan, took the money they planned on, and got out of there, they would have made it home scot-free. But the point is, the greed overtook, and all the personalities clashing led to the demise of the group, pretty much. And uh, I thought it was more of a B-list script, 
but it was acted by A-list celebrities, so it kind of made up the difference, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I kept thinking, like, what if this was uh, written by Quentin Tarantino with the same cast? Like, and, Oh, and- it would be 34 times better. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought, uh, I thought there was some really great cam- camera work as well. Uh, because there's a lot of scenes taking place in the rainforest and on mountainsides, so the overview, like, drone shots are great, and the production value is pretty nice with the helicopter scene, and uh, I just think it was an overall pretty good movie, but I would have liked it to have been a little better, and uh, the ending was a pretty nice touch when uh, Charlie Hunnam and... Oscar Isaac. Remember, full spoilers here, people. Remember, we're in full spoilers here. (laughs) I haven't seen this movie, but I can rate it once he's done now, too. But (laughs) I I just thought they all had a great chemistry together, and uh, I'd suggest you give it a shot. I'd give it a uh, taste it. It's bad. Poor Michael. I give him so much shit. I think think it... I should have clarified. No, I think it... I think it... And I think it takes Michael off his game. I do. I think, like, Michael, you come in here and you're, like, rare to go, and then I, I spout off some shit, you know, like... Michael's Michael's not accounting for spoilers, and I'm just I am I I got you got to be sensitive to the listener, Michael, and I'm letting him know. And I think it throws you off your game, and you you're. Oh, I was ready to roll, man. I was like, I was in my groove. I was ready to go, and then I just got like my bad. Yeah, you like (laughs) Mario Kart banana peel the whole fucking. (laughs) 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 Wow. Oh man. Oh man! Um, hey June, what did, you, <laughs> what did you think about this one? And you can say whatever the fuck you want to about it. I know, <laughs> literally. No, um, you know, I I agree with you know Michael that the chemistry of the five main actors was really good. Um, I think they all played off each other very well. That is the only thing that is keeping this from being a total tosset for me, though. Um, really, this. Yeah. I did not. This movie was just so predictable. Like, it, yeah, I mean, like the whole thing with the greed. Like, of course, like they kind of early on. I mean, they just kind of talk so much about like, oh, you know, everyone is in these like financial straits, and I just thought, oh god, they're going to see all this money, and like, in the minute they find all the money, you just know that the plan is just going to fall apart. But I just felt like all of these characters, though. Yes, they worked well together within the confines of the movie, but, like, I didn't relate to any of the characters. I thought they were all just really shitty people. Um, I mean, they kind of were, and, like, you know, one's just like, we should have just killed the person, like, outright. And then, was it Pedro Pascal's character? We're now on full spoiler territory, but he, Pedro Pascal's character is the guy who's, he's the pilot, and he says, this is too heavy. We can't, like, fly this over the Andes Mountains. And then they're like, but we can't just leave all this money behind. He's like, okay, fine, we'll make it. And I'm like, what? You just said (laughs) that you can't, like, there's too much weight. And then just because, like, someone points out, well, what are we going to do with all this money? You're like, okay, fine, it'll work, it'll be fine. I'm like, that's not really using your expertise there. I don't know. There's just so many things. I don't know, just these guys just seem like just terrible at their jobs and terrible people so i just couldn't relate to anyone i just yeah 
I mean, really, if it just wasn't the chemistry between the five of them, I, this would be a total toss it. I think that's the different. That's, that's the X factor here. Hold on, I'm going to get into this too. I think the X factor here is like these guys have done. Their, they're, they're survivors. Like they've been in the military. They've gone on these uh, these missions together. They've worked together, uh, and they've done. They've they've recovered money like this before in the past. The only thing, the only difference is they weren't trying to take this money for themselves. It was all kind of like government sanctioned and everything. And here we have them, and I think this is the first time going into a mission where the greed sets in. And I, I was kind of—I thought I had a lot of fun with uh, watching this movie. Um, it's not perfect I, by any means, but I've always been kind of like a big fan of um, movies where people are overcome with greed, and you kind of see like this downward spiral and the decisions that they make, and then people die, uh, you know, from some of the bad decisions that they make. Like the movie, A Simple Plan, and, and by no means. Is this a simple plan? I love that's you know Bill Paxton, Billy Bob Thornton, uh, fuck uh, Bridget Fonda in that movie. I love that film. Um, this is by no means is a simple plan, but like you see people just kind of like overcome with greed and and uh, and just guys out in the jungle that have been on these missions before. I I I I, I thought it was a lot more fun to watch this than. Than than what than than what I've heard. I don't know. I I, I thought the you know I believe that Charlie Hunnam and Garrett Hudlin were brothers, and when they were bickering and going back and forth at each other, I I bought into it. Um, I loved Oscar Isaac was kind of sleazy in this movie, and um, Ben Affleck got overcome with greed, and they kind of set it up really well. Like you know he can't get his daughters into college, and and then we see that greed set in here in this movie, and I don't know. I I thought it was good. I, I I didn't hear. I don't know if I heard ratings from you guys, but I'll give it a high taste. It. I don't think it's perfect by any stretch, but I just think it's a just a fun guilty pleasure. And as far as like these Netflix movies are concerned, um, it's it's. I haven't watched a lot of great Netflix films. Um, I would. I'm definitely not going to say it's on the on par with Roma. But I'd say it's one of the better Netflix movies that are out there. I I had enough fun with this one. Um, you know, I yeah, you you, you know where it's going to go. Yeah, it's very predictable. Of course, you get a bunch of guys with money and and they're out there and things are shit's shit's going to go array as uh, as as uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I what what did you what did you rate this, Michael? I gave it a taste it. Okay. What, what, what did you rate this one, June? Low taste it. Low taste it. Okay. I'll give it a high taste it. Fuck it. I'll give it a and, – and Hilda, I want to point this out. They filmed this one um, near Bogota, Colombia, and I found out that uh, throughout filming – this did not affect my rating, but throughout filming, uh, they rescued 50 stray dogs there. The, oh, that's awesome. Aww, the that's crew. Cool. And then the, the director even uh, adopted uh, one of these dogs. So I thought that that was uh, very cool. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of a sucker for um, big name actors with machine guns and, and shit going away. You know? <laughs> so. so wait, we are full of, wait, I have a question. Yeah. So wait, so full spoilers, right? <laughs> Fuck it. Yes. Yeah, that's been established. Okay. I'm just making sure. Okay, so the, the note that um, Charlie Hunnam leaves Oscar Isaac at the end of the movie, I, I, it happened really fast. I couldn't really see it. Was it the was it the coordinates? The longitude? Coordinates. Yeah, let's say the longitude yeah. and altitude, right, of where yeah. they – okay. That's what I figured, but – As far as – Michael, you probably wrote them down. You can spoil them for everybody. 
Just right down yeah, the corner. Yeah, I did. It's in the uh, it's in the ocean east of Brazil. There you go. <laughs> uh, what do you think? Uh, chances on a sequel on this one, or is this it? I think this is it. I think, I think it's so gonna. Be, yeah, I think it'll leave it up to the audience to think whether Oscar Isaac is gonna go meet up with uh, Ivana yeah, or but, if he's gonna go after the. Yeah, I don't, who knows? I mean, uh, you know, could you know, like, what, what if, what if Netflix comes out and says, like, uh, you know, this is on, it's on par with Bird Box with the with the with the people watching this, it's blowing up. It's got big stars. It very well could be. You know, what I'm sure. Yeah, I, in the context of the movie, though, like, if I were any one of those three other guys, and Oscar Isaac is like, "Hey, let's go back." No, he gets a new this, group. And try to do this again. I would be like. Dude, fuck you. Like, that was awful. I'm not going through that again. He gets a new group. He knows other guys. That's true. I guess. So, yeah, because I wouldn't go back to the – because those three guys, Pedro Pascal, Charlie Hunnam, like, I, yeah, those nah. guys, I would be like, if any of them agreed to go back, I would be like, you guys are fucking idiots. In the sequel, we get Oscar Isaac, Channing Tatum, Walton Goggins. You know what I mean? He's, <laughs> we got uh, Charlie Day. You know, he's just crazy. Just crazy. He's just, you know – I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Do do I know if it's going to get a sequel or not? No, I don't know. Do I need a sequel to this? No, I don't. Would I watch the sequel? Fuck yeah, I'd probably watch it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's see here. Uh, I want to, let's see here. Tell you what, I will pass it off uh, to uh, Michael. Michael, pass it off to you, man. You can go into, whatever you're going to talk about, dude, you can go into full spoilers like a motherfucker. All right, I'm pretty sure I don't have any spoilers in this. Uh, did you want to get into Five Feet Apart, or I could do my other thing? Uh, yeah, we can get into Five Feet Apart. Let's see here. Let me find my notes on that bad boy. Here we go. Five Feet Apart, uh, 17-year-old Stella spends most of her time in the hospital as a cystic fibrosis patient. Her life is full of routines, boundaries, and self-control. Uh, all of which get put to the test when she meets Will, an impossibly charming teen who has the same illness. Uh, there's an instant flirtation through restrictions dictate that they must maintain a safe distance between them uh, as their connection intensifies. So does the temptation to throw the rules out the window and embrace that attraction. Uh, this one's directed by uh, Justin Baldoni. Uh, he's an actor. Uh, but he has done some directing and producing. Uh, he directed an episode of Jane the Virgin, uh, and he's ridiculously good looking. It's almost sickening how good looking this guy is. It makes me almost need want to vomit, like physically vomit. That this guy is that good looking. Um, anyway, uh, it stars uh, Haley Lou Richardson as Stella and Cole Sprouse as Will. I like Cole Sprouse is like the uh, he's like the poor man's uh, Timothy Chalamet. He's like, you know what I mean? He's like, I think he aspires to be Timothy Chalamet, yet he can't be Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet is getting nominated for Oscars, and yet Cole Sprouse, I think like Cole Sprouse is getting like the uh, the uh, Timothy Chalamet leftover roles, like the the stuff that he turns down, like that that that's what Cole Sprouse is getting. I don't. I'm not familiar with Cole Sprouse. Eh, fuck it. And uh, that was a dumb thing for me to bring up. Eh, people that know who Cole Sprouse is, you're laughing your asses off right now. You're saying, yeah, I get it, man. That's good. 
One can hope, right, Brian? Anyway. Virtual uh, fist bumps for everyone. Yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm going to start off. I'm not going to rate it here. I want Michael to get into this as well. But I, I, I think watching the movie, I kind of like I learned more about cystic fibrosis than I had known before I watched this because like, I don't know anyone who has it. Uh, and I don't I don't watch a lot of medical dramas or medical reality shows and things like that. Um, but in the in this movie, you find out like cystic fibrosis, cystic fibrosis patients that come into contact with other patients, um, they it can kill each other. There's like this bacteria, so there's a there, there's a rule that they must stay six feet apart because um, if they're infected with this bacteria from like saliva or even like a sneeze that travels through the air um, from another person with CF, they could actually die. And um, that's that uh, you know that 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 has a lot to do with this movie. Um, and it's also explained within the movie why it's called five feet apart if the rule is six feet. So um, if you watch the movie, you'll get that. So, uh, Michael, what did you think about five feet apart? All right. So this is no spoilers, if anything, very light. Um, I also just wanted to mention that the cast and crew spent time with a cystic fibrosis foundation in order to be as accurate as possible when portraying this disease, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but for me, this movie falls into a genre of its own that's been trending upward these last few years, including yeah. movies such as like The Fault in Our Stars, mm-hmm. Everything, Everything, and If I Stay. Um, teenage love stories where one has a really bad life-threatening illness. Um, I don't mind these heartwarming-type movies. Uh, to be frank, I can use a nice tearjerker every now and then. Uh, I like the movie overall. The lead actress, Haley Lou Richardson, uh, from Edge of Seventeen. She was also in Split, who plays Stella. She steals the show for me. Uh, she made me feel such emotion for her character and really does well in portraying this detrimental to disease of cystic fibrosis because you're really dealing with, like, a lot of, like, lung problems. They have, like, surgeries all the time. And uh, that comes through on film. Uh, due to a devastating event in her life, she's also dealing with survivor guilt, which plays a role. But to kind of deal with this, she do- she has like a YouTube channel where she live streams and does vlogs to, I don't know, get some joy or try to inspire other people, which I thought added a nice touch to the character. Uh, Will, who's played by Cole Sprouse, also suffers from uh, cystic fibrosis, but his is much worse. Uh, he's a sarcastic asshole, pretty much. He's snarky, and he plays off as a badass. He does a good job, but I felt like his delivery on some of his lines could have been better. He tries his best, though, but sometimes he goes over the top. Hey, I guess uh, he's, he's no Timothy Chalamet. There we go. <laughs> Those people are laughing their asses off right now, Jake. You're just in the dark. Who? 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 Who, Cole God, Sprouse, Timothy Chalamet, huh? I don't see. What are you talking about, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, some of his dialogue is beyond corny, but that's to be expected in movies like this sometimes. I'm not sure if it would be fair if I put the blame on Sprouse or Richardson. So, um, a few minor characters that had an impact were Nurse Barb, who brought a nice humor occasionally while also being a stern mother type figure to all the patients. 
And another CF patient, Poe, he's like Stella's best friend. And uh, he brought some good humor and emotion as well. There are a few standout scenes that really impressed me. There was a scene in which Stella had a breathing tube in her, and it managed to show so much emotion and make me feel for her in such a way that I was tearing up real hard. And for an actress to do that while she has a tube down her throat with just her eyes, I I think deserves credit. So while I did have minor problems with some of the acting and dialogue, I still think this is a heartwarming love story that people should give a shot. You want to you want to start rating stuff, hi, Michael? I mean, that's uh, like yeah, a, yeah. like an so, ongoing uh, uh, thing with you, like going through all this stuff and uh, and then not yeah, rating uh, it at the end. Yeah, I'll give it a high taster. There you go, good boy. Here's a treat. All right, I'm just fucking with you, Michael. <laughs> I'm such a dick. I am like I am the Cole Sprouse of this episode. Um, let's see here, and nothing from anyone. Fuck all of you. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> is everybody okay? They lose people. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know who Cole Sprouse is. I know. Yeah. Damn it. Um, I, I think like this movie does some things well. I think in the first half, it, it you get familiar with these characters, you get familiar with the disease, and you know. You've, you've got uh, some of these kids are, you know, the, the, the majority of the kids that you meet in this movie are uh, they're They've got CF and, uh, you know, some of them are in there on an experimental drug trial for CF. And, you know, they're all waiting for new lungs. These they, uh, these new lungs, if you get a new lung, it helps you live, you know, possibly up to another five years while you wait for, you know, treatments to uh be developed new new treatments to be developed or possible cures for for cf and so that that's kind of like they get that across really well like that's what it feels like to live with cystic fibrosis is you're you're always waiting you're you're waiting for new treatments you're waiting for new developments and then you're also waiting on new lungs like that's your life here and i think that's where the movie should have kept going i i like the friendship between Will and Stella um, and then both dealing with cystic fibrosis and getting closer is really cool. I like that. And, and dealing with the fears of not getting a donor or never getting well again. I, I, I like that. I thought I thought that it really made you connect with the characters and kind of like understand this 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 illness. Um, it's the whole love story just ramps up and gets kind of crazy there's crazy shit that happens in this movie in my opinion yeah it gets like borderline out of control it does it, it especially in the the latter half of this movie um you know I, I i like the contrast between the characters you had stella who is like she's very strict she's on a regimen and you've got will who's you know reckless and just kind of doesn't care anymore he, he, and and when they meet each other and they spend time with one another, like she gets a little wilder and more unpredictable. And then he starts to adhere to like, you know, a regimen now. And so like they, they complement each other really well. And I like that dynamic. It's just like the final half of this movie, they ramp the drama up to 11 and it kind of loses sight about being like a movie about cystic fibrosis and becomes like more about like, how can we make this movie hit with teenagers like a romantic thriller right yeah it, it 
it, it, it's it's crazy like the the whole scene on the ice and how like that just oh keeps getting ramped up and ramped up and ramped up and that was just silly and i was just yeah. kind of like so i'm gonna give this overall i'm just gonna give this a taste it i mean um i i i think i appreciate a lot of this movie and what they did get across i i got more of an understanding of cystic fibrosis and i hope that you know, at least some of the money that they get in the box office from this movie is going to go to research into cystic fibrosis. Um, but uh, overall, I give it a taste. It I, I don't think it's anything that you have to see in the theaters. Um, and it for being a movie that tries to be a tearjerker, and I cry at a lot of fucking shit when I when I watch it. That's te- like you know people dying and, and and animals dying and just stuff like that. It just it it really affects me. And like this did nothing for me. Like nothing little to nothing so um but i'll give it a taste it overall but yeah that's uh five feet apart with uh cole sprouse <laughs> timothy chalamet light <laughs> <laughs> that joke went over really well <laughs> michael 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 next thing that we talk about man i want you to rate this stuff dude all right yeah, I got you. No, don't, no, don't, don't be. I see. I hate it when I when when people are on this show, Jake, and I pick on them a little bit, and then they take it. They take it like, uh, and then I look like the bad guy. It's all, it's just all no, fun. Man, I'm rolling. No, I, don't, I, I think Michael's taking it fine. I know where Michael's at. We both had our Red Bulls at the same time. We're we're needing a little bit of a recharge. Okay, you got to rate stuff, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to feel like the bad guy just for making no, a no, joke. You're not, man. All you right. Got Bro. It's like you got this. I got this. I got this all uh, wrong, but yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, don't mis- don't mistake Michael's relaxed attitude for him being upset. I think he's good to go. All right, all right, good. All right, yeah, yeah. Here we he got to go. Three hours in, he's good to go. There we go. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think he's hitting his stride now. <laughs> all right. I'm fucking with you. Oh, then I see. I when people, I don't know. I feel like. Oh man, I feel like when people react like Michael's reacting, like then I'm looked at as the bad guy. Like, no, let's have fun. I'm just having fun. I know you're doing that. (laughs) No, I've 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 taken so much heat in the past for that. I don't know. Oh no, man, we're good. (laughs) Everybody listening, it's all good. Like, it's all good. (laughs) All right, okay. Um, Let's see here, Jake. What do you What do you got? Oh man, I'm distracted. I don't have much. Um, really, I've just been catching up on all my reality count bullshit this week. Um, I caught up on the first four episodes of the new season of American Idol. Um, I've been enjoying Christ. that quite well. That that fucking shit makes me cry like a fucking wuss every time I watch it. Man, they they get me with all those tearjerker stories on American <laughs> Idol with their montages. I tell you, I don't know if any of you guys watch this stuff. But, I mean, they had a guy and, like, lost both of his brothers in the military and then was auditioning and just just stuff like that. You know, the blind girl. And you can always tell by the montage if uh, the person's going to be a good singer or not. So that's always kind of a giveaway. But I've really been enjoying that. I always like that ridiculous stuff. Um, I've been I've talked about this um, previously on the podcast, but I'm really into Big Brother Canada, which just started last week. And if there's any listeners, I won't talk about this much, but I will say if there's any listeners out there that are fans of the American version of Big Brother, hit me up. I will give you links to this. It is so much better in just almost every way you can imagine. Um, It's a more diverse cast. It's a bigger budget, which means a better house, better comps. Everything is just so much more intense and 
It's so much better than the American Big Brother. Do yourself a favor if you're a fan of that show and hit me up. You can find it on the info of Pop Culture Leftovers Twitter. You can find my Twitter. I will give you some links. Join in on the fun that is Big Brother Canada. Because if you suffer through the almost barely watchable American version like I do, you owe it to yourself to watch the good stuff every year, too. So hit me up. Tupperware this season already, and it's like a week and a half in. This has been a uh, PSA from Jake Elliott. For Big Brother Canada. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I feel bad. If there's any listeners out there that suffer through the Julie Chen U.S. Big Brother, you have to get a hold of me. There we go. The, uh, reiterating that uh, fact. No, I, I watched the first season of Big Brother. Like, uh, I watched that. And then I just, I never watched anymore. And I liked it. I, liked, like, I just never got back onto it. I don't know. I got reality competition shows I, I can't watch them all the time i have to take seasons off before i get back into them they kind of drive me crazy after a while yeah i get that it's definitely a lot of the same a lot of the same um but they do such a good job just with all the different twists on this show yeah. oh my gosh they um within like two hours of them being in the house they had asked them before they went in what's the one thing they don't want any other contestant to know about them just like as part of the interview process. And then they roll that tape for all of them sitting together in the house after they've had about two or three hours to talk to each other, mm. which was just insane. I mean, basically anyone that was lying about their job, their age or any kind of conniving thing was just all exposed right there at the beginning. So just fun stuff like that. They just never really throw many wrenches into the, the stuff in the U S version like they do here. Hmm. There you go. So uh, that's so American Idol and Big Brother Canada. That's what you're bringing yeah. to the table this week. Yeah, that, you know me. I nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> it's either a game show or some bullshit like this, right? Yeah, I watched three. I watched the first three episodes of the new season of Oliver this week and caught up with that too. That that's been fantastic. Um, you know, Oliver. A it has been really I'll, good. What's that? Yeah. What's, I don't even heard of that. Last John week tonight. Oliver, last week. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it just started back him. up three weeks ago. I was kind of, I kind of didn't realize it had come back, so I just kind of watched yeah. all three back to back, and that was fantastic. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Uh, Love, Death, and Robots uh, premiered on Netflix. They dropped all eighteen episodes. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is the one we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. This is the series that's produced by David Fincher. And uh, Tim Miller, the uh, director for the first Deadpool, and um, it's an anthology of animated, uh, you know, episodes here. And uh, I found out that uh, the series is a reimagining of Fincher and Miller's long in development reboot of Heavy Metal. So they were originally yes. going to do a, a Heavy Metal reboot here. Uh, you know, I, I grew up watching Heavy Metal, and uh, then I even watched the. Not as good Heavy Metal 2000, um, but uh, I loved Heavy Metal when I was a kid, Jake. It was just like, oh me, my god, Me too, me too. I, I, a lot of people say it's nostalgia and it doesn't hold up, but I got to tell you, I watched it like a couple of years ago and I still loved it. I love it too, man. I love it too. So, um, yeah, there's a – I think this whole series, there's a lot of uh, – not a lot, but there are some you know good actors involved. With Topher Grace and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead are in this. So is uh, Samira Wiley and Gary Cole. So, um, What happened with that, Brian? I, I didn't read a new article, but I had known that they were trying to revive the heavy metal thing. Did they just not get the rights? From it's got to be. Owns, it's yeah. it's got to be a rights issue or rights being – 
reverted back to somebody else or something. It's got to be a rights thing. I don't know. I'd have to look into that more. Yeah, it definitely seems like this is basically that, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as you find that out, it, that seems like a no-brainer. This was uh, these this Love, Death, and Robots. Um, each episode animation looks different for the most part. Um, episodes range anywhere from like a little over five minutes up to seventeen minutes. So somewhere you know nine minutes, ten minutes, eleven minutes. It just fifteen minutes. Like each episode, it's not a set time. It was basically a collaboration of different animation studios um, and uh, different stories uh, written by different people. For the most part, some of these were were you know. Um, the the same person that was writing them but like different animation studios you had like blur studio um pinkman tv um unit image red dog culture house all these different uh, animation studios axis studios but all these different animation studios and so each one had its own look um i watched all 18 episodes today um i just i'll be on i'll just start off real quick for me this isn't easy Tupperware. This is so bingeable. It's the most bingeable thing ever because like there's episodes of this show that are just like what they're just so different from the other. And even like the couple of episodes that I didn't think were great still were beautifully animated. Like, um, what was the one? Uh, it was, uh, the, the, the fish one out in the desert. Um, I didn't think it was the greatest story, but the animation in that was just incredible, just absolutely incredible. Um, like the the first uh, the, the first one was like you you the animation was pretty awesome, but the first one you get like uh, these people that are mentally bonded with these monsters, and they have these arena fights, and these arena fights are just like insanely br- brutal. Um, very bloody, gory, and you know, uh, I thought that that was a blast. I really enjoyed that story. And then the the next one was this post apocalyptic world where it was a it was a comedy. It was like a post apocalyptic world where the robots were the survivors here, and the robots are going on like th- checking out different tourist attractions. Like, oh, let's go see like where people used to eat. And uh, trying to understand humans and you know, like I like there's a there, there's one there's this black phallic robot that was kind of like a Siri that would like knew all the the info about humans. <laughs> when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, is that like it reminded me of Led Zeppelin's The Object, if you're familiar with that, if you're a Led Zeppelin fan. But it. It's not. It, the Led Zeppelin, the object is a twisty. Jake, do you know what I'm talking about? I do not. Really? No, okay. I've never been a big Led Zeppelin guy. Okay. Um, but um, then, uh, I don't know, other episodes. Yeah, that, I really liked that episode a lot. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Other episodes that I liked. Tell you what, I'll let you guys talk about what you've seen from this. And then. Yeah. I know, Jake, you've seen some, and I know, Michael, you've seen some. So I'll let you guys talk about this, and then I'll talk about some episodes that I enjoyed as well. But I'll be honest with you, it's very bingeable, and I'm each story is completely different. Some is just humor, and some is just um, action, and some 
you know, there's nudity, it's gory. I mean, yeah, this I can see how this is very heavy metal inspired without the the soundtrack, the, without heavy metal music. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I also think this is actually a very easy Tupperware. I only got through the first three episodes, and I kind of had to force myself to stop and not just sit there and stay up till five in the morning and go ahead and watch the rest of this thing. Um, I plan on finishing not this off either after we finish podcasting tonight or tomorrow. Um, I'm absolutely kind of enamored by this show, to be honest with you. Um, I think it's gorgeous. Um, the animation style, I, I just can't wait to watch the next episode to see what kind of animation style they do there. You know, even if the plot's not good, like you say in a few of them, I'm just the kind of creativeness is just so inspiring and, and, and interesting. I mean, we just don't get American made adult cartoons like this, like hardly fucking ever. And so God, I, I really, really love this. Um, the first three I thought were all Tupperwares, and I yeah. absolutely loved them. And gosh, I, like, I'm almost like gushing about this so much. I don't even know where to where to like start. But yeah, Michelle was in the room when I was watching the first episode of this, and she was um, surprised it was even animation. She didn't realize it was even animation until the first human character entered the scene. So like it, and then you know later on, it's almost more of a hand drawn style where it's very obvious. So it's just it just ranges from every different style. And wow, just so freaking impressive, um, man! Not a very safe area for to spectate those two creatures fighting each other in that first episode, right? <laughs> right. I thought the announcer was the only smart character who was obviously there in some kind of hola form. Right. Yeah. I was surprised. I was like, at first, I was like, I wonder if the audience is like linked in somehow, and those are just representations of them. But you very quickly find out that that's not the case. Right. And just nice little touches like that, like. Like Brian said, these range all over the place and really take advantage of Netflix not really giving a fuck how long an episode is. So, you know, it's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoy that. It's to me, it's like the equivalent of my favorite, like Stephen King short story collection books, man, where I just want to like part of me wants to savor these two or three at a time. And the other part just wants to stay up till six in the morning until I'm done. Jake, do you think that these could qualify for the Oscars animated short films. Do you think that these could qualify or do you, or, or because Netflix has kind of like labeled this as an anthology series that they would not qualify? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think it, it makes me think of kind of how um, American Horror Story worked with awards. And I wonder if it would fall into that camp where it would be nominated into like a mini series category for an Emmy more mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. A Golden Globe. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's yeah. interesting, though. Globe. Yeah. Netflix stealing more award, awards that belong to <laughs> theatrical people. <laughs> At first, when this was like when I started watching this and each one was like, you know, you know, like ranging anywhere from like five minutes up to 17 minutes. I was thinking, like, is this Netflix's first attempt to kind of like steal some thunder from that new service that's supposed to start streaming this year or next year? That Quibi? Which is which stands for Quick Bites, which is going to be, and then I, then I realized that Quick Bites, that streaming service, is basically series that you're going to be watching where they only show you ten minutes at a time. So this is nothing like that. So. Oh, that's interesting. I, I also very much like the um, just the style of this show, just like oozes creativity. I loved all the different like um, almost like emoticon symbols that mm. the show used in all its logos. Yeah. And, you know, going from episode to episode, just how oh man, this was almost perfect TV to me. What I've seen of it. What'd you think, Michael? 
Yeah, I agree with what both of you guys are saying. This is seriously some amazing TV. Uh, I was a little hesitant at first. Uh, animation hasn't always been like my favorite. I've been getting into it a lot more. And after watching this, like I'm seven in and um, I'm top wearing the hell out of it. Like this is some of the best stuff I've seen on Netflix since the beginning. Like the animation style, like you guys said, from episode to episode mm. changes every time. One, you'll get a newer CGI style animation. Then you'll get like an old school anime style, like a Japanese style. Then you'll go to like a Mass Effect cutscene style animation. Like it's just they throw in so many like curveballs and so many different stories that it just. It's seriously impressive. Did you see and every the, episode? Which I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just curious. Like, did you see the uh, the farm episode? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Uh, suits. Yeah, uh, suits is what it was called. Yeah. Yeah, that one was. Oh my god! Like that episode, it, it brought all these farmers together trying to protect, like their homesteads and then like it's a future of farming it's it was crazy yeah and then like it zooms out and you get the full scope of like the severity of the situation and it's just like insane just uh, just think just think farm okay think about this it gives new mood okay hold on it gives new meaning to like ffa future farmers of america like this is like uh, the future of farms there's these portals that open up and basically, like, these monsters come out of the portals, kind of like they remind me of Starship Troopers with the insects. And they just, you know, so these farmers are in mechs and they, they just kill these things to protect their, their, their cows. And, and, like, just think of, like, you know, Starship Troopers meets Pacific Rim meets a farm. It's crazy. And I, yeah. it was so awesome. It's such a fucking great episode. It, it was incredible. I, I loved it. And, like... That's and that's like, you know, episode four and then n- number five in episode five. Now we're meeting Dracula in a cave and it and it, it, oh, my God. I and then, and then hold on. Hold on. You get to episode six. Now, oh my God. with the yogurt, there's the there's this science experiment that kind of goes wrong where they create sentient yogurt and. And you could tell that the yogurt was evolving because the bowl of yogurt, like when it first starts to communicate, it needed the fruits and the berries to spell out the words for communication. And then later on, the yogurt starts talking. But as it's talking and forming the mouth, you can see like a dairy bubble popping every time it like opens its mouth, which is hilarious. Um, And then like uh, then it started like uh, wanting the it was started to help the government with like uh you know things uh, that the government was facing but then it wanted the government uh to to offer it payment in return for its services so it it asks for the state of ohio it wants to take over ohio and like dude this and it's this is only like a six minute short but it was just so funny and hilarious and i, I it's it, it this this just runs through the gamut of like all these different it's so crazy like each episode it's just like a new thing there was a there's an asian mythology slash it's it's like asian mythology and then all of a sudden it goes into steampunk 
And you're like, what the fuck is going on with this story? But it's so incredible and it works. There's a there's an episode about um, uh, the military using werewolves. You're like, what the fuck? Episode 13 was called Lucky 13. And it was one of my favorite episodes in this. I loved it. It was it reminded me of something that you would watch in. uh, Remember, Jake, remember Amazing Stories? Oh, yeah, I love it. Watch Lucky 13 and you'll be like, oh, my God, this feels like it could be a story in Amazing Stories. Uh, Zima Blue, I thought was going to be stupid. I was like, ah, this the, I, the animation's cool, but this story's going to be stupid. By the end of it, the reveal, I was just blown away. And then uh, there, there is one live action short. It's oh, really? Like, yes, it's half live action. It's okay. Here it is. Let me just. Topher Grace and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, you know, we all know who Topher Grace is. That '70s show, and he was Venom in uh, Spider-Man Three, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead from Ten Cloverfield Lane, and also, I believe, Fargo season three. Um, but Ramona Flowers. Yeah, there you go, Ramona Flowers. So uh, they uh, they have a, an old old timey freezer, an old timey refrigerator. And they open it up and uh, they find out that there is a small civilization living in the freezer. And oh it's kind of like, like watching Kiwi's Playhouse. <laughs> yes, but that was the food. This is an actual I'm civilization. Like Indian in the cupboard shit. Indian in the cupboard. But, but it's, it's kind of like the Sims in a way because you, you see these things. They're building civilizations up faster and civilizations are falling really quick so you're watching it in like fast forward and so like one minute you're like in the jurassic period you know the next minute you're you know like when they first open it like he pulls out an ice cube that's got a woolly mammoth inside of it you know so <laughs> i mean it's so you're watching it's really cool like i i fucking tupperware the fuck out of this and i hope that we get future seasons of this and i, I hope david fincher and uh tim miller can free up some space and uh and come back and, and and do this some more. Michael, I cut you off. I know you had more things that you oh, wanted no. to talk about. Yeah, no. This is completely awesome. Just give it a shot. Like I said, yes. I was never big in anime. I have been in the last couple of years, and this is seriously some grade A content on Netflix. Like, I'm not joking. I watched seven in a row, like nothing. And uh, but before we move on, I wanted to ask your guys' opinion on episode three. That very like surreal episode with the Asian with the Asian girl. Okay, what uh, what do you what entitled are you the witness? Sure, yeah. Oh, what, no, what is your I, question? I was just seeing like how you thought about that. Like, uh, I guess not getting the spoilers or anything, but I just wanted to. That was my favorite episode. Is I guess what I'm saying, Jake. I feel like we're on the Chris Farley show now. <laughs> you remember that part on PCL <laughs> where Michael didn't rate that thing? Fucking <laughs> where three is my favorite episode. The end of it's awesome. Check it out. Love you guys. Mic drop. Yeah, there we go. All right, all right. Um, Let's see here. I've got one more thing that I want to talk about. So Love, Death, and Robots, please check it out on Netflix. It's uh, everybody's Tupperware and the fuck out of this. Tupperware party. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 um, I can understand why you didn't want to 
why you didn't want to spoil that one, Michael, that, that number, that number three, the third episode, the witness. Um, I, yeah, I thought, uh, very, it was very satisfying and very fun. Like, and it didn't, you didn't have to watch like a whole, you know, movie to figure it out. You know, it was like, here you go. We're doing this in nine to 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. That's what I was going for. Uh, you just know how I roll. So I fuck it up in true fashion. Oh man, I feel I'm, I feel like I just keep throwing a monkey wrench into into Michael's whole appearance here, Jake. If I didn't like yeah. Michael, I wouldn't have asked him to come back, right? Is it right? <laughs> I do it to myself, yeah. man. I like I know these things. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh man, you get on the spot, and sometimes you just brain fart. I know I, how it is. Is it? Do, is it? Is it me? I brain chart. Am I? Do I? Do I intimidate you, Michael, on the podcast? Is it, is it me? Am I? Am I throwing you off your game here? No, it's because- like, you you just naturally a fuck like, up then? Fuck if I no, if I'm like fuck if I spoil this again, then I'll like I don't know if I was spoiling it, and then I just I just get in my own head and then fuck up the show. No, I, oh, it's a combined <laughs> effort. Don't take full credit. I think I don't know. I felt like the first time I had you on the show, Michael. I, I felt like when you when you started, I felt like you had never listened to PCL in your life. <laughs> 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 Felt like you had never listened to an episode ever. Like you were just out of your element when you first got on here. Like you had never listened. And what do you I, think now? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like my, it's like my second trip to the Amazon, and I still don't know where the fuck I am. I, I feel like Jake. I feel like he has listened, but he just throws it all out the window. <laughs> That's like cotton candy. Oh man, I, you know, yeah. Let's. Uh, I got one more thing to talk about. Uh, I know, uh, Jake. I don't. You got another reality show or a singing competition show you want to throw I do in? Not. All right, I, mean, I could drum one up. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you could, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, Michael June, do you guys have anything else you want to bring up for Good Pop Bad Pop? I have like one small thing. Okay. Do you mean to go ahead? No, we're just gonna we're gonna we, we are gonna sit here in awkward silence. How about that? That's when okay. we sit Okay, okay. So, um, <laughs> the other just small thing I wanted to um, I actually I caught up on a Samurai Jack on Adult Swim. Oh, nice. Have you guys? Have, has anyone talked about this? Because I think the most recent season came out two years ago. Mm-hmm. No, I have yet to watch the final season, but I am a huge fan of the show. Okay, um, just a quick refresher: that it's a Samurai Jack's Cartoon Network um, animated show. It was created by uh, Gindi Tartavoski. Uh, people know him from Dexter's Laboratory, The Powerpuff Girls, uh, and Star Wars: Clone Wars. Um, the show premiered in 2001. Involves the story of a young samurai cast into a dystopian future by the evil shape-shifting um, demon Aku. Um, he adopts the name Jack and continues his fight, you know, in this dystopian retro futuristic earth that's ruled by a coup. And he's trying to find a time portal back to where he is in um, feudal Japan, but he's constantly thwarted by um, Aku's forces. So the series ran for four seasons and it ended in 2004 and the story was completely like open ended. There was no resolution. There was talk about a film to conclude the story. Um, it had been in development various times by different studios. At one point, Cartoon Network 
thought about doing a live action feature film, but that got abandoned. Um, apparently, Bad Robot Production does any pictures had expressed interest in doing a film version, an animated film version, to finish out the story. But ultimately, the story gets um, told in this mo- in the fifth season, um, which premiered on Adult Swim's uh, Tsunami Block in 2017. It is a Tupperware. I mean, the show itself is a Tupperware. This fifth season is. It's very, it's different. It's very, it's darker in tone. Has it's a lot more mature in content. Um, you see a very different Jack than you have seen in the first four seasons. Um, just this is not spoiler, but just to set up the fifth season. Um, it has been fifty years since Jack has been cast into the future, but he has not aged at all because the effect, like time, has no effect on him. And at this point, there are no more time portals, so he's just kind of wandering around in this like dystopian future. And it was a little not jar, not jarring in a bad way, but just when you first see Jack, you're, you don't even recognize him. Mm. And um, he's so distressed and just disheartened, and you, he, he's kind of he's very troubled by these hallucinations of his family and you know of himself. And of the victims of Aku, and it's um, it is it is a very different Jack, but in a good way. But the story does conclude, like the story is finished, um, at the end of the fifth season. But yeah, if you were a fan of the show when it was airing in the first four seasons in the early two thousands, you should definitely watch the fifth season. And the animation is just as beautiful, and just as gorgeous. So, yeah, very much Tupperware. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this show is kind of the lack of dialogue and how they very much just let the actions tell the story. And it's very beautiful in that way. Um, I'm very curious with the final season being on Adult Swim. Does it is it more mature than the previous four seasons? Yeah, it's a little it's, it's more violent. Okay. So, and, and you like it was good. Oh, yeah, I loved. I mean, I, I thought it was great. Um, yeah, it's I mean, I, I thought it was a very fitting ending. Now, some people, my friends hated the the way it ended, um, but, you know, it it's sad. I mean, the, the, the whole season is sad. Yeah. Um, there's really not a whole lot of lighthearted moments in this season. Um, it it is very out. sad. How'd you watch it, Jim? Um, Adult Swim, the Adult Swim app, um... And if you have Hulu TV, it was all on Hulu, and then now you have to have the Hulu TV part of, as part of your subscription. But I think on the Adult Swim website, you can access all of the seasons. Adult Swim website, you can watch every show that they've ever done. Yeah, I'm looking at that. Yeah, right I think now. so. Yeah, and actually there's um, some um, – there's actually a really great Q&A that uh, Gendy Tartavosky, um did, I guess, two years ago right before they aired the fifth season – um, that's a really good that's really interesting to watch too just to kind of hear his thoughts on going into this I mean it had been 12 years since they stopped doing mm. you know since the fourth season ended and then they brought it back for the fifth season so yeah I've never seen this show but like that makes sense for them to kind of like age it up a little bit uh, because all the people that did watch it even if they were younger in that original like run in the early 2000s are now older now so I think that they can kind of like handle growing up with the character getting a little bit more mature right mm-hmm. i agree with that yeah yeah have you seen um the hand-drawn clone wars that the same animator done, did brian hmm 
I. Uh, before there was like a CG Clone Wars cartoon, mm-hmm. there was actually a 20 episode hand drawn animated Clone Wars cartoon. I don't think the episodes I, I don't range think I, from uh-uh. three to six minutes long. Never seen and, that. Um, uh, do, do yourself a favor and seek this out. Um, Lucasfilm has kind of erased it because obviously they came out with another series with the same name later that kind of told a different story. So this has kind of been removed from canon a little bit. Uh, the first ever appearance of General Grievous happens within this series. Hmm. Um, so that's pretty interesting. And it's very much like Samurai Jack, and there's very little to no dialogue in almost the entire 20 episodes. And everything is just told from these really like extensive action sequences and action set pieces. And if, if you're a Star Wars fan, wow, it's fucking incredible. It gives me chills every time I watch it. There's one like speeder bike war episode. That just ah, oh, so fucking awesome! Really great Obi Wan stuff. Uh, this is such a great series. I actually prefer it to the CG version of the show. I gotta imagine and, that. Um, I gotta imagine that it's not not on YouTube, right? Like, it, I don't know how you would get it. Um, I bought it when it came out on DVD. Yeah, and um, there's two DVD sets that covered the entire series. You could probably buy it on Amazon, but since they're not making it anymore, you're probably going to pay like 150 bucks or whatever it is. It's going to be ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Fucking A. I, in fact, I, you'll have to remind me about this, Brian, because I will throw you these DVDs if you haven't seen this. And yeah. No Star Wars fan should miss this. It's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Samurai Jack, is that some, like how many episodes are in a season? Um, uh, about the, 10 to 15. Oh, sorry, June. Yeah, no, I think actually the first four seasons i think it's 13 episodes a season but then um this most recent one's only 10 okay very cool so and actually interestingly jake since you have watched the uh, previous seasons the intro song um one thing i didn't know did you know that it was produced by um will i am from the black eyed peas I, I I did at one point know that actually. Yeah. I never knew that until I watched this like special like Q and A like interview thing with Gitty Tartavoski when after I binged uh, the fifth season. But yeah, will I am? But that they still use it in the end credits. But that is no longer the there is no opening credit song. Oh, or opening okay. song. Um, it is a very depressing dialogue by Jack. <laughs> oh, nice. Speaking Jack is the intro. That- interesting yeah so uh, and you're right in terms of like this is a show that doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue like the that first the premiere i mean it's like four minutes and it's just action there is no talking it's a gorgeous show gorgeous gorgeously scored gorgeously colored one of my favorite animated shows of all time yeah i definitely you should definitely check out the fifth season uh, final thing that I want to talk about in Good Pop, Bad Pop before we take another break here is uh, I watched uh, Shrill on uh, Hulu. Uh, Jake, I know you watched some episodes of this. I watched the this. first two. Okay. Did anybody else watch this? No. No, not yet. Michael, I know what it is. When you mute, are you muting it on your mic? No. God damn it. I swear. It's just. You, are you guys hearing that too? Or am I nuts? I, I am. It's that mute. It's that mute button. Like every time you mute it, it's like you hear like a thumpity thumpy. Yeah, there right? it was just again. Yeah. Oh, that's not me. I'm not touching anything. Mm. I'm I'm muting it on my iPad though, like the touch screen. I've been hearing that. like a little thumpity thumpity thump, and it's. But is not that me. it? So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't anyway, know. Dumpy, I, dumpy, fuck dumpy. it. I, I'm just at this point. I just you know I'm thr- I'm, I'm 
I don't know. See, I, there it is, right there. That's yeah, not me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting, I'm taking, I'm throwing the gloves off. I give up. You guys win. Whoever's doing it, you're, you're the big winner today. I'm putting down the gloves. We'll just deal with it. Um, I'm not fighting it anymore. So just thumpity thump to your heart's content. I don't give a fuck anymore. You win. It was Will I am actually did the thumps. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> oh God. Shrill follows Annie, described as a uh, plus-sized young woman who wants to change her life, but not her body. Annie is trying to make it as a journalist while juggling bad boyfriends, sick parents, and a perfectionist boss. While the world around her deems her not good enough because she, because of her weight, uh, she starts to realize that she's as good as anyone else and acts on it. Uh, Shrill is based on the book Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman by Lindy West. Uh, this one stars A.D. Bryant uh, from Saturday Night Live. She plays Annie. Uh, Lolly Adefope as Fran, which is her best friend. Uh, Luca Jones as Ryan, her, her boyfriend. Uh, Ian Owens as Amadi. Her co-worker, John Cameron Mitchell as Gabe, her boss. Julia Sweeney, also SNL alumni, plays her mother. And then Daniel Stern from Home Alone and also the voice of older Kevin on The Wonder Years uh, plays her father. Um, so basically, you know, I, I, I watched this whole series. Um, Jake, what did you think about the, the first two episodes? Um. Yeah, it was interesting. I thought the first episode was a pretty solid foundation. If I was going to rate it, I would give it like a middle of the road taste it. Um, I love A.D. Bryant. I thought she was, um, you know, did a really good job of acting. It was cool seeing her not turned up to like 11, like I'm normally used to seeing her on SNL and actually, you know, playing a character with a lot of emotion built in, you know, real human emotion mm-hmm. instead of just goofy SNL stuff. That's something that, Kate McKinnon has never been able to do in a movie. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid point. It's a solid point. <laughs> it's true. Um, and, But I thought the second episode was actually um, much improved over the first episode. And it, it was almost a Tupperware for me. It was, you know, a very high tasted. Um, it was definitely a more laughable episode once we kind of got the character built up and the foundations of all of the supporting characters kind of built up around her. We were able to just kind of tell a story in the second episode. And there was a lot of moments where I was just cracking up in the second episode. Um, absolutely loved the uh, cold open where there she visited the uh, strip club and the uh, pudding grass metaphor that was delivered to us. I was laughing out loud at that. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought this was a really cool show and, you know, almost a, a very much needed show. You know, it's a really good message being conveyed here about, you know, body image and the way people like, you know, think about that and, you know, treat people. And I thought there was a lot of good being done in this show, even if it wasn't the most like slap my knees hilarious show. I don't think so. I don't think I, I, I really don't think that they needed to go for that. I, I, I like. You know, I, I mean, there are moments where I did laugh out loud in this, but I, I, yeah, it does have a message, and um, I think you need that first episode. It's it's a sad episode. Like you basically got, you know, this woman who just doesn't speak up for herself at all. She lets everybody walk all over her. She's got this man-child boyfriend that she's dating, and. He's using her as a booty call, and he's embarrassed of her. So, like, after sex, he has her walk out of the back of the house because he doesn't want her, his friends to see that he's with her. And she's not respected at work. Uh, she's talked down to, to by that physical trainer that you see um, in the in that first episode that just doesn't 
just just sees her as a, a project and not a person. And uh, mm-hmm. by the end of the episode, by the end of the first episode, you're kind of just you're dying to see her stand up for herself. And I fe- I feel like that first episode kind of sets that up. Like you need that first episode. To oh, get, I agree. To get the payoff for the rest of the series, and it, there's a, I mean, and you get that. Like, there's this this. It has a message of like, there's a lot to be happy with who you are in your own skin. They have uh, an episode that's dedicated to like a uh, plus sized women's pool party where they can just swim and be in bathing suits that they want to be in and not be ashamed. Um, the, the series goes through and it deals with uh, trolls on the internet that, uh, um, you know, like when when they're when they're confronted with a debate online, they they don't they just respond with like the the lowest insults. And and just uh, go for that, uh, you know, uh, bashing somebody's uh, physical appearance and calling them, you know, fat pig and stuff like that. Instead of having a, you know, like a uh, maybe just like a uh, an argument. Instead, instead they just say shit like that. And um, but the, the, like what's what I also appreciate about the show is like I'm just talking about like all this serious stuff. But like Ad Bryant, she knows that like some of this uncomfortable stuff is is funny and she wants you to uncomfortably laugh but at the same time kind of like realize like yeah you're laughing right now but do you also see how shitty this is because like there's a there's a comment by a poster on her blog that she's written for this online blog that this comment trolls her by telling her to like that she needs that she masturbates by uh shoving a corn dog in her pussy and it actually turns into this funny discussion with her and another coworker. So you're like, you're uncomfortably laughing at this because the show wants you to laugh at this. But at the same time, you realize how fucked up that comment is. And it's, it's a, it's a brilliant balance. And yeah, I I agree. The show has a certain level of fearlessness that I really respect that you're kind of speaking of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know. There, there, there's, there's this whole, like, it deals like with everyone. Like, I, it, it kind of feels like with her and her dealing with everyone in her life, and her feeling belittled her entire life for something that she's well aware of. Like, she knows that she's a bigger girl, and she doesn't need her her mom or her friends or her boss or coworkers or you know these people online that are trolling her to tell her this. Like. It's a lifelong thing that she's dealt with, and she's beating herself up about it. And not only is she dealt with it in that respect, but like now people are piling up on that and like making her feel even worse about something that she knows that she's she's had to deal with. And like this is like her big fuck you moment for all of that. And she basically gets to a point where she just says like This is who I am," and instead of being you know shamed by society. I'm proud of who I am and I'm a beautiful person. And, and does the show preach to you a little bit? Yes, but it, I think it does it in a way that's telling the truth and is still entertaining and funny. And, and I, and thank God, this is one of the things that when I was watching the show, I was like, thank God they aren't doing this physical comedy bullshit. Like the mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy movies where you just see the big girl get hit by a truck or fall in a dumpster and all that bullshit. Right? Like this is, they're yeah. not going yeah. for that cheap laugh and the physical comedy stuff. 
and they treat it in uh, in a very in a very progressive way, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's not cartoony. They yeah. completely humanize the character. It, right. Yeah, it's it's applaudable the way yeah. they treat the character. I the, a couple of my laugh out loud mo- laugh out loud moments uh, from this one was when uh, her friend Fran, who doesn't like Annie's boyfriend Ryan, um, she kind of does something shitty to Ryan. And um, but she doesn't like him because Ryan's been a shithead to Annie. And so she tells him at one point, I don't <laughs> She goes, she goes, I don't apologize to white people. And I laughed my fucking ass <laughs> off at that line that fucking killed me. Um, and then another line that killed me in this one was like Annie is like she she's um, she's taking control of like this relationship with Ryan and they're in bed and. You know, for once, like she's going to like she's going to dictate what they do in bed. And because usually it was just like Ryan just wants to fuck her and then like ask her to leave. And she says, you know, I'm the one with the fat ass and the big titties. So I decide what we're going to do. And I fucking lost my (laughs) shit when she said that. It was so funny. You got you got to watch this. Great moment. I applaud this show. And I, 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 I. I hope that uh, it was only six episodes and each episode's like mm. 25 minutes or so. I hope I hope we get uh, more of a season order uh, if it gets renewed. I hope we get more episodes of this uh, in the second season, like bump it up to maybe eight. I would be happy with that because six was six was good. But I, I, I could do with two more episodes. I, I really enjoyed this. I give it a top where I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. To, I didn't realize there was only going to be four more episodes. I'll, I'll definitely knock this out before the end of the week. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see what I think of the series of a whole. I it seemed really good. I'm, yeah, was the last episode good? Yeah, last episode's great. Ad Bryant's just really good in this. Um, really good in this. I think the the whole ensemble cast that they got here um, really good. I you know I um, you know, it was nice seeing Julia Sweeney. You never see her in anything, you know? Yeah, I agree. Both her and Stern, I really enjoyed seeing. Yeah. I, I thought I thought Stern, he was only in the first episode that I've seen so far, but I thought he brought a lot of, like, human warmth to the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I thought that was really cool. There's a scene involving him uh, later uh, that, uh, yeah, man, he's uh, he's definitely acting his ass off in this, so he's not phoning it in. Very good. Yeah, it's not a comedic role at all. You're right. It's it's great. I thought he was one of the more powerful characters in the first two episodes. Yeah, he's not uh, you know tripping on micro machines or grabbing <laughs> irons to the face, <laughs> irons to the face, and paint cans to the skull. <laughs> so yeah, none of that's happening here. And he's not talking about how Kevin wants to I don't know finger bang Winnie or something. So. Yeah, this was good. I, I read she wrote this with the uh, writer of the book, and the two of them wrote the screenplays for this too, which I thought was really cool. I they, didn't they realize did the, that they did the first two episodes. Okay, uh, and they and I think that uh, oh, uh, Carrie Brownstein uh, from Portlandia directed the second episode. Oh, nice! Yeah, Portlandia is so fucking hilarious. So. Take a break, uh, and then we'll come back with the pop culture leftovers news. Yeah, sounds good. 
Harley Quinn. Pleased to meet ya. You're listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. So head over to popcultureleftovers.com and click on comic books where they have a comic book locator. There you can find the nearest comic book shop in your area. You can also see what new comic books are on shelves right now. If you don't have a shop near you, just click on the link for things from another world on the front page of the site. At tfaw.com, you can set up a poll list to have your comic books shipped to you monthly. They also sell figures, statues, and a ton of other really cool shit. But you gotta click the link through the site to help the show. That's popcultureleftovers.com. You got that, Puddin? I swear I feel like I have to tell you guys everything. It's a wonder you can wipe your own asses. Anyway, I gotta go. I think I hear Mr. J. Hey, we are back. It is now time for the uh, Pop Culture Leftovers News. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a lift of a news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangsta as fuck, yo. It's gangsta as fuck, yo. Okay, we're gonna, uh, real quick, I got, I got quick news here. Uh, the uh, Disney Fox deal is expected to close on March 20th. So, like, literally in uh, three days from when we're recording this. That's crazy. There'll probably be some pretty good articles put out when that goes down. Uh, Also in quick news, it was announced uh, by The Hollywood Reporter that uh, Millennium Films has finally dropped Brian Singer from its uh, Red Sonja movie. So he will not be directing that film. Yeah. Fantastic news. That's great news. Um, Yeah. I think like like it took forever. Jesus, Louise, it took forever. Yeah, that that's, that seemed like a no brainer yeah. to not even sign him for that project. Uh, and then Variety reported this week that uh, Tom Holland is in talks to star in uh, the Russo brothers' um, movie called Cherry, and uh, this is going to be an Agbo film, their studio, and uh, it's going to uh, parallel the true life story of the author a former army medic who returned from Iraq with extreme undiagnosed PTSD, fell into opioid addiction, and began robbing banks. So uh, Walker was caught and convicted in 2011 and is scheduled to be released in 2020. So, yeah, um, they've got uh, Tom Holland apparently playing, I guess, the the lead in this uh, film that kind of parallels this guy's true life story. And that's a, that's going to be a Russo written and directed film. Avengers Endgame, Helmers Joe and Anthony Russo will direct a script from Jessica Goldberg. Uh, she adapted uh, the novel Exit West and um, was the creator uh, and executive producer of the Hulu series The Path. So, yes, they're going to be directing that. This is going to be their first uh, directorial job post Endgame. Man, I'm about to turn into you, Brian. Someone is going tapping crazy on the other end. <laughs> Does no one else hear that either? Dude, I hear it when I'm muted. So it's 100% not me, I swear. <laughs> Someone's got like RLS, it sounds like. <laughs> we just got to we just gotta roll with it. All right, I'm sorry. It was distracting. It was dump, 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 dump. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's, like, it's episodes like this. I just want to wrap them early. I just want to wrap them <laughs> early. I just want to drop it. Um, uh, the final thing that I want to talk about in news is uh, Amazon announced that uh, their Lord of the Rings series will be taking place in the Second Age. 
And um, this is this is big news for the series because we found out a couple weeks ago that Amazon has been super secretive about this project. They've actually been blocking out, uh, blacking out, and, and taping the windows in the writer's room. Um, you know, we find out that they're using. Uh, uh, fingerprint scanners for for the people involved in the writers room for this this is very uh, being held under lock and key they're they're keeping it a uh, very tight lid on the project so um, there was uh, you know the rumor that I had heard before this came out of the second age a lot of people were saying oh it's going to be based on the Silmarillion or or Aragon's youth and then then I heard like no it's not going to be about that and and this this kind of proves that. Um, I guess, I mean, Aragon is older than the average human, but I think like, you know, if you're not familiar with the second age, um, it, I'll go over some of the history. This is stuff that I, that I looked up. Um, the second age lasted for 3,441 years and ended with the downfall of Sauron's army when he was defeated by the last alliance of elves and men following the downfall of Numenor. And um, it's uh, the age is characterized by the rise of Numenor, the rise of Sauron in, in Middle-earth, the creation of the Ringwraiths, and the early wars of the rings between Sauron and the elves. The Ring of Power also came into existence during this period. So essentially what we're going to see here is the prologue of the movie trilogy. Um, and there, there's a whole, you know, uh, fandom wiki page that breaks down the second age. Um, and I'll, I'll actually post that in the in the notes for the show if you wanted to go over it. And it, it, it just it. I mean, it doesn't go over everything. It just kind of like gives you like the highlights here. Like in the year 1600 was like the year they forged the one ring. And, uh, um, uh, you know, and Celebrimbor uh, begins fighting Sauron, you know, and then later on Celebrimbor dies. And and um, it goes into, you know, uh, Elrond establishes refuge of Rivendale. And, it, you know, like like that's what we'll probably end up seeing here is like the rise of Sauron will probably be reintroduced to Elrond and and we're going to see basically Sauron how he how quickly he he moved to take over Numenor and like the moves he made to do so and and um we'll get to see Sauron as well as like not just a shadow in like this this armor with like big red or a red fiery eye we're we're going to it you know we're going to get to see Sauron the man and and it's said that Sauron was a good-looking guy so I think that's going to surprise a lot of people out of the gate seeing this guy and he's not going to look like a, an evil, an evil dude if they do go that route. So, um, I'm still looking forward to this. I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of stories to be told in middle earth and, and, um, I want to see how they do this. I would love to see Ents show up in this series. I want to see some walking and talking trees. I want to find out where the Ent wives went to. <laughs> I don't really care, to be honest with you. But yeah, like, I, I got to say, the, the the second age announcement is the first thing I've heard that's really actually got me kind of excited for this series. I, I'm very glad to hear that we're not going to be just kind of remining stuff that we've already visited before. Um, and that sounds really cool. I, I'm, I'm very fascinated with the rise of Sauron and kind of the rig race. I think a lot could be done with those characters as well like finding out more about the men before they were you know corrupted and turned by the rings and i think their stories could be very interesting yeah it sounds like it's going to be a very dark series right because it's the second age is basically bad turns to worse yeah 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 it is what is the source material for this like 
appendages. I mean, I don't – okay, that's – because, I mean, I know that, you know, there was the Hobbit book and, you know, you have the trilogy and there are, you know, three books in those. I just – I wasn't – and I know you have the Cimmerillion, which I guess is essentially the encyclopedia, I, right? Essentially, mm, not really. Yeah, or that's kind of how I've heard people kind of characterize it that way. Um, isn't the Silmarillion – and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's basically kind of like um, Tolkien's son kind of like putting together the the notes and things like that from his father after his father passed? Yeah, it's a little bit of that. I thought it mostly dealt with um, first-stage stories. Like I'm not okay. anywhere near a Tolkien expert either. But and this isn't like June. It's not going to be adapted directly from like a book per se. But Tolkien was so profound in the notes and the appendixes he made. Like you could probably produce this entire mm-hmm. series from the back half of Return of the King from all yeah. just the notes he supplied in that. If you want to okay. like I'll put in the notes. If you, if you want to read how the second age re- reads like it's basically like this is what you get like 1600 forging of the one ring. Baradur, uh, uh, Baradur completed. Celebrimbor begins fighting Sauron. 1693, War of the Elves and Sauron begins. The Three Rings are hidden. 1695, Elrond sent to Erigion as Lieutenant of Gilgadad. 1697, Erigion destroyed. Elrond establishes the refuge of Rivendale. You know, like, it just reads like that. So basically, like, these are things that happen. And I think, like, this show is just going to show us those things. And, like, add the drama, add the action, right? Exactly. Yeah, we're on the same page, Brian, 100%. Like, Tol- they have, like, Tolkien scholars, like, at consult on – I mean, you you have, like, people in academia who, you know, they got their PhDs and, like, their focus has been, like, Tolkien works. Like, but I don't want those people telling this story. I want people that have an understanding and an appreciation well, of not it. Not telling the story, but would they, like, be consulting Just maybe? Possibly. Maybe. Maybe to keep the continuity straight, and and that's about the end of it, right? Just to yeah, you just don't want to deviate from anything that Tolkien said when it happened. I don't, Other than yeah, that, I don't that's want some. All you need those guys for. I don't need some. Yeah, exactly. Like this is kind of like I want them to be kind of like the uh, you know the Star Wars story group when it comes to this stuff, and kind of like make sure that people don't go out of the lines of like you know what Tolkien had intentionally you know given us. And keep it within, you know, the guidelines. Yeah, you kinda, and, yeah the, but I don't want, like, these guys to br- bringing, like, the heart uh, and the drama of this. I don't need these Tolkien poindexters, like, doing everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. Emotion it, vampires, basically. Just, yeah. You know, let's have all the facts laid out. Exactly. Yeah. So, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I, I want to see. I, I feel like they, you know, like. You know, Jake, I know you laughed at it when they when they spent like a quarter of a billion dollars to get the rights. And now they're talking about over the over maybe two seasons spending a billion dollars on this show. I think that they see now that Game of Thrones is ending. I think that they you know, I think that Jeff Bezos and the people over at Amazon see kind of like, you know, like this might be their shot at something big over here. So No, I agree. I agree. I definitely like poo-pooed on this when we first started talking about it. Most of that did have to deal with just being scared about the retread, though. But you're not wrong. It did seem like 
like a lot of money to spend. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. I see that it could fill in the hole of Game of Thrones, but I still think at the end of the day, it's a it's a bad pick for that. I still think your normal person is going to feel intimidated by this. Like it's not going to feel like something you could start with episode one to like your normal outside viewer. I think they're they're really going to have to market it very well and make people feel like they can start here with nothing else. Because I think um, Tolkien stuff kind of intimidates people from the outside a lot of times. Mm. We'll see. I, I, we'll, we'll see. I, I would hope that they would establish that you don't have to watch like the the other films, you know. And I'm, I'm talking about like uh, you know, I recently just finished the extended editions. Like I watched them over a weekend and uh, I had a blast doing it. It had been years since I watched them and. Um, I really enjoyed it. So, like, it, it even got me more excited to get back into Middle Earth. Middle Earth is just a fascinating place. And, like, for them to kind of, like, explore other, you know, uh, creatures and other other battles. And, and, and we get to get, re- get reintroduced into new elves and possibly a new actor here playing Elrond. And, and uh, maybe we'll see Galadriel in this and... Uh, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see a lot of. I don't. I'm just really looking forward to getting back into Middle Earth and, and you know, this kind of be like the rise of Sauron. Like Jake, I, I know this sounds crazy, but like when you when you read about Sauron and how quickly he took over Numenor, it, it parallels that of uh, of Hitler. And like this is, you know what I mean? Does that? Oh yeah, definitely. I, the metaphor I, I think is intentional too. Yes, it is. I mean, the, you know, we we know that uh, Tolkien took a lot from history and like and and wars and stuff like that, and how like you know like the it was. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Rebecca and Greg, but like when they're when they're tearing down the trees and uh, the Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, that was like showing like um, you know this new age of like. Uh, uh, mass production and like you know like we're losing that and building cities and like building weapons and stuff like that and yeah the rise of the industrial age exactly sure. so uh, yeah looking forward to that hey let's move on into uh hey no i didn't june michael i didn't even get your thoughts on this are you guys fans of uh lord of the rings is this something that you're looking forward to june um i yes i like the um the three movies the trilogy um i was not a fan of the hobbit movies because there was really no need to make that one book and two three movies um so i'm hoping that if it's going to be more on par of like the trilogy that we've gotten that peter jackson did like i will be happier i don't want it to be like the hobbit mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I've, I've never watched the hobbit extended editions um Oh, I have no need to because it doesn't even need to be extended. <laughs> like, a, it was to me, yeah, it's already sure. like extended enough no, the fact I, that they took this little book and then stretched it out over three like two and a half hour long movies. Oh, I agree. I agree. I'm still gonna. I, I will eventually watch them though. I mean, it's something that I will watch because it's. I don't know. It's it's Tolkien. It's you know Peter Jackson. I'll I'll watch it just to just to see it, but. Michael, what do you think uh, about all this news? Yeah, as far as Lord of the Rings goes, it's one of my favorite book series, as well as movie series as well. Um, I do have the extended cuts, and after I saw your post, I dived right in, and I watched all of them, and uh, they're just fantastic. So if I get some backstory and get some prequel action, not including The Hobbits, because much like June, I didn't really like The Hobbit movies. I like The Hobbit book. Uh, the Hobbit movies weren't up my alley, but I can get behind a prequel, 
get behind like the exiled elves going against the enemy. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited for this. Yeah, me too. Me too. Looking forward to it. Um, looking forward to some like, uh, you know, announcements of like who's going to be starring in this and and uh, who are I, 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 are we going to be following? You know, Sauron the whole time. We'll find. I don't know. We'll find out. But um, I, I got to think that we'll probably follow like maybe an elf or something in this one. And, and Sauron will be a big be a big part of this though. Yeah, well, much like Game of Thrones, Elrond is going to be like a pretty big deal in this too. So, oh, I imagine who they're going to uh, cast as young Elrond and Galadriel. Uh, sh- Maybe she'll get recasted. Maybe she'll stay the same. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I no, no, I don't think that they're going to get Kate Blanchett for this. I don't think they're going to oh, get. No. I don't think they're going to get anybody from the from the original films to to reprise their roles into this. I mean, and I think technically it won't even be connected to those films. No, I mean it, it, Peter Jackson's not. Uh, you know, he's he's taken a. He's. I think he's come out and said like he's not. I don't know if he's been asked. He basically he said he's not involved in this. So I don't even know if he's going to get like an executive producer not on this at all. I, I don't think that Peter Jackson's going to be involved in this. I agree. I agree. I hope Sauron does get some um, perspective though. I think that that's one of the best things about like Game of Thrones is that we get to see so much perspective from the not good characters, and I think that would really set this apart from other versions of Lord of the Rings that we've seen. Is like seeing the evil characters and maybe even possibly getting some sympathy for them. Uh, they're not going to ruin Sauron for me, you know. Like this is not like a like a like a Darth Vader or a, you know, um, you know where we get like a, or the Joker where we get an origin story. Like you know, like honestly, like Sauron was never really even present in those films. We just saw like a fiery eyeball and uh, then a, a shadow in some armor killing people, like. That's really all like even in the Hobbit movies, like they didn't even refer to him as Sauron. He was just kind of like this evil that was moving around as a shadow in the in the forest or something. And, you know, I think Gandalf maybe mentioned him a couple times or something. So, you know, but uh, yeah, to see, they're, they're not going to ruin Sauron for me here. It's not like I'm going to be like, ah, that's that's not my Sauron. You know, he's a fucking fiery eye. Shut the fuck up. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of the day, he'll still become the fiery eye. So yeah, he'll be good. Don't worry. And if they do it right, it's a great opportunity to actually put some substance to yeah. Sauron as a character. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Uh, let's move on into Marvel news. Marvel news. We're going to talk, I think, just two stories in Marvel news. Um, and the first one is a huge one. And this was, uh, you know, m- Disney has reinstated. This came, came from Deadline this week. Uh, out of nowhere, Disney has reinstated James Gunn as the writer director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And they've confirmed it with Marvel and Gunn's camp uh, the decision to rehire Gunn. Uh, he was fired last July by Disney, um, and uh, they uh, w- why the change of hearts? Uh, 
After the firing, Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn met with Gunn on multiple occasions to discuss the situation. Persuaded by Gunn's public apology and his handling of the situation after, Horn decided to reverse course and reinstate Gunn. So, yeah. Um, Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's wild because, like, this is... This was not expected. This was not expected mm-hmm. at all. Um, you know, it just... Uh, James Gunn won. It feels like, like he, the way he handled everything, the way he carried mm-hmm. himself. Um, he never came out to the media and said anything against them. He just kind of just went on, like just went on, and um, you know, that other yeah. work. Yeah, he, he made it clear. That, he made it clear that he didn't like what happened, but he was so professional about it. Yeah, and he, you know, he didn't come out and. I don't know. He didn't, you know, say anything mean or hateful. And it was just, uh, I don't know, just it worked kind of, it kind of worked out for everybody here. Um, I know we're all thrilled about this. And I, I think most of the fandom is that he's going to be able to finish the, uh, the trilogy that he started. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of people have been saying uh, it was, it was, and I'm sure, I'm sure Kevin Feige played a hand in this, but I, I do want to point out that, from the get go, I, Dave Batista should really kind of just be commended for the stance he took early on before anybody really did. Hundred percent. Yeah, he did not back down about how he felt about this. Not and at all. Yeah, I mean, he put his own professional career on the line, kind of to stick up for his buddy. And yeah, lots of respect for yeah. him. Agreed. And uh, you know, but you guys kind of likened it to like being like in a relationship, right? Like, um, you know. You have a bad breakup, and then like Gunn goes over to DC, and Marvel's Disney is like, "Oh wait, now I'm jealous. Now I want you back." I don't know. I've heard that fan theory. I actually don't buy that in the slightest. No, I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But like, but you can't deny the timing of it either. Like he just casted like Idris Elba to replace Will Smith, and then like. A few days later, he gets reinstated to Disney. So no, the, the, here, no. Here's there the, might be a little. They've oh, been sorry. they've been talking. They they've actually said that this has been this has been something that they decided on months ago. Okay, so yeah, at the same, they've had multiple meetings about it. Yes, this is something that they had decided on months ago, and I think that that makes sense because I think with you know you've got. Uh, um, uh, Chris Pratt coming out, you know, a few weeks ago, and I believe he was talking with MTV News, and he said that yes, there that I can confirm that we're still using James Gunn's script. That lines up. That lines up. That like, yeah, we're going to mm-hmm. use James Gunn's script, and maybe even Pratt knew at that time that James Gunn was coming back. Just couldn't say anything because they still got to sign the contract and they still got to figure out like the timing of all this. Since James Gunn is still doing the Suicide Squad, which is the sequel to. Suicide Squad. So I, I think that th- this has been they've they and and I, I think they wanted to distance themselves a little bit more from it too, just by a couple more months, just to make certain and um, and they probably didn't want to take away from you know other things that they had going on and 
like of course Captain Marvel. They didn't want to announce it the same week that Captain Marvel came out. They wanted to, and and of course like all the news from Captain Marvel was very celebratory. And so like let's keep that going here. Let's let's let people know that James Gunn's coming back. And you know like you can even look at some of the tweets from you know like Taika Waititi and uh, Edgar Wright and some of these other people that you know a lot of people were saying like oh maybe they could get these guys to direct the Guardians of the Galaxy film. I honestly feel like none no other directors wanted this job everybody james gunn everybody loves him um and i've even according to the hollywood reporter and deadline they said that marvel and disney didn't even seek out or consider anyone for guardians of the galaxy volume three that it was they didn't talk with other directors at all like this this never even was a conversation it was like one of those things where they didn't even put their feelers out and um Jake, do you think that this was always the intent? Like, okay, like right now we've got to get rid of this guy, but, uh, you know, we'll wait for things to kind of, we'll see what the public reaction is, you know, and wait and see where we are near, near a year later and then just rehire this guy. I don't, I don't, but it's weird because Iger, Iger said, Iger said that they weren't. Iger said months ago in like a shareholders meeting or, or, or an interview or something that, that uh, he's not coming back. Right. Yeah, I, I think they definitely did change their mind here recently when these meetings started. I, you know, I, I think they at, at one point recognized it probably wasn't the right decision, but they weren't going to look like dolts and rehire him back that quickly. Mm-hmm. They just kind of had to stick with the decision they made or, or else look even more wishy washy with it. But I just think as time passed and the way Gunn handled himself throughout all of this, that it just became a no brainer. It wasn't like Gunn was being like publicly hated on after they fired him either right he immediately went and got more high profile jobs he wasn't blacklisted by any means by any other studio mm-hmm. so it just made disney look more and more ridiculous as more and more time went by so i i kind of think it was the only choice they could make by the end of it yeah right and i agree with you like when you were saying brian like that really nobody wanted this nobody wanted to take you know this job like <laughs> Right. And so I think, I mean, I think it has something to do with it too. I think maybe Disney, even if they didn't put feelers out, you know, they're not, you know, blind or deaf to like what they're hearing on social media. And if you hear the other directors who are like, you know, even just talking to fans and they're like, absolutely not, I'm not going to do that. I mean, that itself, you know, gives them sort of like a gauge as to the possibility of getting another high profile director in this position. Maybe they saw that and read it and was like, uh. Yeah, maybe it won't be so easy to replace him. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think they could have got somebody to do it other than James Gunn. Like, I'm not saying, like, everybody would have turned this down. Like, but I I think, like, directors that don't need necessarily need this job, like guys like Taika Waititi can easily turn this down. Like, he puts a target on himself. J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. Like, they put the target on themselves when they take a job from a beloved director that was forced out of this. I feel like, yeah, you could definitely get, like, an indie director to come in and do this. Like, you could get, like, you know, like John Watts, when John Watts was brought in from, he did a movie Cop Car with Kevin Bacon, where, uh, you know, that was an independent film, and uh, they brought him in to do Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, a guy like John Watts. They could have found a guy that it's done, like, you know, a small independent film that they could have pulled in 
that they thought could have done a great job on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and this guy, this would have made this guy's day. This guy would have just uh, guy or gal would have loved to have made this movie. I think, but you're not going to get like a Taika. You're not going to get a JJ. You're not going to get you know a Ryan Johnson to come in here and no. and direct this. You're, they're not. I mean, I instantly. I think they. It makes you look bad. I I really yeah, do. It's, it's instant bad press. I, I uh-huh. completely agree with you. It, even though they're not the bad guy, it definitely paints them as the bad guy mm-hmm. or someone willing to step on their friend's back to advance their own career potentially. Or there's just almost every way you paint the scenario. If you get a big name director in here, it kind of doesn't look good on the big name director. So what are the chances yeah. that we get? What are the chances that we get Mark Hamill back in this movie now, Jake? Um. Man, I don't know. With Woods oh. back? Huh? What? Mark Hamill? Hold on. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't. Yeah, James, come on, guys. Uh, oh, the, Guardians Sorry. of the. I... That's fine. Let me explain. James Gunn uh, was. There was a tweet that was sent out. I believe it was from a fan. Uh, may, I could be wrong about this, but a fan or somebody says, like, what about getting Mark Hamill in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? And then Mark Hamill, like, tweeted about it and like you know tweeted at james gone and they said hey let's get lunch sometime and we'll we'll talk and then they ended up getting lunch together mark hamill and james gunn and so there was a big there was a you know there's this rumor that you know uh, mark hamill could be cast in guardians of the galaxy volume three now after james gunn was fired from the project you know, I guess those hopes were kind of dashed for a lot of fans. Like, uh, even if it was a possibility of getting Mark Hamill in here in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, now we're getting a new director. That's probably not going to happen. Um, I'm thinking that, that that could be a big possibility now. Yeah, that would be really cool. What What do you think Hamill would do? You think he'd be a bad guy? Yeah, I think it would be cool to have him as a bad guy. 100%, man. That would be so badass. Just to have James gone back on the project, because I know about all the stuff that went down. He left, got another job, got another gig. But I felt like, like you guys said, for a while now, he's had this job back. It just took him until now to announce it. And he's got everybody behind him. He's got the Twitter sphere behind him. He's got the fans behind him. And now he's got Disney behind him. So I feel like he can take this movie and do whatever he wants, put whoever he wants in it, and it'll still be a, uh, it'll still be a cash cow. Here's the question. Um, does this end his relationship with Marvel Studios after this movie? Yeah, that's a good question. I've thought a lot about that. I don't, I don't know. It seems... It seems weird. Like before all this went down, it really seemed like he was definitely going to have a very big guiding hand in the cosmic side of things. Kevin Feige but, came, came. Kevin Feige came out uh, a few weeks ago and said people kind of like blew that out of proportion. That that's not the case. Yeah, that almost seems like they're kind of setting people up for how things are going to go now. I honestly see him coming in and finishing Guardians and moving on. Yeah, that, so you think he's just going to finish the trilogy? He's going to finish what he on. started. He's going to finish what he started. And I, I can honestly see him at this point deepening that relationship with 
Warner Brothers, possibly making more, uh, not just saying like making more DC movies. He might, but he also might make just like Warner Brothers films in general. Um, and then I'd like to see him work with the Russos. I'd like to see him do like an Agbo uh, work with Agbo and, uh, and and do some movies with Agbo, their studio. But, um, you know, a lot of people were like, how is this going to affect, uh, you know, uh, the Suicide Squad? Is this is he, you know, and uh, Peter Safran, he's a producer for uh, DC, Warner Brothers. Um, and I wanted to point this out. It was his wife that played the Fisherman's King in Aquaman. Uh, Fisherman King's wife in Aquaman. Oh. Which, Fisherman King was Jaiman Hansu. If you remember from Aquaman. Did anybody else watch Aquaman that's talking yeah, yeah, on this yeah. podcast? That's, that's a good, nice factoid. <laughs> Nobody watched. The answer is no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just like it's, I feel like it's uh, Cole Sprouse, Timothy Chalamet all over again. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, I want to. Diamond Hansu is the only actor to go from Marvel to DC to Marvel and then back to DC. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> he, he played Korath the Pursuer in Guardians of the Galaxy, he was the Fisherman King in Aquaman. Then he played Korath the Pursuer in Captain Marvel, and he's going to be uh, the wizard in uh, the upcoming Shazam film. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot he was in Shazam. Yep. Uh, but anyway, Peter Safran, uh, he was talking to JoeBlow.com um, that James Gunn will not be rushing his work on the Suicide Squad to get started on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He says, no, it was all handled incredibly elegantly, and everybody knows on both sides that Suicide Squad is the priority today, and he'll finish that movie, and then everybody knows that his next film will be Guardians. It's the best of all possible both worlds, I think, for fans and for James Gunn himself. So, yeah, it'll be basically like, it it, it looks like they'll start um, filming... Guardians at the end of 2021, which means we'll probably get Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in 2023. Yeah, that's what I've been reading to, uh, like a 2023, like August-ish type date, probably. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, so, yeah. I, they like that for Guardians, they, they kind of given Guardians that may release. You know, oh, yeah, they did step it up, it. I guess, for the second movie. And they could get it out by that time, Jake, because they've already done a lot of uh, prep for this film. Like, the, they had the crew showing up. The, the crew was showing up for to work on this. Um, they've done a lot of location scouting and stuff like that. They, they've got all that ready to go. So, like, that's not stuff that they need to plan out. They can the actually. Gun's already written the movie, mm-hmm. too. For yeah, yeah they've right had now. the script for a year. So, yeah, I think I think that they could get it out by that, that May 2023 release. So I think it's it is possible. Um, I don't I don't mind waiting since Gun's coming back, though, because, wow, that was just it was going to be so weird to review and talk about a James Gunless Guardians movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was not looking forward to that. Uh, Marvel Studios. Yeah, moving on. Marvel Studios is producing a what if TV series adaption for Disney Plus. Jake, did you read about this? 
I did read about this. I love this. One of my all-time favorite series from Marvel Comics here. So it's going to be animated. It's going to be an animated. I, I love What If as well. Uh, it's going to be animated. Um, there's over, you know, in the, in the comic books, it, uh, there was over 200 issues that they published uh, for What If, which uh, actually came out uh, in 1977. But over the course of time, there's been 200 issues of this. And just, you know, just different What If stories. And, and they're not canon within the 616, you know, comic book universe. Um, but, uh, it's just like, you know, like what if the X-Men died on their first mission or like, what if Loki had, uh, found, uh, you know, uh, could, could wield Mjolnir, you know, and you know, just stories like that. And, and here we are, we're going to be getting a, 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 what if, um, uh, TV series, but it's going to be set within stories within the MCU, but not Canon it's, but it's going to be MCU. So do you think I like that a lot? Do you think that they're going to get the voice actors here? That we're like we're going to get Tom Hiddleston playing Loki, like we're going to get Anthony Mackie being the voice of Falcon. We're going to get like these stars to play, like you know, like what if what <laughs> here I am saying what if Jake, what if Captain America does die in Avengers Endgame, and one of the first episodes of this is like. What if Captain America didn't die in Endgame? Like, like th- this is the kind of shit they're going to be able to do on this show, man. I think um, if they want to get eyes on this show, they do need to come out banging like that. Like, they need a premise that's going to draw all the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I think you—that's a great one. If Cap dies, the you know, what if Iron Man died instead of instead of Captain America or something like that? Dude. I, I think that would really just bring yeah. attention to the show. Yeah. Instead of just from like the you know what if fanboys, and which I can't imagine there's tons of. Right. I mean, the show's pretty well revered, but sure. uh, the series, series but yeah. it's old and people yeah. won't talk about it much anymore. Right. Jake, check so, this out. Check this out. What, what if what if they did this? And I keep saying what if. I keep no. Go ahead, June. Go ahead. I got another scenario. I like, I so my question is, and so when you say it's um in the MCU but not canon, so it's what if scenarios within stories that we already know. Yeah, exactly. Correct. In the MCU, but like none of this is actually canon to the MCU right, because, because it's all hypothetical. It's all so, hypothetical. Um, what if stories? Yeah. Um, super, so then I would feel like you would you would have to because I was actually going to I was wondering right when you asked the question, though, I was wondering about who would be voicing the characters. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel like you would have to have the actors. Mm, I mean, think of all the Star Wars animated shows that don't use the characters. I mean, they, they could easily just but, they, but sometimes they do. And here, we've got we've got Kevin Feige, who's going to be overseeing this series. So it's and, and I, I think that a lot of these actors could come over and do these shows. I, you know, yeah. No, I agree. I just I, I was disagreeing with the they have they to. have to. They don't. Well, they don't. Got to do with a lot with uh, budget as well, too, right? Well, they're not going to spare any expenses on these. I believe. Yeah, it's I mean, Disney Plus. It's Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going to spare any expenses on this. I really don't. I think they're going to go out. You know, I think that that's just another reason to get people to watch this and to subscribe to the service. If, if they do get these actors to be the voices of these characters, I mean, even in Star Wars, they didn't get all the actors, but you did get like times where like. Forrest Whitaker is going to be voicing Saw Gerrera. You know, I mean, that did happen. So, um, Jake, what, hold on. Like, they could, they could, fuck, if, even though the Fox deal isn't even completed to, like, now, they could still do a, what if, um, what if the X-Men were in the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the get-go? Yeah, I, could do really fun stuff with that. I, like, I was thinking, 
what if the X-Men had to save New York in the Battle of New York? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. See, the thing is, uh, what people need to know is that um, the movie rights were always owned by Fox. Uh, the animation and the the animation and the TV rights were owned by Marvel still. Oh, yeah. That's why you'd always see X-Men characters showing up, all the Spider-Man animated cartoons uh-huh. and stuff like yeah. that. Um, you know, rightfully, they could have them in the Avengers cartoons, too. They just mostly chose not to and uh-huh. not to muddy those waters. Yeah. Well, and, or well, Sony didn't have a big a problem with that, you know? Well, Fox FX had to ask Marvel for permission to use Legion for the TV show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I believe it. Good thing they answered yes. Well, on that Legion posters, it says, uh, you know, it says uh, in uh, in a, you know in in association like a co like a co. It said something about Marvel ABC Studios. ABC Productions. Yeah, something. It said yeah. It definitely said something about Marvel being involved in it. So um, yeah, it, like a, it is. Like and a, then ABC Productions. Right. I was confused about that, and I think you explained to me on an episode, Brian, that. Yeah. Um, like Legion, like the TV rights of the characters. Exactly. Which is why you do have like that? I guess Legion is technically a Marvel television production. Well, they 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 gave they they let FX do it. So right. Yeah, they uh, they worked out a deal with FX. I, I what did they they got something in return? Um, I can't remember what it was, but they did get something in return. I think they got something for the Guardians film, right, Jake? Is that true? God, oh, God. Uh, was it was that where Daredevil and Punisher kind of did a little bit of a something? Yeah, yeah, it felt like right. It, it, it yeah. felt like you know, like like they gave you know they they gave a little to each other here. I don't know. I, oh, Jake, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Could they introduce like Galactus and Silver Surfer in that? Like now, like right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think they will, though. Could they? Yes. It feels, especially, that feels like not the thing to do on wrapping up the James Gunn trilogy movie. But maybe. I, just, I don't know. I, just, I think it's fun to say out loud, right? Like, sometimes, like, we don't have to think that it's actually going to happen, but it's it's kind of fun to just say that kind of shit out loud now, because, like, Disney is going to own, you know, the Fox Marvel characters and like it could happen. Like that speculation is still kind of fun, you know, like, oh, yeah, I agree. It out it's there. fun. Feels it like the post credit material type of thing that could easily happen. Yeah, sure. it could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. What if I think it's going to be a blast. I, I mean, they've spared no expenses, in my opinion, with the Mandalorian. Like with and this is, you know, like uh, the Mandalorian, like they're. They're building sets like these are these are sets that they're building on this show. It's 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 impressive what they've done with the Mandalorian. So well, I'm, and this is an animated show. That, so they're going to be able to really just I just hope the animation looks gorgeous and they use and they do something uh, something incredible here. Like, Jake, I mean, I've been blown away by the animation that I've seen in this uh, Love, Death, Robot series. I, I've been blown away yeah. by the animation that I saw into the Spider-Verse. Like, what is Disney going to do here that's going to blow us away to get us to come back and watch this? Are the characters going to look like they're, uh, you know, like the, the live-action counterparts? I kind of like, I was honestly, think, it was hard not to think about Love, Death, and Robots when talking about this. Um, honestly, would like kind of a rotating animation style for this kind of story. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. And I think different, like, thematic stories would lend itself to different kinds of animation 
Yeah, I would dig that too. What do you guys What are you guys thinking as far as like the animation goes? Uh, you can disagree with us. Would you like to see like a Would you like it to be just like a one style animation so it doesn't get all crazy every every episode, or would you like it to Would you like them to mix it up? June? I want them to mix it up. Like I, I would love for the, I would. I that's one of the things like I loved about um, in the Spider Verse. Hmm. Like the different when you brought in the different like characters from like the different versions of Spider-Man from the multiverse. Like I, I liked that, it, you know, you had the anime style mm-hmm. or you had the noir style and, um, you know, with, um, spider ham, it was very much like Looney tunes, kind of like a two dimensional, you know, I, I liked that. And I, I think that would be great in this to have like each episode be a different style based on the themes and the characters. Are there any what if stories that you would like to see from the MCU played out here? Yeah, I've been brainstorming them this whole time. One I think would be really fun is um, what if Wong was the Sorcerer Supreme <laughs> and Steven was the Apprentice? <laughs> nice. Huh. So, but yeah, there's just so many possibilities. I mean, you could just spit ball forever, just fun ways to do twist on stuff, right? Yeah. It doesn't always have to be crazy stuff like bringing in characters we haven't seen before either. It can just be. You know, small. What if what if Bucky got the super serum instead of Cap? You know, just small variations on what we know could just be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what other, like what if and like a, what a if fun one that's been brought up already is like what if Spider-Man's Uncle Ben had lived and Aunt May was murdered. Yeah, but they yeah, didn't even show that. In, they didn't really show that in the MCU though. Like, is you know. Yeah, that's true. It's it, MCU origin story hasn't even really happened in the MCU. <laughs> yeah, she was just kind of there, I guess. <laughs> I would like to see like right, what if what if Tony and Pepper don't ever have a relationship? Oh, I don't know because I feel like she influences a lot. Of, <laughs> I feel like she influences a lot of like of what he does. So hold on, here, here we go. Let me. Uh, what if Iron Man three didn't suck? That's true, that too. How about that one? <laughs> I know, Jake liked it. Yeah, I was fine with it. I get it, Jake, but you know what? I, it's still garbage to me, so I don't know. What if Age of Ultron didn't suck? <laughs> yeah, what if Ultron was villainous? Yeah, what, what if Ultron was an actual Instead of like villain? A, a hilarious stand-up comedian? <laughs> yeah, I think there's lots of fun stuff to do with Cap. You know, what if Cap you know, woke up in this decade instead type of stuff. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. Oh my God. If cap woke up in the seventies. Yeah. There's just like the discotheque, the discotheque area, like era and everything. Like what if even more, what if red skull won? Yeah. What if the juggernaut was an accountant? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) What if Deadpool had no sense of humor? (laughs) <laughs> then you're, you're, just, then you're just letting Rob Liefeld write the character. <laughs> <laughs> what it's my, it's my favorite thing you said all episode. <laughs> Fuck you! I've said a lot of good things this episode. <laughs> I, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I'm just putting that one on a pedestal. Oh man, okay, I should just end it now. We can go out on a bang. <laughs> um, 
tell you what, they, we'll move on from what if. Yeah, like Jake was like, what if Brian was better this episode and just told <laughs> and just told funny Liefeld jokes the whole time? <laughs> what if Brian could just tell on par Liefeld jokes the entire episode instead of sucking so hard? <laughs> I'd watch that episode. You know what I haven't started? Uh, Arrested Development Season uh, 5, the second part of it. It's out. Oh, it's amazing. Are you serious? Because that first part was garbage, dude. Nah, it's awesome, man. I should have done that for fucking good pop, bad pop. What the fuck? You would have just spoiled it for me. Is all you, you would piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> and then Buster dies. And then this is who kills Lucille. It's like, what the fuck, dude? What the fuck? <laughs> what if Michael didn't spoil everything? <laughs> That's the, dude, it's like the tapper, the spoiler. <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't even want to know if I'm even invited back. Yeah, I'll bring you back so we can, I don't know, rip your new asshole some more. How about that? <laughs> How about that? You're just like our, my, my personal punching bag, you know? You're just like, Brian's gonna have like a Brian's gonna have a shitty week, and he's gonna feel good. I'm having the worst week ever. Bring Michael on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get my anger out. Just, just, Michael's like like my little pin cushion. I just poke pins into all the time. Um, let's move on into. You know, I got no Star Wars news. Uh, we, I got a little bit of DC news, and then we're gonna end this bad boy. Last night, Batman destroyed my vagina. And now the leftovers are going to destroy DC News. It's time for DC News, you fucking pieces of shit. All right, what do I got here? What do I got here? What do I got here? Ah, Shazam. Shazam is coming out real soon, Jake. Uh, it's coming out uh, April, uh, first weekend in April, but they're doing a early screening on uh, March 23rd, Saturday, March 23rd. Um, I, we're going to be at C2E2, dude, so... Yeah, we're not going to see that early screening. It'll be interesting to uh, see yeah. what people are saying now. Yeah, um, be- they're really. I, I read they're fast tracking this thing to make like fifty mil now. Have you not read the early reactions? People have seen this, Jake. Oh yeah, you- I have not read the early reactions. Uh, early reactions are very positive. I've actually heard some people come out and say that this is the best DC film so far to date. Yeah, I believe it. It's you know both trailers have been super fun, and you know. Every time I see him, I laugh when I go see a movie. Um, so I'm excited. I am excited, too. Um, I don't know. I uh, maybe, I, maybe I won't hold on. Maybe I'll, I won't read this. I don't know. I've got... Um, I'm not sh- sure how reliable the source is, but I, I, I got a Shazam rumor here, and it's actually... Uh, uh, there's two post-credit scenes, apparently, to Shazam, and I've got uh, post-credit scene descriptions. Ooh, that's up to you. That's some spoiler territory if they're correct, though. Yeah, you know what? Let's stay away from it. We're so close to the movie. Why jump into it now, right? Yeah, that's usually where we are on this kind of thing. Like, we don't, we usually don't ever, like, even when the leaks of the Marvel movie post credit stuff comes, like, a week or two before the movie, we kind of never touch that shit either. No. In fact, we try not to find out what try it is. Try to stay away from Let's that. just uh, pull a mic and get a little crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike watched a movie called Triple Frontier, and then he turns into quadruple spoilers, right? I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey. <laughs> I am excited about Shazam, though. This looks so fun. Like, it just it looks like it's just going to be a very, very fun mm-hmm. 
comedy, and I'm just I'm very excited. Yeah, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Did you see this Flash movie news? Oh yeah, that Grant Morrison and uh, Ezra Miller are writing the movie together now. Yeah, they're writing the movie to determine if Ezra Miller is even going to stay on board for the film. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous story. <laughs> so I didn't know what to what? make of it. Okay, let me read this. This this comes from. Uh, I got the story here from Dark Horizons. Other outlets have published it, but this is from Dark Horizons. Ezra Miller and celebrated comics author Grant Morrison are teaming up to take a shot at the script for The Flash, standalone film at Warner Brothers Pictures. The pair will reportedly pen a draft that could determine if Miller stays on board the film. The project has been stuck in development for a while and is currently the subject of clashing creative visions. The film's current writer-directors, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, uh, they did the uh, Game Night movie they directed that one uh they wrote the uh spider-man homecoming film uh they want to take a light-hearted approach to the material as does the studio miller who sees himself as a deeply committed to the character wants a darker take on the material and the two sides have been working on compromises since last year so miller took the initiative to tackle the story himself he and morrison partnered with warners hiring the two to uh, the two to script their take, which could be submitted to the studio as early as next week. Miller's holding the deal. Miller's holding deal on the Flash reportedly expires May, which means the studio would will have to make a decision soon. I say get rid of Ezra Miller. I say get him out of there. I would rather have John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein direct this and use their lighthearted approach to the material than get this dark Grant Morrison, Ezra Miller bullshit um, and just recast. Uh, they're already recasting Batman. Let's recast fucking The Flash. Jake, what are you thinking, man? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm I'm not the biggest Grant Morrison guy. Um, you know, his stuff that's really great is really great, but I don't... Him writing movies seems crazy to me like that is going to be the least accessible mm-hmm. movie for mainstream fans you've ever fucking heard of and right. i don't think that's doing dc films any favors right now grant morrison has done some great things in comics even in superheroes stuff like he's done like his earlier stuff i thought was really good um i thought uh and his independent stuff his independent stuff is really good i loved happy i loved klaus i love a lot of his independent work but man, when he did that run for the New Fifty Two on Action Comics, that was garbage. And, yeah, right. I mean, so yeah, and he was so like in the interviews about it, he seemed very like he was kind of going against the grain and saying like, well, you know, he wasn't really writing it for the fans, you know, yeah. writing what he wanted to read. And right. it's like, well, that doesn't sell comic books, Grant. <laughs> right. And so I, I I think you get Ezra Miller and Grant Morrison right. I would love to read it for for a few minutes before I get bored with it and then never want to touch it again. But I, I dude, I, I say, I, I say you wait this out till May and then come June, July, you're, you're bringing in different actors to cast as the flash here. And I don't hate Ezra Miller. I think he's fine. I, I would like to see what he would do, but I do not want to see an Ezra Miller. That's going to conflict with the directors here. That just has, 
like disaster written all over it. And I think you're going to get a better product at the end of the day. If you get two guys like John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein doing this movie, then you were going to get like, uh, I'll be honest with you. I think you're going to get a bit better movie with these guys than you were definitely with Seth Graham Smith when they were talking about that fucking <laughs> idiot being on it. And then even, even, even Rick Fumiyawa, who I love, I think he's great. Um, I think you're going to get a better movie with John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein on this. I, I think those yeah. guys are like, I don't want to, I don't even want to say like, oh, they're t- Phil Lord and Chris Miller light. I think like these guys have the potential to be like Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I think they're that talented. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you were both, you know, very much champions of Ezra Miller becoming the Flash. Yeah. And, you know, ironically, I think a lot of that had to do with we saw him as being kind of a, you know, a flag for this type of lighthearted, fun Flash approach. So it's kind of ironic that now we're at the end of the cycle and he's kind of become uber serious Ezra Miller Mm -hmm. who doesn't want to, you know, kind of do this like more lighthearted, fun version. And so, yeah, it's 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 a very odd turn of events. Well, dude, I'm like started I'm, with the original cast. I was all for like, OK, we've got like an LGBT actor here playing the Flash. That's awesome. Very cool. But when he's going against and this has nothing to do with his sexuality, at all when the actor is going against what the director's vision is. That's when I have a problem here, because, like, I think that you've got the right guys in place to do this movie. Can you imagine if, like, Brie Larson was on was doing Captain Marvel, but the entire movie she's like she had a different direction than Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Can you imagine, like, how crazy of a set that would be? That would be like Rami Malek doing Bohemian Rhapsody with Brian Singer. Right. I mean, that's yeah, it's, it's slightly toxic. You like, don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. No one's going to be no director wants to come in. Who's going to want to film Ezra Miller, you know, on the screenplay that he co-wrote with Grant Morrison? Like, that does not sound like a fun time. Oh, God, that movie sounds like just uh, just dour and confusing as well. Yeah, yeah. You can very much expect time travel to be involved, I feel like, if Grant Morrison's there, too. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I don't know. I am. Oh, man. I I think that they should just wait this out till May. Let his deal expire. And then just recast the Flash. As as sad as that is, it's it. But if you if you got an actor here that's not wanting to play ball with these directors, you gotta let him go. Because like I think like you got it. You, <laughs> John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein are the only two directors that have stuck around for this fucking thing. Everybody yeah, else is like gonna, left. Now you're gonna fucking push them around. It seems pretty stupid. Oh, does that mean that the actress that they got to play? Iris is still going to be involved in this. Like she's the only mainstay, like Rick Fumiyawa, you know what I mean? Like Rick Fumiyawa, like cast her. And then like, even after he left, she was still on the project, right? Yeah, I would. I I bet they'd probably just at that point, they'd probably just want a fresh cast, I would think. Oh, I think that's terrible. This poor girl, Jake, she's been (laughs) wanting to do this movie for like four years now. And she's been the only person to stick her. Yeah. Kiersey Clemens. I oh, man. Give her a shot. Somebody, please let her do this fucking movie. (laughs) God, (laughs) don't let her go. Oh, it's terrible. 
That's terrible. It's like, uh, you know, uh, it, it, this is even worse than Shailene Woodley when she was uh, originally cast as Mary Jane in uh, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 with uh, Garfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you can see her in that movie. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, there's one shot uh, in that Amazing Spider-Man 2 of a girl looking out of a uh, business window, like a big win- like a big window pane. And uh, you get to see her from the back. That's actually Shailene Woodley as Mary Jane. But they took out all her scenes and they never credit her, of course, in that scene as Mary Jane. It's, so it just looks like a girl looking out of a, uh, you know, like a big pane of glass <laughs> from the back. That's interesting. Yeah. Not enough of a reason to rewatch Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, dude, I, I tell you, man, it's uh, it's <laughs> definitely worth it, man. And the sa- the sa- the soundtrack alone. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, I th- you know, I talked about a simple plan earlier. That movie, Jake. You're you're a fan yeah. of that movie, aren't you? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Bridget Fonda. Who's her husband? Oh shoot, I'm on the spot. I don't even know. Danny Elfman. She was, wasn't she? she was Danny Elfman. At one point, right? Who? Wasn't she involved with Robert Taper, too, at one point? I don't I don't know. She's married to Danny Elfman. Oh, wow. Okay. No. What? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, right. I know that. Yeah. I, I think I just kind of killed the episode there by bringing that up. It feels like things got, <laughs> things got a little weird. No. <laughs> just think, it's been dead for a long time. I don't think it just died. <laughs> so, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! All right, I, you know I'll just end this bitch. We're done. <laughs> How about that? Let's kill it. Let's kill it. All right. Yeah, this episode's old Yeller taking you out behind the shed. Let's do this. <laughs> wow. Oh, why would you? That's awful. Why would you use that metaphor? I love the metaphor, Brian. Oh, uh, what is wrong with you guys? Terrible. <laughs> It's, no, I think it, it fits, right? Like, I'm ready to end this episode. Let's kill it. And that's uh, it's a good example of uh, killing something. And then we get a new dog next I mean, new episode next week. You know, this uh, this episode's got rabies. I know. I'll say, like, who got the rabies? Like, whose fault is it? All right, now I'm thinking you, June. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shit, then I guess just take me around back. Shoot I've had rabies, June. It's all good. Uh, June's foaming at the mouth. Time to put her out of her misery. <laughs> <laughs> take one. T- take a blast of the head there, old foam face. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. My favorite part was your apology. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, no, remember, no new episode next week. We will return uh, April or something, Jake? Like April 1st? Something like that? Yeah, April, that April, sounds about right. Sounds right I, don't, I don't have my calendar right in front of me, but April, I'll go with it. We'll be back on it. Yeah, we'll be back on April Fool's Day. Wink, wink. No episode that week either. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that'd be yeah. Great. We just take two weeks off. Like, fuck you. Yeah, be waiting by your phone on April 1st to download our new episode. Yeah. I hope to have like a little bonus episode up from like a, a panel or something that I do at C2E2. And I know Rebecca did a 
uh, an interview this week. So I'll, I'll at least have that ready to go next week. So you'll have something to listen to. Um, I might even, my, Michael, we might even have you just do a spoiler podcast where you get on here and just spoil like the endings to like new content that's just recently come out. Just get on here and just spoil it for everybody. You know, I absolutely like, love the idea. Yeah, I might have you do like you like might an hour after Netflix drops it. It's like yes. all right, it's been on Netflix for an hour. Here you go. Yeah, one hundred fifty percent. Let me know. Exactly. Uh, Winkler spoilers is what we'll call it, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just get on here. It's don't want to watch ten hours of content. Come to Winkler Spoilers. I'll tell you in one minute. No, you, yeah, exactly. No, that's, I, I like uh, you. Just trick people. You know, like they think they're just going to they're just going to get, you know, like uh, they're just going to get like your review as far as like, did you like it or not? Like, you know, some, you know, be very vague about things that happened in the show, but not really diving deep into it and spoiling things. And then you're just like, ah, fuck you. And you just throw it all out there and spoil the shit out of it. You know? Yeah. I would call it Winkler's spoiler free zone. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Winkler spoiler free zone and then you bring up like a show <laughs> you're like yeah so uh would love to talk we're going to talk about uh the Shazam movie I'm just going to kind of give you my overall thoughts uh and then like like, like you just give away you give away the ending like like boom right then and there like you know kind of like Jake with Han dies back in the day <laughs> so uh he gets his powers and then you won't fucking believe this shit. Before The Force Awakens came out, me and Jake recorded an episode. We did a whole, like, spoiler episode about The Force Awakens where it was labeled as spoilers. But that same week, we did a regular episode. And on that regular episode, Jake must have, like, I don't know, forgot that we had already done the spoiler episode. It just comes right out and tells people that Han dies in The Force Awakens. <laughs> And this yeah, is like pretty, pretty legendary. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but at least that's badass and not fucking Final Frontier shit. <laughs> that's a great point. I spoiled great A material. You're like, yeah. net, bad Netflix original movies. <laughs> that's the difference between uh, Michael Winkler's spoiler free zone. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to set your heights higher. Yeah. It's the discovery zone for adults. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like it's, it's what's great about like michael winkler's spoiler free zone podcast is like people typically only listen once like they like like, like <laughs> there's a lot of not a lot of repeat listeners on this one you know it's a lot like, of people make it through an entire episode no they like you fucked me you son of a bitch and <laughs> average listening time is like six minutes and 34 seconds <laughs> oh man that's great. Hey June, thanks a lot. June, we're gonna we're gonna meet you in person in uh, less than a week at C two E two. Yes, I'm excited to meet you guys in person. So <laughs> exactly, me too. I can't wait. I can't wait. You and then and uh, Greg Alenti and uh, maybe some. I don't know. Are there other people that we haven't met, Jake, or is it mostly like uh, regulars that we've met before? Uh, I I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that's going to be there that we haven't met yet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, Cole Sprouse or Timothy Chalamet will show up. <laughs> 
I would I would like to put a face to the name of Cole Sprouse. God damn, I get from Big Daddy, just twenty years you know, older. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that, that that puts a face to the name. I can't really I can't really blame Jake. It's it's it is an obscure kind of thing, you know. Cole Sprouse. Like I can't imagine Jake being like a big Cole Sprouse fan. Doesn't Cole Sprouse doesn't Cole Sprouse sound like kind of like a uh doesn't that sound like an organic salad that you would order? I was going to say an organic vegetable. Yep. Yeah, like I would like your Cole Sprouse. And like they, I don't know, they just hand you like this uh, plate with all these leafy greens on it, right? Yeah, I feel like they're like long leafy greens, like broccoli rob. Right, yeah. exactly. I'm eating the Cole Sprouse. Mmm, mmm, <laughs> Cole Sprouse. Mm. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> High in vitamins. Uh, let's end this fucker, like I said, like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> and just like all good left. Li- Thank you, June. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. I know I gave you a lot of shit, Michael, but if I didn't like having you on, I wouldn't have had you on again. And we'll have you back, you son of a bitch. And you'll probably <laughs> just be, you'll be just as awkward. <laughs> I have no faith in your third appearance. Zero. <laughs> Me neither. I have none. I don't think that you'll 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 bring nothing to the episode except ridicule Absolutely on my end. To the table. It's just it's just ridicule. Yeah, the guy that said third times a charm never met Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy that guy that guy actually changed it to third yeah, time. That guy out behind the bar. No, that guy that guy met Michael and he he changed the saying to third time yes yeah, same stuff maybe same out same, same outcome let's make it 10 same outcome every time hey uh just like all good leftovers say michael you're gonna be doing i keep saying that and i keep going back to something <laughs> michael do you have a name you're gonna be doing a game of thrones podcast oh yeah actually yeah do you have a uh, name for that thing yeah it's uh winter is here uh it's a leftover spoilers <laughs> sorry <laughs> So it's uh, Winter is Here, a Leftover Army Game of Thrones podcast. Uh-huh. It can be found on the Leftover Army podcast feed. It's me and Melissa Sloter covering episodes weekly when it starts. And uh, our first episode is going to be next week covering the trailer predictions. You can send in uh, predictions or theories that you want us to discuss at uh, LOA Thrones podcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to discuss them. Nice, nice. I will definitely be listening to that. And, uh, you know, that's that's your show. You can spoil whatever you want to on that one, Michael. Well, that's the best thing because it hasn't happened yet. I know. So you, <laughs> well, and even once the episodes air, you're going to be recapping them so you can go hog wild on spoilers. Because people showing up to listen to this thing, you would hope that they've watched the episode. <laughs> you know, because I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know if everybody watched Triple Frontier when you were yammering on. Oh, no, I ruined it for a good 40% of the listeners. (laughs) It's fine. I don't think we're going to get a lot of it. Fuck you. You ruined my. (laughs) You ruined the best movie of 2019. You ruined my Triple Frontier experience, you son of a bitch. I don't think we're going to get a lot of that backlash, Michael. Anyway, yeah, check that. uh, Check out uh, Michael's podcast on the uh, Leftover Army podcast feed. Just go to your iTunes or whatever the fuck you listen to podcasts on and search Leftover Army and you'll see a child's drawing and that's probably the feed. <laughs> and I'm not joking about that. You'll see a child's drawing 
and just subscribe to that feed and you'll get all the podcasts that are released on the Leftover Army podcast feed. And just like all good leftovers say in their doggy bags, thank you for your patronage. Thanks for listening. We will see you not next week, but the week after. See ya. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, clean it. It lets embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover. Counterculture pushovers. Pop culture leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good have already been done before, so we should. Separate the wheat from the shaft And we're the shaft The crap Even though we're the shit Woo! We're the leftovers Picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good and toss it Good and taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's face it Can't erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over Like a vulture carryover Counterculture pushover Pop culture Leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say's already been said Leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover, counterculture pushovers, pop culture leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, sure the only talent is the band that's singing this pop culture leftovers.